Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning into the Rory Sauter Show. I'm Rory Sauter, your host. Happy Thursday to all of you. I hope you all are doing very well. A lot going on in the media, a lot to address, a lot to establish. Many great guests in attendance tonight. I do want to welcome our first guest who's with us right now. I believe he's uh, on, on, the, on the line. Uh, we have climate change expert, uh, best-selling author, also writer, David R. Legates. David, welcome to the show. Glad you're with us. Glad to be here. Uh, first and foremost, your first time on the show, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Kind of tell us how it all started for you. Kind of give us a resume, a background, you know, all that good stuff. Well, I'm recently retired from the University of Delaware. I was at the University of Oklahoma before that and at Louisiana State University. So I've been teaching climate at a university level for about 30, 34 years. Uh, and I finally said, you know, the university's gotten kind of weird. Uh, it's time to time to retire and go do something else. And so that's essentially what I've been doing. Um, I got started in all this a long time ago. I wanted to be a weather forecaster. And I was told, you know, that this was late 70s. Uh, weather forecasting is going to be done by computers in the 80s and beyond. The big thing is going to be climate change, and that's where you need to get into. And so I never look back. So kind of uh, explain to us this new book that you put together, you know, kind of, you know, put it into perspective, kind of shine some light on that and kind of what what inspired you to write this and what you want the biggest takeaway to be, obviously, for the audience. Well, it's the third edition. Uh, the first edition was written in 1997 by Fred Singer. Uh, the second edition was written in 99 by Fred Singer. And so it was approximately 20 years out of date. And Fred always wanted, before he died, to be able to update the book. And so the mind was still there, but the body was given away. And so Fred uh, wrote the book, essentially. But Tony Lupo and I worked with him to help get uh, to make sure that what was written was scientifically sound. There were some things he needed uh, looked up and he just wouldn't go to the library and do it. So we did that for him. And so that's why Tony and I are on the book, but it's really Fred's work. And the, the idea, the title is Hot Talk, Cold Science. The idea is the hot talk is the political science associated with climate change. And the cold science then is looking at the science behind it. And Fred was perfect for this because he was a scientist extraordinaire. I could take 20 minutes telling you all about his uh, uh, escapades, but essentially he was one of the first people to look into weather satellites. So he had a very strong academic career, uh, scientific career, but he also worked on the policy issues at EPA uh, and several other places in government. And so he was probably the perfect person to write a book that talks both about the science of climate change and the political science of climate change. And going into the political science of climate change and, and that aspect of things, you know, not enough people talk about the ones that really push the climate change agenda, the ones that really say that it's 100% factually true, you know, everything about it are the ones that are paid by the government. There are a wide variety of scientists that are chosen, and this is, people can look this up. This is, you know, if you if you look hard enough, this is not a secret. But explain that part, because any scientist that does not have any compromise, you know, scenarios with any entities, you know, actually tells it how it is, tells the legitimate facts about climate change. 
Well, yeah, that's one of the issues is that, you know, everybody thinks it's somehow a binary switch. That on the one hand, climate never changes. And on the other hand, it only changes by human activity. And in fact, we know that climate changes because climate always has changed and climate yes. always will change. Yes. Secondly, climate changes for a variety of reasons, some of which are natural variability, some of which are human induced. And much of the human induced aspect is a change that has nothing to do with carbon dioxide, but is more land use. For example, if you're familiar with Dulles Airport, it was put in the middle of nowhere, it was cheap land, and now the uh, urban sprawl of DC has grown around it. And so what you get is a change in the climate due to essentially the change in the land use around it. So we got the urban heat island effect that makes you know it much warmer now than it was in the past. So it's human induced change, it's just not carbon dioxide. Personally, I think carbon dioxide will affect a change. It'll probably be a warming of a doubling of carbon dioxide will get you a warming of about one degree Celsius. I don't think that's going to be devastating. I don't certainly do not think that's going to lead to more hurricanes, more floods, more droughts, more of all of the things that create the, uh, kill the most people and create the most disasters and create the most economic impact. I don't think that's likely to happen. I don't think we're seeing it now. And in fact, maybe a little bit warmer conditions might be better for plants in general, might be better for humans. I mean, human civilization has developed better under warmer conditions than under colder conditions. And, and David, they've really weaponized the political climate change narrative. You know, they've really taken it out of context in so many ways. It's turned into a criminal enterprise and a monopoly for the elites. I mean, look at them flying around on their private jets, giving all these speeches on how we need to save all these, you know, th things on the earth, but uh, they're not practicing what they preach. It's as that old saying would go, do as I say, not as I do. That's exactly right. And part of the issue is, you know, people have started to say, well, if the science is settled, then why do we fund any more climate science? And as soon as you say that, these people come out of the wood. No, we need more funding. We need to continue funding, you know, because that's how they make their living. I mean, I I was in the Trump administration briefly um, and I learned what the deep state was all about. And those people are there because this is what they do for a living. And so climate change becomes the the vehicle by which they get money. I remember back at the University of Oklahoma in 1989, there was the um uh, 100th anniversary of the land run and the 100th anniversary of the founding of the university. And we had a scientist come in uh, from the federal government and he was saying how, uh, you know, climate change, things are going to change because of it. We are in the atmospheric sciences are going to get a lot more money. And I'm expecting him to say how all this money is going to lead to more understanding, better knowledge, um, more, more discussion of what science is all about. And he just simply concluded by saying, we better not kill the goose that's laying the golden egg. In other words, keep the money coming by telling the people, by telling the government exactly what it wants to hear. And if you go back to Eisenhower's farewell address, that's exactly what he warned about back in 1960. Shouldn't we have investigations? Shouldn't we have you know, thorough you know, audits and all this stuff done about where all this money is going? Because, you know, they, like I said earlier, I mean, all this, all this climate change agenda, you know, these speeches, these events, but what, where, where has the money gone to help any of these causes that they supposedly say that they're 
they're putting it towards. I mean, you know, it just disappears. Yeah, and who's going to conduct it? I mean, the 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 the, the classic example is that the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has been running now since 1990 in an attempt to say we need to cut back carbon dioxide, we need to have draconian measures taken against the countries of the world. And when you look at carbon dioxide over time related to every one of these COP, the convention of parties that have arisen, essentially there is no impact whatsoever. And as, as various people, uh, Christiana Figueres from the IPCC, um, the head of um, the UN to AOC's uh, former uh, chief of staff, they say, you know, it's not about climate, it's about wealth redistribution. And so that's what I think is happening is this is no longer about climate change. And that was just a ruse to get us started. It's now about how do we essentially distribute wealth among the various countries of the world. And it's really a virtue. It's become a virtue signaling scenario, like putting a Ukraine flag in your you know, profile on social media. This is what climate change. It's like a cult. These these believers, I mean, these people, it's actually kind of like a, a mob mentality, the way, the way they come at you. Oh, you don't believe in science? You don't believe in climate change? I mean, these politicians have really indoctrinated and brainwashed these people to the max. It's, it's lunacy. Yeah, what, I, what I've always learned is that when you have the science on your side, you argue the science. When you don't have the science on your side, you make ad hominem attacks and attack the individual. And that's why people on our side are attacked all the time, because right. essentially they don't have the science on their side. They've pretended it's settled. It's not. When they're confronted in debates, they refuse to debate now because they've lost so many of them. And so as a result, uh, it's just simply attack the messenger because they don't have the science on their side. And look at scams like the P Paris Climate Accord. We all know that's just to enrich the elites. I mean, and you know what? They're they're so convincing to their bases and their supporters. It's sad how they come up with these criminal enterprises and these monopolies, and there's so many naive and gullible people. Well, that's why I said that's part of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And yeah. they've had all of these propo proposals come down the pike, and essentially what happens is there's been no effect whatsoever on global carbon dioxide emissions, but there has been many changes in the way in which money is redistributed among countries and among essentially non-governmental organizations that make a living by saying climate change must be stopped. And that's the fundamental problem is that, as I said, most of them now admit, well, this has never been about climate change. It's about wealth redistribution. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and how do you how do you explain people like Al Gore? You know, sell your oceanfront property. He, sa he said this back in what? Two, two thousand early two thousands and people like Barack Obama buying houses recently and Martha's Vineyard right on the water. I mean, you know, it's it's not it's not stopping. All these elites still buy oceanfront homes, and if that were really the case, banks would not be loaning on these properties. And you know, but then again, there are so many people that don't do their due diligence and their facts because if they did, they would know that you know the, the whole bank scenario that I just described and you know other other things that go into it. As you said, it's do as I say, not as I do. And yeah. I think there are largely three groups of people. There are the true believers that really do believe that the climate is coming to a screeching halt and we've got to save it. There are the opportunists who essentially realize there's money to be made and I'd better get in on it before the, the, the goose that lays the golden egg dies. 
And the third are the useful idiots, the people that just go along because they want to be part of the crowd. And how do we, how do we explain this to the audience and, and, and the liberals that, you know, want to live in denial? There's more polar ice caps in Antarctica right now than ever before. But, uh, you know, they, they, they want to they, they don't want to admit that. No. And I mean, we've had issues with, you know, we will have no more snowfall after a certain date and then heavy snows are global warming as well. I mean, the same thing we saw back in 2020, there were signs on Glacier National Park that the glaciers would be gone from Glacial National Park by 2020. And when January 1st, 2020 came and there were still glaciers there, they just simply took down the signs. And look at the Democrats alternative. You know, I'm, I'm all for, you know, Teslas. I like electric cars. I don't think that should be the only option, like the, the jaded mindset that they're going with. But they, they're talking about saving the planet. Do they realize what uh, uh, electric cars do, do to the planet in terms of destruction? I mean, it, you know, it's not much better than, you know, uh, the, the gas scenario. Yeah, and there's, there's an ad on television that says, you know, let's do away with all petroleum-based stuff. And, and essentially, the, the car falls apart because much of it's plastic. You know, uh, co cosmetics uh, are unavailable. I mean, essentially everything you use is based on petroleum to some extent. And so yeah. then the question becomes, if you really want to stop all fossil fuel use and keep it in the ground, then you're going to have to go back to a condition where this, we're living in the 1700s. And is that really what you want? And their they're, they're Green New Deal, you know, they're getting rid of coal plants. It's just, it makes no sense. I mean, America would not be able to function. We would not be able to operate. You know, this solar panel stuff, yes, it's helpful, but it won't do the job 100%. We need other alternatives. People on the left are so one-dimensional, and they don't get it. Yeah, I mean, here in Delaware, we're shutting down our last coal-fired plant uh, because we're trying to save the planet. But at the same time, um, China is putting in a, a coal plant every eight days. So the question is, if we shut ours down and Delaware runs the risk of not having enough electricity, that savings will be made up in the next eight days because China will put one more online. Why is it that China gets to put carbon dioxide in the atmosphere from coal plants, but we have to run the risk of not having or having expensive energy and potentially not having enough energy because let's face it, wind and solar are not dispatchable. If you they can disappear at a moment's notice, and with the grid, essentially, if you don't want to run a um, a deficit and have blackouts, then you have to have a nuclear plant online. You have to have a coal-fired power plant or a natural gas plant online producing electricity so you can immediately go to those. Most people forget about that. And that essentially we have double counting of energy simply to accommodate wind and solar. Crazy, crazy. So, I mean, it, you know, well said. I want to get you back here very soon. Um, tell everybody where they can find your books, all that good stuff. The book's through the Independent Institute, independent.org, uh, or you can get it on Amazon or anywhere else good books are sold. All righty. All righty. Sounds good, my friend. Well, really a pleasure having you with us. And uh, social media, too. Where are you on social media? I'm not. Okay. I don't have Twitter. I don't have uh, Facebook. Uh, no. All righty. And, 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 by, and by the way, um, Last thing I want to say before you go, how do we end this whole elitist, you know, 
global warming, criminal enterprise, monopoly scenario, because it's just going to keep happening. They know they can get away with it. They know it's agenda driven. They know it works every time, you know, and they've totally weaponized it, like I said earlier in the show. You remember the story of Trofim Lysenko. He was a Soviet uh, peasant who came up with the idea that if you take um, uh, seeds and you freeze them, that then when you plant the seeds, the crops would grow and they would be cold tolerant. And essentially uh, that ran counter to Mendel's uh, discussion with genetics. And so genetics was therefore banned from the Soviet Union for years and years. And it wasn't until 1964 when they finally decided, yeah, we got to get away from that and go back to genetics. But it took a whole cohort of people to essentially die off a whole generation until the next generation rose up and said, wait a minute, this makes no sense. I hope here it doesn't take a whole generation of people to figure that out. But I'm afraid many of people are just brainwashed that it may take that long. And, and, and one more thing before you go. What do you make of idiotic statements like, you know, just the hysteria on the left when they say, oh, we, the ch our future children are going to be threatened by this climate, you know, Things are going to get very dangerous. What's your response to that? How would you respond if somebody said that to you? They're idiotic statements. Essentially, it's done to scare you into action. And that's the whole point. Think about what they want you to do, not what they're attempting to get you to save you from. Right. And that's the point is it's wealth redistribution. It's changing the way in which we've done business um, and changing, taking away your freedoms. Very well said, my friend. Uh, great to have you here. David Legate, uh, real pleasure. Let's talk to you soon, my friend. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. We'll be right back with Patrick Nelson, everybody. Stay with us. It is a beautiful day on the Rory Sodder Show.
And we are back, the Rory Sodder Show, coast to coast, coming to you live, worldwide. I do want to welcome to the show, we have with us right now, we have Patrick Nelson, who is the founder of Nelson Partners. He's a real estate mogul, businessman, uh, doing a lot of things right now. Patrick, how are you, man? Welcome to the show. Your first time on. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Rory, super excited to be here. Yep, I'm an a entrepreneur by heart. Just, you know, one of those guys that started Lemonade Stand and then just kept going, kept going. And, and now we've got, uh, you know, we focus on student housing, which is, I think, what do you want to talk about? University student housing across the country. We're in 13 states and I think 20 different properties or 22 properties. And uh, it's been amazing. It's been crazy. And then the pandemic hit and it's every university in the country shut down and uh, it's been a world, world, uh, whirlwind. So uh, here we are smiling. <laughs> I hear, I hear you, man. So tell us, tell us about your resume. So I know you're doing a lot of stuff on college campuses. I know you're doing, you know, various things with, um, you know, uh, a lot of, a lot of, you know, activism stuff, but you kind of tell us, tell us about that. So, well, yeah, we, we have our own property management company. We manage about 6,000 students. Um, you know, we're in the private sector, so we're not actually affiliated with any universities or the government. So, you know, you have the university itself, which each one of those universities is own microeconomy. And so we got to get out there and compete with all the other developers and, you know, big institutions and everyone that has billions of dollars. And I'm just a simple entrepreneur that started out of my uh, apartment in 2003. I was actually selling shoes at Nordstrom's to make money uh, in the evenings to try to pay for my business. Um, I got an MBA from Utah State and my emphasis was entrepreneurship. And back then in 1999, it was like just starting to come out. Now everybody's talking about entrepreneurs. And uh, I think it's the people like that. Like you saw Elon Musk uh, just on Twitter. Looks like he's got $46 billion just making a run uh, for Twitter. And, uh, you know, it's what makes the world go around. Six million small businesses in the United States. No, absolutely. And I, I want your thoughts on that. What do you think of Elon Musk taking back free speech, giving power back? to we the, Amer we the American people. I mean, this is good, right? Good stuff. Absolutely love it. I mean, when, when people are deciding who, what, what people really need to understand, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, when someone's deciding what should and shouldn't be said, that's what you should be scared to death of. Everybody should be able to say what they want, whether you agree with it or not, right? Um, that's number one. And then number two, real quick, side note, uh, David was a great guest. I just want to say this. I have six daughters, right? My oldest daughter's 15, just turned 15. She's a freshman in high school. She just got in the car, no joke, three days ago, sits in the car, and she already wants to be an entrepreneur and doing all this stuff. She wants to be a CEO. She's telling me, but she's like, Dad, climate change is a fact. I just got out of my class, and the schools are teaching her climate change is a fact. And she starts giving me all these different facts of why it's actual. And it's exactly what David is talking about. And that's part of the problem we have with our big universities and student housing is that I've, I forgot that there's like 98% of them are liberal think tanks. So we're teaching our kids to come out with socialist type mentality, liberal mentalities out of our universities. And it's very, very hard, right? Even her just with, with being 15, she doesn't know any better. Her teachers have to tell her that these are true facts. Like, like the United States was founded in 1776. That's a fact, right? Not the things that she's telling me. And, and I said, and so now the first thing I'm going to do is go let her watch David. When we get home, say, hey, watch this. Piper is her name. Watch this, Piper, and, and then tell me what you think. 
It's crazy. It's crazy. It's it, <laughs> no, and it's the indoctrination. I mean, the mind manipulation. The the you know the not letting people think for themselves and um you know these professors it's like you know it's it really these universities have have turned into these universities have turned into a toxic culture there's no doubt about it well what's worse about it too is that they make it very difficult to have an opposing view you know like you, you hear about there's one conservative you know kid getting beat up a cow that was a few years ago and it, it's very very difficult Right. Um, to have an opposing view against what the university and the majority of the students are now thinking. And so we've got to really get our students, you know, the back and uh, back up in the support to have the clubs. When I was in college, I happened to go to BYU, one of the most conservative, you know, um, universities in the country. I was the man on the street reporter for the Ditto Head Conservative Club. If you know what a Ditto Head is, you know, back then it was like the original. But even then, we were still a minority, right? Even there, we like 300 members out of 26,000 students or something like that. So we've got to get the empowerment and the backup for our kids. I call them kids, our college students, to be able to have clubs and have, you know, the support to sit on campus rallies in the name of... You're cutting out. Some not just liberal think tanks out there. No, I absolutely... No, I agree. I agree. Hey Pat Patrick, can you stand by for about ten minutes? I got I got to get I got to get to somebody real quick. Can you stand by for ten minutes? Yes, sir. Okay, I want to because I want to talk to you about a lot of stuff. S stick around for like ten minutes. I do want to get uh, to uh, best-selling author. I know I know he's got to run. Um, best-selling author, activist, and writer Kenny Zoo. I know you're doing big things right now, my friend. You're involved with a. Uh, situation with America Express I was reading about. Um, explain that to the audience and welcome back. I, I loved having you on the first time. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me again. Yeah. Look, this is the tip of the iceberg of corporate wokeness right now. Now it is being fashionable to aggressively discriminate against people who are the wrong minority or the wrong race. American Express, in the name of wokeness, has been launching these bonuses for their hiring managers where they get paid a 15% extra bonus if they hire the, the politically correct ratio of minorities and women, meaning that they get paid to actively discriminate against white men. And now employees, disgruntled employees are finally starting to speak out. They're speaking out through, through Color Us United, not only supplying us with information, but actually starting to come out. We recently released the new testimony of, of an employee named Brian Netzel, who has started to speak out on this matter as well. And uh, only by the frustrations of these people who are too scared to come out, um, channeled through Colorist United, can we stop this mess that is going on in corporate America? I mean, where are the violation of ethics? Where are the, you know, I mean, why are people in jail over this? I mean, this goes against everything employment stands for. You know, they can't discriminate based off of color of race, off of somebody being white or somebody's political beliefs. I mean, these rules were written long ago. Yeah, this is illegal. They should be prosecuted for it. This is discrimination. This is illegal discrimination. But it's literally right there, Rory. It's right there on their documents to the SEC. You can read it. Uh, it's public information. Uh, I've read it. I've exposed it. Of course, they want to keep it nice and quiet in the back. But we, we managed to find it. Um, these public documents showing you get a 15% bonus for discriminating against white men. Um, of course, all in the name of diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? 
how are we going to create a culture of excellence when simply just by the melanin in your skin, you get all of these extra privileges? It doesn't make any sense. This is what colleges and universities have been doing. This is what Harvard, Princeton, all the Ivy Leagues have been doing against Asians for such a long time because they don't like the fact that Asians study too hard. Um, and now it's transferring over into corporate America. Yeah, and 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 let's talk about that. I mean, how how does this in, inclusive, you know, wokeness agenda get so much power? I mean, is is the number one reason these the the, the dark funding, the international funding, trying to you know influence Amer American values? Do you think that's mainly what's what's happening here? I think the international ESG program is part of it. Um, if for people who don't know what ESG is, it's basically a global initiative to try to make companies conform to more progressive environmental and social standards, which includes DEI, which includes discriminating on the basis of race. Um, I think a lot of it stems from people from millennials who want to come in and they want to look all nice and progressive and they're cons and, and companies want to cater to them. Right. So they all say, right. we're all nice and woke. We have all these diversity, equity, inclusion programs come work for us. What they don't realize is the scale about how they're doing that, how it's infiltrating. As I've said before many times, I'm president of Color Us United. Um, we've, we're fighting back against American Express by exposing these employees, by exposing these testimonies. Is that, as I've said many times, Rory, wokeness is a parasitic ideology. Yeah. Once you let it latch onto your company, it just expands and it grows and it causes more misery and despair. Yeah, and th and that's the thing. It, it divides and it it creates you know legal problems. And you know, look at what happened to Disney. I mean, they they were the worst performing stock on the Dow this year, plummeting third. I think it was over thirty percent. I mean, wokeness is a recipe for disaster. Look at Netflix. Look at you know they just tanked. You know, nobody wants to see all this politically correct. You know, uh, you know crap shoved down our throats. I mean, it really is trying to uh, dictate the way we think and the way we see things. And, you know, it's definitely not what America was uh, originally founded upon. Our founding fathers would be rolling over their graves. Look, we just want companies to respect all of their employees. Okay. Yes. That's all we want. We just want our companies. We don't care what your CEO believes. We don't care what your executives believe. Just don't just don't freaking literally push policies that say we hate you just because of the color of your skin. We actually want less of you because of the color of your skin. Just don't and, do that. And look and look at how they do this, Kenny, for an image. It for for image, you know, for for those kind of reasons. They do it so they can look like they're a diverse office. I think that's racist in itself. Like we talked about last time on my show, they hire people not because of qualification, they hire people because of color. And, you know, if some white guy is qualified, I mean, a lot of times in today's society, in this corporate world, with how things are orchestrated, they're, they're, they're going to pick the white guy last. I mean, that, I mean, that's what it's come to. I, I seems like. Well, it's so racist because uh, let's, let's take a look at an example. American Express has a headquarters in Salt Lake City, Utah. Yeah, what's the percentage of white people in Utah? Oh, it's like like, like, like 90%. 90%. <laughs> yeah. So then they say, we want 13% black people and 18% Hispanics and 6% Asian people in Utah. Yeah. 
And literally, you cannot do that without actually pushing white people into the complete lowest category, and treating them like the scum of the earth. <laughs> and Kenny, why won't these people that are so high and mighty and these social justice warriors that are in these positions, why won't they give their job up for a minority? If they're so, you know, pro for it, why don't, why don't they put their money where their mouth is? Oh, yeah. You know, Steve Squarey, the uh, CEO of American Express, he's an old white guy. What are yeah. you doing here, honestly? <laughs> Get out. Go put a go put a black woman at the top or something like that. Or right. or do it like what Joe Biden's doing, right? You know, he said, "We're going to nominate only this category for for the Supreme Court." Right? right because that gives us a lot of public trust that you're selecting the best qualified candidate. You know, and, that really. And what what do you think about all these people that got fired, you know, due to religious beliefs, due to you know, their color of their skin due to who they voted for. Um, well, how do we how do we get those, those sort of rights reinstated? I mean, how do we get because there's a lot of people still out of the workforce because these corporate woke companies want to stay the hell away from them. And think about how intrusive this is. They go through people's social media. They go through people's entire personal background. You know, I mean, this this is the times we've come to. I mean, technology is very convenient. But it's also extremely dangerous because you can know any anything about anyone, and it's you know look at the doxing too. That's another issue, but that's a whole separate issue. Yeah, you know, here's here's how we can put a stop to this. Yeah, um, people who listen to your show um, need to understand that these people need help, and they need to be they they Colorist United. We've offered to speak for them. Many of them remain anonymous. Some of them have come out. We've been working with them. But only people in numbers can help us to solve this and expressing their frustration. So if you go to unamericanexpress.com, because these policies are so un-American, if you go to unamericanexpress.com, you can send a letter to your state treasurer right now, your state investor to American Express and say, hey, what are you doing? Stop investing in American Express and un-American Express until they stop these policies. So if you go to unamericanexpress.com, you can make your voice known there. And Kenny, how are we going to, you know, move away from this and get get out of this toxic poison environment when the professors at these colleges are teaching the future generation to cooperate and enable woke America? Yeah, we look, we need people to be challengers. There's no excuse for it, right? They, these are hard times right now. And they They're keep rehiring the same people at these at these universities teaching teaching the same stuff. But sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, yeah. Look, go to the university's donors. You know, say, hey, this is what's going on. Do you understand? A lot of these people did not contribute to the university for this reason. You know, they people people really genuinely think they're intellectually, you know, solid institutions that that's quickly changing because of wokeness, because we're destroying our culture of excellence by prioritizing identity over merit, you know? Uh, so go, go to your donors, go, go to their, go to those people, um, submit tips to us at color us United. We've helped a few different people stand up to their professors, stand up to their administration. That's what we specialize in. We specialize in cutting through all of that crap, that bureaucratic crap that they like to throw at you and getting right to the heart of the issue. This is what you're doing. Absolutely. And after, you know, obviously American Express is one of the things you're dealing with right now, but this is just going to keep expanding. I mean, you're going to see, we're going to see more and more problems. And, you know, you think about a huge company like American Express, 
I mean, if they're capable of doing this, then anybody is. And, and think about, you know, where things are headed with people's political beliefs, you know, in, in regards of possibly not getting a bank account in the future, not getting a loan in the future, not getting certain access to certain amenities that they may need. I mean, that's kind of where woke, wokeness is headed, for, you know, from what I'm reading and from what I'm studying. Yeah, Amer look, American Express is adopting more and more of the principles of the social credit system every day. Like, yeah, the World Economic Forum scenario, right? Right, like the, the World Economic Forum scenario, they're now giving out points to uh, cu customers who buy s products that they call ESG approved. Yeah. Um, so they work with certain woke businesses to push woke policies progressive policies and then they incentivize that by giving you points on that so i mean you might think oh that's innocuous companies offer those things like that all the time but these are not for better products these are for more woke products these are for products that grandstand on certain issues we're, we're, we're going to go down to this social credit system where you're paid to conform and you're going to be punished if you don't yeah I mean, and, and it's it's terrifying. It really is. Kenny, I love having you with us. Tell everybody where they can find you, where they can get involved, all that good stuff. Look, find me on Twitter at Kenny M. Shu, M. Like Mary, X-U, X-U. Um, go to unamericanexpress.com. That's, that's really what we need you guys to do. We need you to express your anger at these policies by writing to your state treasurer at unamericanexpress.com. And, and legislation, I mean, what kind of legislation is is being put forth to tackle this issue, if any? Yeah, we're, we're working in all 50 states. You know, we are uh, we, we've had a hand at crafting legislation on critical race theory in schools. Now we're, we're talking about corporations. But the main thing is, what's your fiduciary duty? Your fiduciary duty is to provide the best quality product in the most reasonable and efficient time. And if you start focusing on all of these political ends, then you're ignoring your fiduciary duty and you're giving us less reason for us to invest in you. Yeah. So, you know, we need companies to go back to focusing on those as their top priority. And, and does it drive you nuts that they're trying to sneak critical race theory into math books in Florida? Did you hear about that? Uh, it drives me nuts. It's not surprising. Right. <laughs> they're, they're trying to sneak critical race theory and everything. Now they're saying math is racist because too few black Americans, black kids can do it at, at the level that, that they should. And that's a big problem in our country. But if you blame it on racism, you're saying it's white people's fault that those people can't do math. And that doesn't solve anything. And, and Kenny, what about the madness of them getting rid of the SATs and getting rid of, you know, the certain tests because they're finding it not equal enough. They're finding it racist. You know, I mean, where have we come? So, so dumb, so ridiculous. What you're going to get, you're going to get a less qualified class uh, because the SAT actually does do a good job measuring uh, things that grades couldn't measure. Like, for example, boys tend to have lower grades than girls, uh, but they tend to do better at the SAT. So you're actually discriminating against boys. The second thing you're doing is that you're eliminating a rung of accountability of these colleges. Before, we at least used to say, well, now we can compare a poor kid and a rich kid because the SAT is the exact same test for everybody. But now there's none of that accountability. So colleges can basically go and admit whoever they want. And that's going to be really dangerous for a culture of excellence. Yeah. And, and what do you see in terms of like the future of admissions? I mean, did this, you know, trying to um, not not let in, you know, 
uh, white people? I mean, are they going to try to keep that to a minimum? I mean, are they going to try to get more and more? I mean, do you think it's going to be more and more um, discriminatory in that realm? I mean, what do I see about the future admissions? What do I see about the future of colleges? Yeah. The universities in this country. I think if colleges continue to deprioritize excellence, people are going to stop seeing the value of these colleges and they're going to go off into other arenas. And then colleges, we know it will be finished. Yeah. May perhaps divert deservedly so, except yeah. for the richest institutions that are most status obsessed, like Harvard and Princeton, those kinds those those things will survive. But your your mom and pop college is going away uh, pretty soon, especially if they continue down this road. And, and do you think trade schools are really taking taking over in many areas of the education system with where we are uh, in society in terms of how evolved technology has become? You know, all the different trades that are now existing rather than 20 years ago. You know what I mean? I mean, it's it's a, it's a you know, there's more opportunity to make money in so many different categories. Yeah, I think so. I think that uh, trades are going to look, you know, um, even in a discriminatory economy back in the 60s, um, one of my friend, one of my African-American friends, his grandfather worked as an auto mechanic and he was just the best auto mechanic. And so even white people would come to him and yeah. they didn't even like, I mean, you know, obviously there was a segregated economy back then, but they knew who the guy was. They knew right. he was caught. So competence beats out everything in the end, because ultimately it doesn't matter how racist someone is against you. They still need their car fixed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very well said. And, you know, I, I, I always love having you on, Kenny. Um, it really always is a pleasure. Um, and also, t uh, again, tell everybody where they can connect with you. At Kenny M. Shu for my Twitter, Kenny M. X. U. Uh, and then go to unamericanexpress.com to make your voice known. And that's where you can find Color Us United's information. Sounds good, my friend. Always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. You too. We'll be right back, everybody.
And we are back. The Rory Sauter Show coming to you live from Palm Springs, California. I do want to welcome to the show who's with us right now. We have a real estate mogul, um, and he's doing a lot of big things right now. He is the owner of Nelson Partners. Patrick Nelson is with us right now. Patrick, I want to talk to you for a while, my friend. You have lived um, quite the life. You're doing a lot of big things. Uh, so let's let's kind of you know go over your resume again. T so tell everybody about yourself. Sure. Thanks a lot. I would say mogul to me is like a bump when you snow ski, right? My, I grew up actually in Utah. You just, Kenny just mentioned it a little bit. There are lots of white people there. Um, but I'm an entrepreneur from the start, right? From the, since I was a little tiny kid, I started a bunch of little small businesses, failed at most of them. Uh, but my entrepreneurship was, um, or entrepreneurship was my emphasis in MBA school back in 1999. And, um, you know, I just, I love small business. I love creation. I love, you know, creating, come up with innovation and just, you know, free markets and, and the opportunity to succeed in America. And, um, you know, I built up, started my apartment. I was selling shoes at Nordstrom. Um, in college, I waited tables at Red Lobster and park, and delivered pizza for pizza. Just one of those guys. And um, now we've got about a billion dollars under management. Um, we focus really on student housing. So I think we're in 13 states and about 20 different um, universities across the country. So tell me the the pros and cons of student housing and overlooking that realm of, of business. Tell me about that. The funnest part is you deal with the students, right? So you're always young. You always know what the hippest styles are, what the modern technology is, whether it's Snapchat or, you know, Facebook was cool for a while. That's nobody uses Facebook if you're born unless you're born in the 70s like me, right? That's the only way you use it. So you know what's happening. You know what the trends are. Um, and then the, the hardest part also is you got all these crazy kids that are living out there. That's, that's also super fun. Um, what's hard about student housing is you have to lease and fill your buildings. You only get one shot. Once school starts, nobody else is coming. So if you don't lease up, then you're stuck with an empty building, you know, for 12 months essentially. So you really have to compete and uh, with the, you know, we're, we're dependent on the universities for students and all of that. So when the pandemic hit and every university shut down in three weeks, um, you know, we got hit like everybody else that needed physical, um, you know, to be there physically like movie theaters and restaurants and hotels and all that stuff. It was just brutal. Damn, damn. So what, what is the tax? I mean, in terms of like the taxes, you're in California. Are, are most of your universities and your housing projects in, in this state? None. We actually don't have one in California for a few reasons. But one is that it's very, California real estate's so high, it's hard to make money. Right. Um, you know, we try to make income. Um, and then also the university system, it's just different. Like UCI, University of California, Irvine is the closest major university to me. And the entire housing is controlled by the university. Even if you're on staff, they'll, they literally buy you a house or they give you a house at a certain option and then you live in it. And if you leave, then you sell it back to them at a certain price. So there's just, it's all funded by the government. It's all run by that. So we're in other cities that, um, where it's, you know, it's more free enterprise and you can get in there and compete with everybody. And what that's done is really created better opportunities for students. Um, you know, innovation has created, you know, first Wi-Fi we had to put in, a few, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, nobody even had Wi-Fi. And now we've got study rooms and, one of the biggest things right now that the universities are not doing well with is mental health. So it takes, you know, some universities six months to get in to see somebody on mental health. And, you know, unfortunately, anxiety and feeling lonely and all those things are a major problem, even though you're away at college. You wouldn't think that. 
but with people on their devices, they're right next to other people, but they, but they don't connect. So for example, with us, we, we are the only student housing company that I know of that has a, a, a PhD marriage and family therapist on staff to help at any moment in case there's a serious situation, somebody suicidal or, you know, worse, something like that happens. And we've unfortunately had to use them a ton of times. Um, and so, you know, we're even designing our university, our, our university housing now. We're, we're building parking garages. So we started our own concrete company to get the cars out of there. So now we can build our our, uni- our, um, our housing, university housing, with, you know, high, with all faces the middle. So we're our pools and our amenities and um, all that's in the middle. So you can look out the window and see what's happening and try to connect to people rather than the old way in apartment. You know, there's eight buildings. They all look exactly the same. And if you're living at one of the way out buildings, you're not connecting with anybody because people stop um, stop connecting personally. You know, back in my day, when you called a girl, for example, and she didn't answer, you left the message on the answering machine. Everyone in the apartment can hear it. Now you can text 20 girls at one o'clock in the morning and just see who responds, man. It's, it's really gone downhill in that way. And we're trying to open it back up. You know, we even have activities that are um, no it's to connect, but it's no app connection, you know, no, no um, device connection parties where you can't come there with a phone. And at first people push back, but then they love it after a little while. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and, and tell me how COVID affected your, your business. And obviously there were a lot of students doing Zoom and, you know, uh, staying home, you know, a lot of the universities were closed, but kind of explain that. So, look, this was one, one thing that was really unfair in the government, right? There's 6 million uh, approximately small companies, which got $315 billion of PPP money. There's a few hundred universities, and they got $45 billion. And they didn't lower tuition when people were, were signing up and taking classes online. Well, I'll, I'll tell you right now, going to college is a rite of passage. And, you know, Kenny made a bunch of great points I'd love to, to build on. Uh, but one of the biggest problems... Um, with not going away to college is it's not just learning how to write or, you know, how to do a math problem. It's connecting with people. It's networking. It's being away from home. It's learning how to wake up, set your alarm. You got to show up to college when you're in high school, your parents are there. Um, this is where you first get away. And, uh, you know, most universities require you to live in the dorms. All that was taken away. So now, you know, let's say you're, you were 18. Now you're 20. Do you go and live in the dorms again? Um, do you just live in a random apartment? You didn't meet all your freshman year people, right? So now you have people that are with you for four or five years that you grow together, you live together, you graduate together. All of those things lead to higher um, graduation rates and lower dropout rates. And we really missed it. And what's sad is the college kids really never, never got sick. We had 6,000 students approximately during COVID, I think four or 500 uh, reported cases. And I don't know that one even went to the hospital. So we, we you know, of course, you have to be precautious, but, you know, by a year into it, the college kids just weren't being affected. And unfortunately, a lot of them athletes, you know, lost their senior year, junior years. It just it just really wasn't fair the way it was run, but they still had to write the same checks and, uh, you know, pay the same amount. It just wasn't fair. You know, what's sad, Patrick, is all, you mentioned a good point. You know, all these people had their lives planned and they had so many goals and they had so many things in store. And then, at a left field, this pandemic hits and it totally screws over what, you know, everybody else kind of, you know, uh, had going. And it, it's just when you take somebody out of their structure, out of their routine, their whole life falls apart. And you saw how depression was way up. Substance abuse was way up. Divorces was way up. You know, um, 
domestic violence was way up. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And, you know, the sad part as well is these entrepreneurs with all the mental health they've gone through these last couple of years, the young ones that, you know, have these brilliant brains, you know, I, I think it definitely set them back in so many ways. And I think we always have to protect our geniuses. And I, I think this has taken a toll on every single person. And um, it's sad. It really is. You know, I think I think a lot of people that could a lot of could have done a lot of good for the world. I think their dream, some of their dreams were tarnished over this pandemic, sadly. Sure. I mean, you have four to five hundred thousand small businesses that went out of business in the first like, you know, six months of the pandemic. because We didn't get aid to them. We didn't help them out. And on the university side, this is another thing that's see. there are so many small businesses. Right. Fortunately, I was big enough at the time that I was able to survive. And, um, you know, I got about $2 million of total PPP money, which all went to paying our staff, keeping yeah. people employed. But we lost 12 to $14 million of revenue, okay? But you know how many vendors I've spoken to that live in these college towns that are painters, cleaners, you know, little um, restaurant owners, shop owners? They needed those kids. And they didn't give it, get enough help. And a lot of those guys got wiped out. And then what's even worse for me, for example, is I've never missed a payment in 20 years on any one of my properties. We're low leverage, about 50%. Yet we had to give two properties back. And guess who they went to? Fannie Mae. Because Fannie Mae gave us three months only of deferment. But then guess what they said? They said, the next three months, you got to pay the three months normal and the three months back. But in 2020, the fall of 2020, the university still didn't open. So how could I make more money, double the, the payment for my loan? And they, they just there was just no mercy. And it's unfair because at the same time, the governments were telling me and other apartment landlords, right, that you cannot um, kick people out, right? And you don't have to charge or they don't have to pay rent and there's nothing you can do. And I understand that people were, were, were facing big problems and all that. But they didn't go to the lenders and say, you are mandatory. Got to give these guys some help. They didn't go to the insurance guys. They didn't go um, to the taxes, right? All of those big expenses were still there without my revenue coming in. And, um, you know, we only lost, we lost two properties and we're able to, to stand off on the rest. But a lot of companies that you don't hear about just got killed and a lot of the small businesses. It was just brutal. And at the same time, the government was sending out billions of dollars to companies that didn't need the help. You know, I, I like the big blanket because you, you, sometimes it's better to be more than less when it's small companies and stuff. But so many people that didn't need help, you know, just put the money in their pocket. Their, 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 you know, their NOIs, net operating incomes just skyrocketed. Their personal distributions went up. Um, a lot of money went to the wrong places. And it, it was just unfair, you know, that the universities didn't even miss a beat. $45 billion. And doesn't it drive you nuts how corrupt these large corporations are getting all this money and all these mom and pop shops that have worked their entire lives to build, you know, build their business, lose everything. I mean, just how, just all the bailouts, it must drive you nuts. You know, you're a business owner. You don't get this special treatment that these big entities get. And it all goes back to, I believe that they're tied in bed with a lot of these politicians. These politicians are not going to let down their big donors. Rory, I mean, what you just hit, man, we could talk about for an hour. Um, let me give you one quick example. A lot of people may not know about this, but um, the SBA, Small Business Association, came out with an emergency loan. You could get 150000 bucks, okay? Yeah. But you could only get 150000 per entity. 
right? That was the max you could get. So let's say you owned like a pizza shop or something. You have one entity that owns it. You got 150,000. That's what you maxed out at. Whereas you have these big corporations, right? They'd have all these subsidiaries with LLCs in every state and all over the place. So they have a thousand entities, right? Even though it's all owned by one parent company, they got 150,000 per entity. You see yeah. what I'm saying? So like they're just the way it went out. It, it, you're right. It very much helped people that had political um, power and ties rather than kind of the, the, the small little guy. And, um, you know, if I can make a comment, I don't know if you want to go this direction, but listening to, to Kenny and the, the universities, they're liberal think tanks. And I think what we've got to do is create safe spaces where people can speak out, right. And, and get rid of all the cancel culture and all that. But we got to do it on universities right now. You know, there's a lot of students that feel like if they write a paper and they take an angle that's conservative based, they're not going to get an A no matter what. Right. And so they have to actually write the liberal agenda because they want to get good grades to get a good job or same with high school, you know, and you take away the SATs, which is, it's just a straight up test. You, you know, there is no racist or anything in it. It's just a straight up test. Well, if you just go on grades or other things, now the teachers there are controlling, maybe they want a kid. They just, they, they, they control who gets into schools. And, um, it's just you've got to do, you know, there's, there's a lot of that stuff that's going on at the universities that are all super funded. Um, and, and if you want to talk about, you know, the the um, student um, loan situation, that's another big topic as well. Again, plenty of stuff to talk about if you got the time. Go ahead. I do, I do want to come back to the student loan thing. I want to ask you this, though. How do we stop companies like BlackRock? How do we stop companies like Klaus Schwab? How do we stop all these international corrupt entities from buying farmland? How do we how do we stop this? Because you're in the real estate game. Sorry, I wanted to shift topics just a little bit. Look, sure. I, want, I want to go back to the other stuff. But I think they're causing a lot of the destruction of what's going on right now in this economy. I mean, look at how much control they have. And, um, I, you know, I found it fascinating. Canada just banned international buyers. Why isn't the United States taking certain, you know, legislation to, to go about that, you know, but, you know, there, there's so many unanswered questions, obviously, but I want your thoughts on this whole BlackRock, you know, Klaus Schwab, and this, these international entities buying up our land and using it for their gain for the wrong reasons. I don't know if you know this, but yesterday's headlines in my industry, student housing, was that BlackRock just bought um, American Canvas Community is the largest and only public traded company in student housing for $13 billion. So in one swoop, BlackRock is now the largest controller of student housing in the country, right? Fortunately for small guys like me, every university has its own microeconomy. And there's, you know, still tons of universities out there and all that stuff. But you're right, that power to come in where you can come in and have an instant monopoly. And then you have all the power to control the government officials and the um, the policies that are being made and on and on is just unfair to the small guy trying to live the American dream, right? Fortunately for us, fortunately for us, technology is changing so fast. And every time technology changes a little bit, it creates like a thousand more like spinoff um, opportunities for entrepreneurs to come out and keep building. Um, but I agree with you. We need to get conservative policies in there that protect us from like China, for example, taking all of our debt and buying all of our land and getting monopolies that start to control us and um, and controlling the uh, the thoughts that are putting out there. Here, masks. You're cutting out a little bit. Water rationing. You know, oh, can you hear me? So I can talk yeah. to you here in California. You know, Governor Newsom 
it's just been brutal. I mean, there's a massive exodus of entrepreneurs and conservative people in California um, just heading for Arizona and uh, Vegas and uh, Boise, Idaho and Utah and the surrounding areas because California is, I mean, dude, we're almost $7 a gallon. Seven bucks a gallon in the taxes there, and you got 13% right for the state income tax plus the national. I mean, you're looking at 50 plus percent. So now I got I got to make enough money to cover, um, you know, to lose half of it out the gate. I mean, when does the risk reward, you know, turn around? That's why you see it. And uh, I think that the more we lean that direction. Oh, and at the same time, we have a ma massive housing shortage here in California. It's good here, right? And so, you know, it costs four million dollars to buy a, a, a five or six bedroom house down here in San Clemente now. And unless you already have property, you can't go buy one. I mean, there, there's so many issues that, that are being caused by the government regulation. Oh, absolutely. And, and gas prices are about to get worse. Inflation's about to get worse. I mean, things are things aren't at the at the worst stage yet. I mean, it's only it's only starting. They're already warning us. Things are about to get ugly, so buckle up your seatbelt. <laughs> Interest rates are going to keep going up. I mean, there's there's going to be some devastation, and they and they are and they are saying. I mean, I I know there's always the so-called experts that say a recession is coming, but there are you know to to be fair, you know I've listened to a lot of different point of views, and there are certain indications that would you know insinuate that, and you know. And, and kind of show that I, I could see why people are saying that. What are your thoughts on, on all this? Well, if you look at all the market indicators, it looks like a recession should have come a long time ago, right? But but the government's been printing so much money um, that it's 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 in my opinion falsely boosting up a lot of different sectors, right? And 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 then for example, take take just hiring people. You know, I hire in the universities and people. We hire a lot of low um, wage college students, except when they got so much free money, nobody wants to work. So it's really hard to even get get staff to come in. And, um, you know, when you think about all of the money that's out there that went to places like tech, everything that was tech that was non-physical just skyrocketed. And, and people got super rich from the pandemic. Other people lost, right? And, and then we were just handing money out like it's left and right. So nobody wants to work. I mean, in, in some states, it was literally better to quit your job and keep the income coming in than it was to go go get a job at 17, 18 bucks an hour. I mean, what are you telling our kids? And and that kind of leads to the same thing with student loans. If you, if you tell them that you're going to wipe them out and forgive them, they're just going to double their loans, right? I mean... And, and, and the system, the, the system, the, the school, the student loan system is built to make people fail. I mean, there's a reason why it's so easy to get a student loan, but it's so hard to get a personal loan and a mortgage loan. I mean, they, they want people to spend their entire life give, you know, paying high interest on these student debts. And it works because over 70% of students are, are in debt for pretty much their entire life. And who who the hell are they to tell taxpayers to pay off? You know their their bullshit. You know they chose that worthless degree of liberal arts. They chose that route to go down. You know they chose to you know pull the trigger. We we didn't you know we didn't make that decision. And somehow it's our responsibility. I mean the entitlement and and the the selfishness and the just the the greed is disgusting. 
Oh, Rory. <laughs> you hit on I mean, a lot and of the water. professor. These professors are telling people how, how to go live their lives, how these to tell these students how to go live their lives. And these professors have never worked a real job in their life and they know nothing about business, but yet they're teaching business courses. I mean, it's it's pathetic. And, and you know, have you ever seen what these professors look like? They look like they haven't showered in about two years. They look like they just came out of a coffin. They look like it's something out of a, an Adam Adams family movie. But go ahead. <laughs> oh, you make me laugh, man. That is hilarious. Um, uh, so, I mean, look, when, when you talk about getting like a, a 200,000 degree, right, in like um, 1800s French literature, and, you know, that may be a little a little bit of an exaggeration, these, but you're right. It's these, not fair. Banks, these banks are just like, okay, you want this degree? Okay, we're signing the check for you. Here you go. You're going to be, I mean, it's just, it's a game. It's a game. Go ahead. Well, here's the other big point I want to make on that, right? Those are also some of the most capable people of paying paying back their loans, right? Because they have a college degree. They're smart. They know how to write. They know how to deal. And if you chose a degree that's not marketable, I mean, for money and income, that's your issue. I mean, if you get a degree in marketing or business, go get a minor in, in 1800s French literature, right? Or stick around and get a master's in that or something like that or, or – you know, minor in that and then get an MBA, something like that. But those are some of the most capable people um, in the country. And what about the guys like that, like me that, that, that waited tables at Red Lobster three nights a week, right, and, and all that stuff, and I worked hard not to have student loans. But the other guy, you know, that went out to an Ivy League school, ran up 200000 and, and isn't really marked, gets, a, gets it all given, uh, forgiven for free? I mean, why don't we just forgive people that pay utilities, right, or – for example, that have car payments or that have to pay gas in California for seven bucks. I mean, it's just unfair that they target one area. And right now, I think it's a big political um, headline, right? Especially college kids, because the college kids are being, you know, taught liberal practices and liberal ways of thinking on campus. And then if you go to a college kid, 19 years old, even if they're conservative and they're working hard and you say, oh, by the way, I'm going to give you a free education. I'm going to wipe out your college um you know, your college debt, they're not going to say no, right? Nobody would say no, just like nobody turned down those free checks when they came out. No small businesses turned down PP money or even if they needed them, right? And so what are you teaching them? You're teaching them, go get a flat screen TV, but get a 70 inch one and eat out to dinner every night because those loans that you're paying everything with are all going away. It's the exact opposite. And then down the road, what's going to happen is when the universities see that, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to jack up tuition, which has already gone up 140% over the last 20 years, right? And it's double the double the um, rate of inflation right now. They're just going to hike that up and say, oh, the government's giving all that money, right? Just raise the loans or raise the tuition, go higher loans, and the government will pay us back. And now you've created a, a massive... Um, inefficient funding right for our liberal think tank universities and think That's about the, and think about the debt we're already in as a nation and think about what it would cost to pay off everybody's student loans i mean this is fantasy land ideology i mean it's nothing but delusional thinking 1.6 trillion dollars is a student loan debt right now and here's the thing. It's already the easiest loan to deal with. It's a little expensive in some places, but if you don't make money, they'll give you a, a deferral up to three years. You can go in and say, I can't, you can't call like your Chase credit card and say, I can't make any payments for three years. If you do, then your credit goes, but on the student loans, they give you all the opportunity to work hard and, and, and get out there and they get already super benefits. There's no reason 
to tell students, right, to go run up that bill as high as you can because it's going away in the future. It, it, the money is not going to go back to the kids. It's going to get sucked into the universities and other vultures that can come in and see the opportunity. No, I absolutely agree. Very, very well said. And what are some of your uh, things you're working on right now? What are, what are some of the upcoming projects? Well, we're out there trying to – I'm still trying to recover, right? I mean, for example, this, we have a, a, a ground-up and a rehab deal in Washington State at Washington State University in Pullman, Washington. But the state of Washington came in and said construction's not essential, so they shut us down for 12 months. So all of our loan money went to uh, interest because the government didn't say that, that the bank can't collect interest or they have to defer it or even do something that's fair, like, okay, we'll defer it, but we'll just put it at the end of your loan. So you still have to pay it. We'll just give you a forbearance. But they didn't do that for the lenders. So the lenders are all over. You got these big, massive hedge funds, like you just mentioned, that are looking for people you know, you know, with loans in default struggling from COVID, swooping in and trying to buy them, you know, for cents on the dollar and make themselves even richer. And those are the type of things that are super um, um, frustrating out there. In, in answer to what, what what we're doing and what I think needs to be done is we need to get behind students, conservative students, and get them power to speak up on campuses. We were talking about that before. I think that's the key. You've got to allow conservative people to be able to open their mouth, right, and, and get up on campuses and then get universities, uh, get enough power that the university will start hiring conservative professors, meaning like people who are in business for 15 years. And now they want to go be a, a professor because they have or 20 or 30 years and they've been out in the real world, not somebody who's a lifer, like you just said. You know, they, they went to school for 12 years, all on student loans. Then they work. They got a job at the school. They got tenure. They can't get fired. And they're literally out there writing a book and telling you all this stuff. And they've never actually been out there you know, in hand-to-hand -hand combat, trying to make it in the uh, in the free world or the real world. It's funny. And in a lot of ways, the way college is taught today, it's built to make somebody an employee, not not an actual CEO. I'm not a, not a boss. I mean, you know, there there's exceptions, obviously. You know, there's doctors, there's lawyers, but in reality, overall, you know, it's built to make somebody an employee. You know, and they get these jobs that you know don't pay nearly enough for even their living expenses. So, you know, like we said, those loans are a real hassle. And uh, I wish the Democrats would stop leading on their voters saying they're going to, you know, pay off their their scenario because it's just not going to happen. They've been saying it for years and it's 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 a way for them to get elected. I mean, that's one that's always that's always one of their main talking points. I think it's disgusting. Always. Rory, let me throw this out there. Kenny kind of touched on this before and um, you just you just kind of hit on this point. So you ask about trade schools. Are trade schools the future? Can you make more money and all that? Well, here's the thing. Going to college, like I said, is so much more important than just learning how to write an essay or something. It's getting yeah. on your own. It's meeting people. So if we can get you know conservative values and, and capitalism into the universities, what will happen is you will start getting majors, right, and, and opportunities. Like, for example, you can go be a pilot at schools, right? You can learn how to fly a plane and all that and or, or learn how to be a farm at the Aggie schools. Well, we need to have more tech universities instead of having to go to a trade school where you can still go get a college education, but learn a trade, right? And then if the government isn't so freely funding them all, right, the universities will all have to be more efficient in the way that they get students to graduate and get you know, and, and, and trade or, or train real job right. um, value system, right, versus just something that doesn't matter that's, you know, more idealistic. And if you do that, you will have better values. You know, right now the state systems are still the best return on investment, 
right? If you go to a state school, you get a great education. And there yeah. is still some capitalism out there with universities fighting for um, students. Um, and But we got to get more conservative type uh, politics in there. And I think that'll really help build leaders for the future, build leaders and CEOs rather than just people going out to get a job at 50,000 bucks, like you said. And, and Patrick, I think it's really important that they teach people in college more about taxes, more about finances, more about things that they're going to need in their everyday life, rather than a lot of these courses that they'll never even, you know, touch or even think about, you know, ever in their life, <laughs> you know? You need to be able to be a conservative and become a professor. Right now, it's very difficult, I would say, on 80 to 90% of the campuses to have conservative um, type views and get a job as a professor. And if you do, you are a small minority and you have to fight for everything you say. Isn't it crazy how they get away with that? And that's not a violation of ethics. That's not like, you know, I mean, they get away with it. They find some way to get away with it because in reality, it is against the law to not hire somebody based off what they believe in. I mean, that, and it's a sick society we've come to. And I wish the education system wasn't, you know, this toxic. I mean, it, it has really become a scenario of one-dimensional beliefs. It's like the civil discourse of 20 to 30 years ago is no longer in existence. And they're reinstating a free speech on college campuses is more pivotal now than ever before. So crucial. I would say this to your listeners, too, to parents out there that are my age, their kids are going off to college. You know, look, when you're looking at a college, don't just look at reputation or you heard of it or seen the BCS on TV. Look and see what kind of education am I going to get and then find, you know, opportunities for your um, son or daughter to go and have an option, you know, and, and have political views. And, and, and if you do that and more, for example, more parents stop choosing super liberal campuses, right? They're going to have to start acquiescing to what the market's driving. Right now, we're essentially allowing them to control it because we go there anyway. Everybody wants to go to Cal Berkeley, you know, or, or one of those that this, they're super liberal. It's a great, you know, famous education. But if we start, you know, saying, well, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to go somewhere else that's more conservative, conservative views. And then you start, you know, bringing leaders out there. I think it'll force the universities to start acquiescing and uh, that's our part that we got to do. So I would advise parents out there or college students watching this say, hey, figure out where you're at and go after an education that you believe in, right? That you believe in, not that they're telling you that you need. Very well said, Patrick. Uh, I love having you here. Let's get you back very soon. Tell everybody where they can connect with you, get involved, all that good stuff. Uh, we're easy. NelsonPartners.com. Um, we're at Sue Nowsing around the country. And I uh, really appreciate being here, man. I love your show. And uh, invite me back anytime, brother. I love it, Patrick. And uh, we'll definitely have to hang out sometime, man. You're only a few hours away. We're in the same state, California. And I'll tell you what, man. We got to fix the communism here. We got to fix the taxes. We got to fix the economy. We got to get that cocaine head governor out of office and, uh, you know, really make California great again. Because I'll tell you, Newsom has destroyed it. And, uh, you know, let's all remember how at one point in time, California, for in, in most people's eyes, was the place that everybody looked at and was like, amazing, paradise. Now they're like, California, ew. We got to get back to what California once was. And I believe we can get there as long as enough people wake up. But your final thoughts on that? Yeah, my final thought on California, let's get it back. We've got the most resources. I think we'd be the sixth richest country in the world. When I was in, in school, economy. when I was in school, Pete Wilson, I think, was the governor. We were voting Republicans. Right now, 
except for a few congressional districts, everything is 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 blue. The voters back out. There's plenty of us out there in the right counties. We got to get out there and get rid of this mail-in voting and get people out there and get California back so you can do business here again. Instead of having Elon Musk build everything in Austin, Texas, brother, we got to get it back here. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Patrick Nelson, love having you here. And, and again, where can people find you? Nelsonpartners.com. Or if you want to learn how to longboard, come on down to Old Man's at San Clemente. We'll, we'll get out there and, uh, and uh, stand up surfing. It's awesome. Uh, all right. Sounds good, my friend. We'll be right back, everybody. Stay with us. It's a beautiful day on the Rory Sauter Show. Coming to you live from Palm Springs, California. We'll be right back. are back the Rory Sauter show coming to you live from Palm Springs California I do want to welcome to the show I believe he's with us right now we have best-selling author 
uh, writer and uh, activist, Blaine Pardo. Blaine, welcome back, buddy. How you doing? Great to be back, Rory. I'm doing great. It's spring in Virginia. I love it. I love it, man. Virginia is a beautiful place. I uh, I, I love that state. I uh, One of my favorite places cities in the entire world is Alexandria. I'll tell you, I love, I love it there. And, um, I know you're, what, what are you about an hour from, um, DC? Yeah, I'm down in Fredericksburg. I'm about an hour, hour and a half. So you're about 45 so, minutes from Alexandria roughly. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. a happening place, but it's a den of liberalism right now. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So, so give a, give us the scoop, give us the update, give like, what have you been working on? What have you been focusing on? What's your you know, main, main stuff. Well, uh, I've got a book coming out next week, um, which is the democratic playbook, uh, the 2020 uh, or 2022 election edition, which is a satire book, uh, outlining a, a leaked document leaked being a uh, fictional, uh, from the DNC about their actual goals and what their objectives and stuff are. And I think it's something that every, anybody running a campaign out there is going to want to latch on to. It's a good, good product, right. funny, but disturbing. Um, <laughs> I, I just did a piece, uh, for American thinker on the Elon Musk purchase. I think uh, only it. Elon, only Elon Musk could convince the liberal mainstream media and politicians to argue for against the position of free speech. Um, they were literally coming out going, you know, the problem is we're not moderating this stuff enough. We're not controlling it enough. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Uh, it, it's against everything that's American. But Elon Musk, to his credit, just by putting in his bid, literally upset them enough that they went out and protested saying they needed to moderate conservatives even more, Yeah, um, which is just crazy. And, I, and I've just finished a piece as well um, for a conservative site uh, that's really dealing with the whole student loan program. So that's why your last speaker really resonated with me. You know, it, it, this concept of we're going to relieve these student loans is really just the Democrats buying votes. But it's also at this point in time, very dangerous to our economy, because if you tell all these people your loans have been forgiven, they're going to take the money that they would have paid on their loans and spend it on other things. And when we're in an economy right now that is so bogged down with inflation and you start taking a trillion dollars of that out and, and flushing it into the economy, it's going to make things horribly worse. So, you know, this has been a great time. On top of that, CNN Plus tanked. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. They didn't, and they, they didn't, didn't even make it a month, Blaine. They didn't even make it a full 30 days. I mean, that's how bad it is. I cracked up because somebody posted a great meme and it said they didn't last as long as Jeffrey Tobin on a Zoom call. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and Blaine, I always tell people the main reason I believe, and I and I think this has been obviously proven in, in many different case studies, they stay alive and in business because of the airport contract. They're, whenever you go to an airport, notice how it's always CNN is on yeah. the TV. Absolutely. CNN buys its viewers, basically. And, yeah, it, it, it's a it, it's interesting to watch them because this has been a week where woke has failed big time. You've got, you know, the story with Twitter with Elon Musk. You've got CNN plus tanking and then you've got 
what's happened to Disney stock and the fact that you've got, you know, DeSantis essentially saying, we're not going to let you have your privilege anymore. Um, and it was brilliant. It was a brilliant move. And it's really going to hit these companies that if you're going to go out and wage a cultural campaign to groom people, to inflict your wokeness on people, there's a cost associated with that. Oh, yeah. And if you're willing to pay it, 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 that's fine. But you're going to lose a lot of the things that make you unique. And you know, Disney had kind of a carte blanche in Florida, and now that's going to go away. And I think it's great. I think that the shareholders of Disney should be taking a real serious look at what the leadership has done and what they're trying to accomplish. Because it has nothing to do with entertainment. It's now social engineering. And yeah. Go ahead. Absolutely. And the way the way we're going to hold these woke companies accountable is doing what Ron DeSantis did. Take away their special tax per perks, take away their governing governing, you know, uh, rewards that they get. They have certain things that they can, you know, capitalize on that, you know, that. Uh, so th there, there's things that, you know, we can do to make them, you know, really um, understand and, um, you know, put them on notice. They, they can't, you know, we can't just let this go free. We can't just let this slide. I mean, they, there has to be repercussions because when you're messing with people's children, I mean, that's just, that's out of bounds. I mean, that's just crossing the worst kind of territory possible. You just don't go there. Well, you know, and when all is said and done too, what we're really seeing too is how much these corporations are not acting in shareholders' interests. And we right. saw it with Twitter, you know, Elon Musk, proffered an offer and it, and, the and, that's, right, and, and that's the thing elon musk you know has now secured an offer for twitter 46.5 billion dollars and that is that i believe that's over three billion dollars more than what the valuation currently is and they're denying his offer and let's remind everybody these shareholder the, these people on the board hardly have any shares it's like you know they're get, they're creating a great disservice and, and a disgusting narrative, and this is criminal what they're doing to the people with large volumes of shares. This is, I mean, there there's no excuse, there's no justification, and it really is scary that the mob has this much control. And we all know the power of free speech. We all know how lucrative free speech is, and we all know if you control that you you pretty much control the world and if they let that go that's going to be a hell of a lot more you know um that that should that, that it's like the money it, the money's not the issue to them they don't care they care more about the power because in the long run having that platform in their possession is going to make them well more you know they, that's what they believe they believe they can continue this monopoly forever and, and go on and on it's that I, I think you hit the nail on the head and the other thing is the real telling sign of this was he because he they'll extended. always get funding. They'll always get the Saudis. They'll always get China. They'll always get people to fund them. It's it's not the, the the free speech thing is the biggest danger to our society, and not enough people are waking up to that. You eliminate free speech. You criminalize free speech. You go after people for what they believe in, and you you restrict them from having bank accounts or getting a driver's license or getting a cell phone. I mean. People can can say, oh, oh ha ha, that you know that's never going to happen here. 
Uh, but we're on the brink of that. But go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, we, we totally are. And they didn't, you know, the, the most telling thing was they got an offer for the company's shares and they didn't even put it to a vote to the shareholders to say, so what do you think of this offer? And it would be a totally different thing if the shareholders said we reject it. Instead, the board took a poison pill option. In other yeah. words, we're willing to tank our company's stock values across the board to prevent someone like an Elon Musk coming in. And, and you know, I'm sorry, money, money talks and bullshit walks. So this is going to be, it's going to come down to, you know, eventually he is going to be able to, to exert some influence there. I think the biggest thing that was telling was the day he announced his bid, there was a purge of conservative accounts on Twitter. I lost 200 followers and I, I talked to people that lost over 2000 followers. Oh, I lost, I lost, um, I lost like, what was it? I think I lost like 9,000 followers. Yeah. And, in and past, I went in the past year in the past year. Well, I went out because of this immediate purge. I reached out to Twitter CEO. I directly contacted him both via email and via his Twitter account said, I want to know, did a purge take place? I want to know how many accounts were removed and what was an average day accounts removal so that we could see that it was higher or lower. In other words, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Prove to me this was just normal business. I reached out to him. I tried calling Twitter's phone number that's available on the internet and it won't even pick up. It says this number is inoperative. Yeah. So I ended up opening a trouble ticket with their support people and said, look, these are my questions. Forward this to your public relations people to come back to me. No response. No response across the board. And this is a major corporation that has no phone number. I found a fax number for them and tried to send a fax to it, and that's not working. How There's no transparency that's happening in this company whatsoever. And I think Elon's going to be facing a deep state there. Yeah. As bad as what Trump faced when he was in Washington, D.C. And you know what you know what this reminds me of is how they protect they protect these criminals that block these sort of scenarios. It's it's like it's like politicians. If a politician does something really bad, like a Hillary Clinton, they'll let her walk, walk free. You know, with something like Twitter, the people that are are delaying this right now, they're going to protect those people. Those people will never face criminal charges. And I believe the deep state, like you said, is going to do whatever it takes to keep this away from Elon Musk. They do not want him to. And it's going to. How, how do you see this going over? Because, I mean, we haven't dealt with a scenario, I don't think, like this in history, where a billionaire who's the richest guy in the world uh, is denied buying a platform. I mean, look at Jeff Bezos with the Washington Post. Look at, um, I forget the guy's name from Mexico that owns the New York Times. He's a billionaire. The guy that owns the cell phone companies in Mexico. Uh, let me give you some other examples. Mike Bloomberg, ex-mayor of New York City. I mean, so what's the issue here? And I mean, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, talk about giving all this money to these this election in 2020. And all he had to do was say, sorry, no criminal no criminal um, prosecution, no nothing. You know, the double standard is unbelievable. But we need to set Facebook free too. That's another platform that needs to be rescued and put put back into, you know, proper formation and, uh, you know, all free speech. But, you know, you're absolutely right with Twitter. It, it is, it, it's crazy. Well, here the, here's how this is going to play out. 
you know, he's filing with the SEC on this, and the SEC has overall jurisdiction on these types of things. And there'll be a point where Twitter's board will overplay their hand, and they're going to end up facing federal charges as a result of this. They're going to eventually have to put this up for a vote. But then they delay it, then they delay it, and then by that time, and then who knows what happens. I mean, there's a lot of loopholes and a lot of shady shit, excuse my language, that Twitter can pull to really sabotage Elon's efforts to take it over. Well, absolutely. And this poison pill works up to a point, but Elon can launch a hostile takeover attempt. And if he does, they will keep diluting the stock to the point where the stock is a penny stock and they'll get delisted from the New York stock exchange eventually. And that's, yeah, or, or whatever they're, I don't remember which exchange they're on actually. I think they might be on the NASDAQ, but they're, uh, you know, they continue down this path. They can end up getting delisted so that their stock can't even be traded on open markets. Right. And I think if Elon pushes this hard enough, you know, he's going to do it. He's going to find other financial backers and he's going to make it to a point where they can't refuse. He's going to make them the offer they can't refuse. And they're either going to have to accept it or show themselves to be the tyrants that they are. And so far, they are demonstrating their tyranny. <laughs> well, absolutely. Absolutely. And and I know, I know you're on a, a limited time. I, I want to shift topics a little bit. Sure. I, wa- I want to ask you your thoughts on the left losing it with the mandates being lifted on the airlines. I mean... I mean, finally, freedom. Finally, we have a Trump judge. She's she's gorgeous, too. And I mean, I, I'm so glad she came through that. That's very ballsy what she did. That takes a lot of guts, especially with what's going on in today's political climate, with all the violence, with all the doxing. You know, finally, though, and the Biden administration is trying going to try to appeal it. We know that. But the CDC was never constitutionally in in proper you know order or or. You know, they, they were they they over abuse. They over abuse their power, you know, doing this. Absolutely. And everybody's looked the, to they've ignored the law in favor of this is for the public good. I, you know, it cracks me up because they're following something I put in, in the Democratic playbook, which is how they rebut these things. The first thing they did was release a poll today going 56 percent of the people want masks on public transportation. And I'm like. I don't know. I saw photographs of airline passengers with their with their masks off, all cheering, smiling, happy. Didn't look to me like a whole bunch of dour people. I didn't see anybody wearing a mask at that point. Uh, you know, so part of what they do is they spread the misinformation. They go, oh, no, everybody really wants this. And it's a lie. Uh You know, the fact was they were arguing we need two weeks to look at how to implement this. And the airlines brilliantly just said, tell all the crews, they can take, you know, tell the passengers, they can take their masks off. You need two weeks to figure it out. It's you just make an announcement and people took the masks off. And their first move is we're going to step up and put the masks back on everybody. This is ridiculous. This is this is so stupid. And it's a dumb move on the Biden administration's part. And it's a dumb move for the Democratic Party because they're going to look like they're mandate-aholics, that that's all they're about is locking people up, inconveniencing people. You know, 
if you have a problem and you want to wear a mask on an airplane, you are allowed to wear a mask on an airplane. Right. But why are you inflicting your paranoia and fear on everyone else? I'm sorry. That's not right. It's the micromanaging too. It's like they want to control, you know, it's not good enough that they can have the choice if, if you know, to wear the mask. They want everybody else to do what they do. It's just, it's sad. It really is. You know, we've come to that and, you know, giving, giving the mean looks and trying to yell at others for not wearing their mask. I mean, come on. I mean, it, you know, the divide, you know, is better than ever. I mean, these, these politicians did a hell of a job, you know, separating people during this pandemic. Well, let me ask you this, Rory, when does it end? <laughs> Never. In other words, well, if you, dude, if I, dude, I was just driving around today and i saw somebody in their car with the windows rolled up and they're double masked double i'm not talking single <laughs> double with the windows rolled up by themselves why 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 well and when does it end there's no end and i'm guessing this. he probably had his fourth booster too well but people like that are the ones where they they're the ones that think things like testing solves something you know that if they get their their COVID test, that actually solves a problem. And it doesn't. It, the whole Biden administration strategy of we're going to put free masks and free tests out there was a joke. It, it came too late. It, it, it was and that's another, And another thing people aren't talking about with that, do, do, do people understand that when they take those tests, they're collecting DNA, they're collecting information off of people like people. And that's, that's where the the oblivion comes into place. Like people are so, you know, ignorant and so distracted with, you know, worrying about dying and worrying about getting sick. They don't take into, into consideration or even think about the fact that they're collecting data. That's what they're doing in, in certain ways. I'm not saying that, that the tests aren't legitimate, but they're doing other things with those tests is what I'm saying. They're taking stuff from, from people and they're using it as experiments. I believe that. And I've read numerous reports. It's not a conspiracy theory. No, no. Well, this is their part of their whole strategy is they love labeling things, conspiracy theories, just to discredit the, the person who raises it yeah. or to discredit the idea. And it's all bullshit. Yeah. You know, it, it's, you know, they simply don't, understand that the american people want freedom right and there will be a group of people that no matter what for the rest of their lives are going to wear masks at this point yeah but for the most part most americans are done with this shit we are over it and we want to get back not to their new normal we want to get back to the normal that we had before all of this came down right and I, I'm done with it. And I think you're done with it. And I'm sure your listeners are done with it. Yeah. If you're, if you're so crazy, paranoid, afraid of this, that you want to wear a mask, go ahead. You know, I'm not going to mock you. Um, although I'm, I reserve that right a year from now, I will probably mock you, but you know, if you still want to do that, go ahead and do it. But you know, stop telling me what I have to do. Right. And that's what I resent. There's a major con- gaming convention called Gen Con that, this year, and I'm not going. I've gone every year, take my grandson, 70,000 people go. This year, they're requiring in Indianapolis, they're requiring your COVID test card and they're requiring you to wear a mask. Despite the fact that Colt Stadium, which is next door to the convention center, 
doesn't require you to wear a mask to go to a Colts game. That Indiana doesn't require you to wear masks in public, period. They're doing this because they have such a woke crowd and they're so worried about upsetting these woke people that they're going, we're going to implement this regardless. And they, they came out with an announcement two weeks ago going, oh, no, no, we're not we're not listening up. You're going to have to wear a mask. And I'm like, I'm not going to spend 150 bucks to go to this thing and walk around with a mask. I, you right. know, gaming is an inherently personal thing. You want to look at people in the eyes and I'm tired of not hearing people. And I, you know, cause they're muffled because they're wearing a damn mask. Everyone is over this, but the Democrats are clinging to it. And it's amazing to watch them do it. And I encourage them to continue doing it because if they continue this through the election cycle, it's really going to hurt them. So I want them more and more push more mandates down on us between now and November. Thank you. You're just going to solidify Republican votes. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. And before you go, before I let you go, last thing, what did you think of the whole Pierce Morgan bullshit with editing the Trump interview, trying to make Trump look look bad. I mean, why is Fox News hiring Pierce Morgan in the first place? This is why I've been telling people for months, turn off Fox News. Fox News is not is turning into CNN in so many ways. Corporate media sucks. It really does. I go to independent outlets for all of my sources. You know, I mean, obviously I like Breitbart. Breitbart is like the only one I trust in terms of like mainstream, but you know, that's about it. I watch Fox News in the morning to get my fix. Tucker, but actually, I, Tucker, Tucker, I watch every night. That's the only reason I watch Fox News. But but other than that, no. But go ahead. I watch them for ten minutes, but I also recognize they're they've got pro, they've got their own propaganda machine running there. I think they hired Pierce because they want to look more middle of the road. Uh, and you have to acknowledge one thing: their their ratings are blowing CNN and, and MSNBC right out of the water. Uh, more people are tuning into Fox than anything. And I think they were trying to go middle of the road. I think it was terrible what they did. It's up there with Katie Couric where, where she cut out several awkward interview responses from Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And that came to light a few months ago that, you know, when she interviewed her, she refused to put up some of the actual information that was given because it didn't look good in her opinion. And Piers Morgan's doing the exact same thing. They've decided that they want to run with a narrative and, and they're, they don't care about the fact that they're misleading the United the American people when they do this. They really don't care. Um, and the, it's because they're not journalists. These are entertainers. These are these are people who are have an agenda and they're trying to push things that fit that narrative. And unfortunately, when you have that, you're going to get more and more things like this. And I, I applauded Trump because he put out an unedited version and said, here's actually what was said. And I think that is really the way things are going to have to go from now on is you have to challenge the media. No, no. And we do. And, and th things are taking a shift. Things are taking, you know, a different direction at this point. You know, it, it's, it's about to get really interesting. Go um, evil plan. <laughs> sorry. Say it again. Go evil plan. <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I want to, I want to get you back on here soon, Blaine. Oh, um, sure. tell, every, tell everybody where they can find you, where they can connect with you, all that good stuff. 
Look, the biggest place you can connect with me is to go on Amazon.com and buy my books. Uh, other than that, I have a blog. Um, you can look me up. Just Google Blaine Pardo. You'll find every way possible to connect me. I got a website. I, follow me on social media. I'm on Facebook and Twitter. Happy to engage with any of your fans. I'm excellent, man. And I'm looking forward to the future. We got a lot planned with the new network and a lot planned oh, yeah. for uh, uh, a lot of things, man. And a very, a very promising road. And um, we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Thank you. All right. Talk to you soon, Roy. Thanks. Thank you. Everybody, we'll be right back with David Jamona, and then also we'll be talking to Joshua T. Berglund. I'm really looking forward to this, so stay with us. A big night still ahead on the Rory Sauter Show. We'll be right back. And we are back. The Rory Sauter Show coming to you live from Palm Springs, California. 
broadcasting coast to coast worldwide. I do want to welcome to the show now. I believe he's with us. We have military expert. We have best-selling author. We have writer uh, David Jamona. He is doing a lot of things right now. He's appearing on a lot of talk shows, doing a lot of political commentary. David, welcome back, man. It's been a while. How are you? What's new? Give us the four one one. Great, great to be with you. I'm broadcasting live from Honolulu, Hawaii. Love it. Love it, man. Paradise, dude. Heaven on earth, dude. Yeah, I thought I saw you out there surfing this morning, but wasn't you. Okay. Probably my doppelganger. I get that a lot. There's probably a lot of people that look like me. Yeah. No, uh, my wife, I mean, my daughter who teaches here and uh, my son-in-law, uh, my daughter was saying, hey, dad, you know, Hawaii is the safest place on the planet to be. And I had to inform her that that was not the case. Uh, interesting enough, you know, uh, I actually served here uh, over the Pacific region out of Fort Shafter here in Hawaii. And I got to tell you that uh, Hawaii, <clears throat> the reason it was attacked at Pearl Harbor it's a very strategic location in the world. And I said, there's 75,000 military stationed right here. And the reason that is, is China understands that, you know, Hawaii is a threat to them uh, and it's a security to the United States and to North Korea. So uh, I said, you're living on a very strategic place that a lot of the Asian uh, countries would love to take over. And I said, it's not as safe as you think it is. And of course, a couple of years ago, and I wrote in my first book, the, uh, you know, the, the uh, ballistic missiles fired from North Korea heading this way, which was, thank God, uh, a, false, uh, a false narrative, but could happen in the future. Now, let me ask you this. What, what's your latest analysis and kind of, you know, perspective of what's going on with Russia and Ukraine? You know, the first thing people have to realize, you know, we're talking about war crimes and I'll be the first one to say, yeah, there are war crimes. Uh, We shouldn't be attacking civilian populations. But the Russian state of mind and how they view the leadership is war is war and there's going to be death and killing. And they are trying their best to take Ukraine by any any stretch of the imagination. That includes killing thousands upon thousands of civilians. Because frankly, Putin doesn't care. All he wants to do is take over the Ukraine so he can position himself to take over the rest of Eastern Europe, which I think will happen in the future. So right now they're fighting furiously in the Ukraine to protect their homeland, which is completely understandable. But I think in the end, Russia, uh, Putin's not going to stop. He doesn't care how much assets he has to throw there, what he has to do. It could be chemical, it could be nuclear. But I don't think you're going to see him come to the peace table anytime soon and say, okay, we were wrong and Ukraine can stay as is. I don't think that's going to happen. No, I no, I agree. And, and, and we have to understand that the media right now is painting, you know, Russia as the main and the only, you know, enemy. I mean, it, it takes two to tango. I understand Russia, you know, uh, initially started this conflict. But Ukraine is 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 they're, they're no they're no angels. I mean they they've got their own corruption. Zelensky, I do not trust him. I think he loves his fifteen minutes of fame. I mean, what kind of jackass leader makes an appearance at the Grammys? What kind of guy gets on all? You know, I mean, he's he's kind of like the Dr. Fauci that the left is trying to start praising now as the new hero and the virtue signaling. And I'm just you know I I just think the one dimensional narrative 
uh, from corporate media, it, it, you know, it sends the wrong uh, message to uh, the the actual reality. And and that's yeah. why I go to independent sources. I, I don't even trust Fox right now because it's all, you know, it's all anti-Russia. I mean, it's all anti, anti-Russia. And it, they don't tell both sides of what's happening in the war. I mean, it's, you know, and then they only want to show what bothers me is the Ukraines that are getting battered. What about all the Russians that are getting battered? I mean, come on. I mean, there's a lot of Russian citizens that don't want this war that are getting crucified every day. You don't see the media talking about it. No, you're exactly right. And that's why we have your show <laughs> and yeah. others like it. And I appear all over the place talking about this very thing. Uh, you know, and Elon Musk, I think, you know, he has the right idea. Let's take over Twitter. Let's take more of a conservative voice. Let's get free. Let's free America up so we can talk about these things. And I think that, you know, possibly could happen. But the fact of the matter is, yes, I agree 100 percent. Ukraine is not, you know, a fairyland and having a, you know, a, a marriage, uh, you know, ever after. So, uh, yeah, there are problems in Ukraine. That's one of the reasons why Ukraine never became a NATO alliance. But NATO has severe problems with the Ukraine as far as becoming. That's why they did not let them. They didn't like the leadership. They didn't like the corruption. And here's the uh, honest answer. If, if we had forces in Mexico or in Canada on our border and they were uh, opposing us, what do you think the United States would do about that? <laughs> they would take them out in a heartbeat. Uh, look at the Cuban Missile Crisis back in John F. Kennedy. What did he do? He brought the war, whole world on the brink of nuclear disaster. We were within minutes of you know being annihilated or having a, a nuclear disaster. And that all came about because we're not going to have that on our border. Well, Putin doesn't want NATO on its border. Um, and like I said before in the other show, I've trained with the Ukrainian army. I've been over there. I understand the mentality. Um, we did a partnership for peace with them back in the 90s. Uh, so we have been courting them all this time. But the fact of the matter is this. Putin cannot have NATO forces right on this border because the next thing is going to happen is, you know, insurrection in Russia uh, and all the things happening on the border of Russia that Putin cannot tolerate. So. He's not only going to take Ukraine, once he consolidates, I think it's going to be on the Baltic states and maybe even Poland. We'll see uh, how things pro, uh, you know, play out. But what really bothers me, and this is really a biggie, yesterday, they're talking about Satan 2. You've heard of this missile that Russia has? It's yeah. a missile that could reach the U.S. It can reach anywhere in the world. It travels 16,000 miles an hour. It carries 10 warheads. And they're all, you know, it cannot be stopped by any of our forces. And what did the Pentagon say yesterday? Oh, that's nothing to worry about. Really? <laughs> a, a missile of that magnitude is nothing to worry about? Putin will use nuclear deterrence if he needs to. I think we should be very concerned about that and other things that uh, the Russians have. So this war can get out of control very quickly. We could yeah. be on the brink of a world conflict with China, Taiwan, North Korea playing out and all these other things. And that's why we're on the show talking about it today. Yeah, and, and, and you you know better than anybody, you served over in these countries for many years. You know, I wanna, I wanna mention to you, you know, Ukraine is so corrupt that NATO would never let them join. And now all of a sudden we're supposed to defend these people. And I, I've always said, how is this war any of our business? I mean, I and I've also said, War is a distraction from domestic issues. I mean, look at 
all the problems that we're facing here. And, um, you know, talking about this, this rocket, I, I want to talk about that, about the Putin thing, but I want to come back to that. But bringing up something that happened last week, look at how Ukraine attacked uh, Russian, the Russian ship that is one of their most symbolic, one of their most significant, important uh, parts of history. That's like if somebody went after one of our uh, biggest monuments and greatest monuments in the USA. So retaliation is coming. And Putin is the type of guy that uses the quote, a wise man enjoys his vengeance cold. And I'll tell you something, he's not, he's not going to tell people what he's going to do. But this guy, he may be a hardcore blooded killer, but he is a genius. And he he knows he knows what to do. He people may say he's in a, a failed mental state. People may say that you know he he's not he's not capable of, of doing certain things. And people may say that Russia's losing the war right now. Bullshit. Russia is actually winning. The corporate media won't tell you that though. No, that's exactly right. You're talking about failed mental capabilities we're not talking about putin here he's just crazy it's not that he's in mental decline he's just he's just crazy <laughs> we have a joe biden that uh you know far outlays outweighs putin every right. mental derangement there is right he's shaking hands with nobody yesterday after a speech so you know yeah. uh the goat yeah he was shaking hands with a ghost yeah <laughs> exactly and 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 it's like the emperor wears no clothes you know and i won't i won't go down that path right now but you know, I think I truly believe Biden could be up there naked and the press would say, uh, Mr. President, what's your next plan for vacation and how are your dogs doing? And how they will say anything about him being completely naked up there. And yet they want to tell us Putin is crazy. Well, man, baby, you better look in the mirror because we got an absolute emperor with no clothes up there. And he's running the, you know, the United States of America, supposedly the most powerful country on the planet. But, you know, going back to Putin, the fact of the matter is Putin is very savvy. He's playing dimensional chess while we're playing checkers. And the fact of the matter is, you know, we're saying, well, he's killing civilians. And, and, and while that's a, an atrocity, if you go back in the history of warfare, let's go back to World War II. How many people died in war? Uh, 60 million worldwide. And that a fraction of that was military. Most of it was civilians. And most of it was done by United States firebombing Japan and uh, other countries of the world. So the Russians have this uh, fact that war is people are going to die. And, yeah, there could be war crimes, but there are no war crimes if you're the winner. If Adolf Hitler had won the war, I guarantee you there would be no Nuremberg, right, you know, uh, and killed, you know, and hung all the German officers because they won. Putin is not going to lose this. I, 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 I'm with you 100%. He's got the bigger military. He's got the bigger air force. Uh, he's got the missiles. He's got chemical. He could do anything he wants, and uh, he will do it, and he's going to use it because he is a savvy a guy that we really have, I think, in the corporate media have discounted greatly. But uh, more to follow because things are going to ramp up quickly over there. And he's got all the reinforcements and the backing. I mean, look at China, look at, you know, look at North Korea, look at Iran. They've all gone into bed together. I mean, if he needs, if he needs help, but I, I don't think he really does right now. I mean, there, there's, there's no way that anybody at this point um, could, could go against him or defeat him. They don't know how to defeat him. He, in my opinion, besides, you know, uh, JG Ping 
in, I believe, no, it's, no, I mean, Xi, Xi in China. Um, besides him, I mean, Putin is the most powerful leader in the world. There is, there's nobody more powerful and he's going to get his way because nobody's going to step up to him. He would not try this if Trump was in there. Yeah. Oh, no, exactly. And so my, that's uh, my point exactly where it's going to. So China, no question in my mind, they're going to take Taiwan before Biden steps down. Yes. Uh, and, and North Korea is going to act out severely in the days to come. You're going to see that. And so we're going to have theaters of war in, in, the, in Russia, in China, uh, in the Asia Pacific uh, area of operations. And so those kinds of things are coming. And then you got the Middle East and you have Iran and Israel about to go at it because, um, and not to change the subject completely, Iran is close to the development of nuclear capability and, and missile systems that can be launched. Israel's not going to allow that. But they all know one thing. Vacuum has occurred on the planet Earth. Biden is not uh, is a rudderless leader. They know that. Um, I was watching British television yesterday, British news. If you want to see some people laughing at the United States, just watch BBC. Watch the, what the British are saying about Biden. It's incredible. And yeah. it's one video after another of his incompetence. So the whole world knows right now this is the time to step up because Trump, if Trump were in power, none of this would be happening right now. You don't, David, you don't think Putin is stupid enough to fire a missile towards the United States, do you? Well, I wish I could say uh, categorically, uh, no, he's not stupid enough. But you know what? You know, uh, there's other deterrents besides, by the way, nuclear capability. They could fire an EFMP, take out our, electro, uh, our electronic grid in the U.S. China can do the same thing. There are a yeah. lot of ways, uh, cyber warfare, there are a lot of ways to disable the United States uh, from uh, acting uh, in war. So, well, you know, it remains that at my TVs. I don't know. I don't know what Putin is going to do, but I do want one thing. He's not going to lose this and he will strike out. He's already said the U.S. is an enemy. They're supplying Ukraine with weapons, more and more weapons. We're teaching the Ukrainians how to uh, fire artillery or 155 howitzers. We're teaching them how to you know, do all these kind of things. Putin knows that. And so you're going to see some interesting things on supply chain. Uh, that's why they took out that ship you know, in the port there because uh, they want to be able uh, to take out Russians ability to supply and they also uh in war you want to take out the u.s putin wants to take out the u.s ability to supply chain uh, or the munitions armaments and all that so things are going to get very ramped up here in the future and do you see the taiwan china uh, scenario tr transpiring the same kind of way in the same sort of devastating manner that ukraine russia you know, Ukraine, the or Russians, more 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 subtle, or do you, or what do you think? Russians and Chinese have never really been friends, but you know, the friend of my, the enemy. What is the saying? <laughs> the enemy of my enemy is my friend. You know, basically, Russia and China are now in cahoots with each other because China wants Taiwan. They're they're uh, they're supporting Russia covertly right now. And uh, so I think China it will be on the brink. They're looking. They're, why they haven't done it right now is anybody's guess. But I think in the weeks, months, and the year to come, definitely before elections, before uh, Biden leaves us, I think China is going to make a move on Taiwan. 
because we know they know we're focused on Russia, on the Ukraine. So, you know, they have no qualms about coming over there. And I, I've got friends in Taiwan. They're scared to death right now. And yeah. Chinese uh, is incurring in their airspace. They're mm-hmm. making pro- provocative moves. Uh, just a matter of time when things, I think, will ratchet up there. And then what is Biden going to do? Because we have a treaty that says we will defend um, against the Chinese if they attack Taiwan. I don't think yeah. that's going to happen, but who knows? And and while we know and are aware of the Russia-Ukraine scenario and China-Taiwan, what other countries should we be on the lookout for? And what world leaders should we be paying attention to for pulling, pulling funny business? Because we all know everybody's watching. They're getting ideas. And they, they want, you know, people want to see what they can get away with. And when you have a weak leader like Joe Biden, you know, anything applies. Well, I, I definitely think, in fact, just yesterday, a big op-ed on Japan's fears of uh, North Korea uh, and their firing of their missiles into the Sea of Japan, which they say it's not the Sea of Japan. So uh, we have uh, some, we've got a megalomaniac running North Korea that anything is possible with him. And I think you're going to see him really ratcheting things up in the days to come. Besides that, as I said, we have the Middle East conundrum with Iran gaining nuclear power. Israel cannot allow them to do that. So we have uh, a first strike capability of Israel may go in and take with or without the U.S. and probably without the U.S. because Biden really is no friend of Israel, as we all can see that. Uh, And so uh, a lot of there's a lot of world things slipping right now because of the vacuum that Biden has left and uh, Kamala Harris in the Biden administration. I mean, they can't even make people wear masks anymore. You know, you were talking about your, your guests there. I just came over, uh, you know, to Hawaii and uh, yesterday or the other, the other day, they, the mask mandate came off and everybody's cheering on the planes, but Biden can't control that narrative. How is he going to control, you know, military narratives around the world, which he's not doing right now? He is giving a lot of money to the Ukraine, billions and billions of dollars. We're training that. But in the long long run, the only thing, if we want to go in and defend against Russia, we'd have to go to war with Russia. And that's not going to happen. Very well said, David. I always love having you on. Let's get you back again soon. Tell everybody where they can connect with you, where they can find your books, all that good stuff. Yeah, we have a new book coming out called The Military Guide to Deception, <laughs> Disarming Deception, which I think is going to be a great read, is a great read. It got a lot of great reviews. That's coming out August the 9th on Amazon. We have the first book, The Military Guide to Armageddon. That's already out. It's become number one on a lot of categories in Amazon. They can get me on Twitter at my name. They can get me on Facebook. And we can get you can get to us on www.battle-ready.org, which is our website. We have all kinds of interviews. Uh, we got all kinds of materials you can look at and the whole nine yards. So, you know, have at it. And uh, Rory, it's always great to be on your show. Always love having you here, my friend. Uh, keep up the great work. Enjoy your vacation. And um, um, I'll have you back soon. And we'll definitely uh, chat soon. I got a lot of projects in mind. So God bless, cheers. cheers, my friend. God bless. Take care. We'll be right back, everybody. Stay with us.
And we are back. The Rory Sauter Show coming to you live from Palm Springs, California, coast to coast, worldwide broadcasting. I do want to welcome to the show we have with us right now. We have best-selling author and activist uh, Derek Wills. Derek, thanks for joining the show. First time on. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, give us a resume, kind of all that good stuff. Well, thank you for thank you for having me. Uh, you're a little gracious in saying I'm a best-selling author. I'm not quite there yet, but uh, I, I, uh, so I thought you were for some reason. But you, you've done it. You've done a, a pretty good job with that that latest book, though. Yeah, well, I mean, it's my first book, and uh, it's uh, it's exciting to be to be sure. So, uh, quick backstory about me: um, I started my life as kind of a uh, typical. Um, Republican, so to speak. I, I joined the military right out of high school. Thank you for your service. Uh, uh, well, well, we'll get to that. Uh, so I, uh, during my service, I started questioning why we were doing things that we were doing. And that started my distrust of the propaganda machine. Um, I started uh, disassociating myself with the Republicans a lot. Um, and then as things went on, uh, I separated from the military in 2011, um, and I became a an activist, a gun rights act activist here in the state of Texas for a local grassroots gun rights organization called Lone Star Gun Rights. Um, I wrote for them for a, uh, a number of years. I hosted their podcast, uh, and then I ultimately went my separate ways from them in 2020. Uh, and... Throughout my journey, I started writing a book because I needed to get my philosophies out there. I also needed to really define my philosophies. Uh, and I ultimately ended up starting to write a book in um, 2017, I believe. Uh, 2016, or no, 2017, it sounds about right. Uh, I was a pretty hardcore libertarian at this point. Um, and the more that I started writing, the more I realized I kept discovering these little inconsistencies in my philosophy. Uh, and it's something that I, in my book I challenge the reader to do is to make sure that they hold themselves intellectually accountable uh, for their philosophies. About halfway through the book, I became what you know is commonly referred to as a minarchist or uh, uh, somebody who believes that the state is necessary for uh, the very basic things. So military, police, roads, that's pretty much it. Uh, but by the time I was done writing the book, uh, I was a full-blown anarchist because I realized that the uh, the state is uh, is an evil entity. No matter how you slice it, no matter how you form it, no matter how limited you make it, it is uh, an evil entity that um, its very existence usurps the natural rights of the individual. Uh, and so that's ultimately what my book became uh, was. Uh, and there were several chapters that I ended up having to rewrite, uh, but. This is the book. It's called The Liberty Solution, uh, and the foreword is written by a uh, an economist named Dr. Walter Block. He's written over uh, 1,600 peer-reviewed articles uh, on economics. Uh, he is also um, uh, a professor at Loyola University in New Orleans, and uh, he's also an anarcho-capitalist uh, theorist as well. Uh, very wonderful man uh, and brilliant. Uh, he's written probably a couple of dozen books on his own. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of the quick and dirty about me and my past and my my journey. Very cool. And didn't I read you have your own podcast and your own network as well that you're affiliated with? Yeah. So uh, after I separated from uh, Lone Star Gun Rights, 
Uh, a friend of mine and I started a, a new podcast called Gentlemen for Liberty. Uh, we have a pretty big social media presence. Um, most We're most active on Twitter, uh, but we're also on Facebook and Instagram as well. Uh, and so the podcast is basically talking about the state's in- involvement in, uh, in, in our daily lives and how that actually violates our, our rights. So we've talked a lot about uh, the, monopoly sh- uh, the monopoly on violence that they hold. Uh, we've we've talked about uh, the whole Brianna Taylor case. We've talked a little bit about uh, uh, Russia and Ukraine, things like that. And um, basically, we want to approach things from a more philosophical standpoint. Um, and that's not to say that we want to be, you know, we don't want to be preaching to, uh, pe- you know, yes men and people who automatically think like we do. Our the purpose of our podcast is to make people think even if they don't agree with us. And uh, we're also really trying to get people who disagree to come on the show uh, and 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 talk about it and actually establish a dialogue because just because we don't agree philosophically doesn't mean that we have to hate each other. Very well said. No, I agree. I mean, civil discourse needs to come back into play. I mean, we we have lost touch with that part of reality. You know, 10, 10 20 years ago, People could be around each other with different political beliefs, but nowadays, people that uh, have disagreements want to tear each other's heads off. Yeah, absolutely, and it's sad. It really is sad. I blame really, I blame social media, and I, I also blame parenting and these politicians because I think these politicians. I mean, obvi- obviously, the divide makes them more money. You know, they can create all these activist groups, they can get all these donations. You know, so on, so on, yada yada yada. Yeah. Um, you, you know, it, it, it turns into this, I, I, the, the, the keyboard and the, the removed state that we're in from right. each other, whenever we're having these dialogues, it makes it so much easier to dehumanize the other person. If yes. you were having the same conversation with the same person, but sitting at a bar with each other, yeah. it would be a much different conversation. Right. Right. No, absolutely. And, oh, go ahead, sir. Oh, no, I, I was just saying that that's kind of where we've lost a lot of things. And as a result, and I don't mean this to sound demeaning or, or belittling to uh, a lot of people, but uh, most people don't truly seem to understand why they believe what they believe. They know this is my favorite uh, news source. This is where I get my information. This is what I believe. And they yeah. never go beyond the surface argument of, why they believe what they believe and what it means to actually believe those things. Yeah. And stuck, stuck in their ways and, and virtue signaling. And, you know, it's, it becomes a cult mentality and, and so in so many aspects. And I think that sends a dangerous message for the future generations, because if we don't fix this, it's going to keep expanding. It's going to keep, you know, it, it's like a swamp. It's like a D it's like, you know, it's like the DC swamp, you know, it's a build up, build up, build up, build up, build up. And then eventually when, once there's too much damage, it's nearly impossible to fix. Yeah, it, it is. It, and it, it gets too deep, if that makes sense. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. There's a kind of a, uh, a saying in libertarian circles and anarchist circles where uh, they say statism is a cult, statism is a religion. And, and it really is. And you can see this uh, on all of the mainstream sides of things and even, you know, on the libertarian party side of things as well, um, where 
you know, you can literally have conversations with different people, the same type of conversation, same topic with different types of people and different people who never know any, they don't know each other and they will say verbatim the exact same thing. And it doesn't matter if you're talking to somebody who's a hardcore Trump supporter, hardcore Biden supporter, Bernie Sanders supporter, what have you. And it, it becomes so predictable and kind of mentally exhausting because, you know, you just want to have these conversations where somebody else can approach it with an open mind. And what you end up getting is absolutely parroted back to you word for word in, in a lot of cases. Yeah, and, and absolutely. And, you know, it, it, we have all these trends in America that absolutely drive me nuts. I mean, whether it was, what was it, a couple of years ago, they did Blackout Monday or Blackout Tuesday on these Instagram pages and social media. Then you have the Ukrainian flag. Then you have you know, the vaccine needle emojis, you have, yeah. you know, uh, people saying their vaccination status. I mean, it, yep. it's, it's really creepy. And then it's like, you know, you have people getting their information from celebrities that they look up to rather than doing their own due diligence. And, you know, yep. it, it's, it's crazy the world we live in. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of that, I, I don't want to make excuses for, for, and I also don't want to speak for them, but, uh, you know, I have a hard time placing full blame on them. You know, we kind of established this culture of, you know, we need things immediately. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, if we need something from Uber Eats, it doesn't matter if we need something from Favor or if, if we need, you know, a five minute what's going on in the world from your favorite uh, propaganda source. And so they just really just go, 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 go uh, and never really take a take any time to really stop and ask questions and really understand. They're just like, this is my mentality. This is what I believe. Uh, move on next. And really, if you take a step back and you challenge yourself you'll find out a lot more the, about yourself that you didn't even realize. Um, you know, you start questioning things. It doesn't make you a bad person. If you, if you find out, hey, you know, my philosophy means that uh, while I used to support X, I really can no longer do that. That doesn't make you a bad person. That's called growth. Right. You know, that that's, that's a very positive thing. And, you know, I would really, probably my main goal with writing this book was to try and get people to understand that it is okay to rethink your p positions. And you don't have to apply that just of, you know, uh, political philosophy. You could apply that to everyday life, how you approach your finances, for instance, how you approach, approach your relationships with um, certain individuals for whatever reason. And if you were, if, if we were all to do that, the world would be a, a much better place, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. And, and and do you see how, like, look at libs of TikTok. Did you hear that story the other day with the um, New York Times? Re was it the, no, the Washington Post reporter doxing her information? I mean, th th this, this, this account on Twitter, libs of TikTok, all she's doing is sharing videos of what these crazy radical leftists are doing to kids in schools and some of these new crazy, you know, gender identity whatever, wherever we're at with that. I don't even know, you know, I mean, it's gone so out of control, but it's like that we're canceling people because we don't agree with them. And it's, it's, it's in the old days, I would just flip the channel. I would just turn, you know, go, go, you know, go on a different site if I didn't agree. But now it's like, there's so much animosity. There's so much vengeance. It's, there's so much 
have to be on the attack for these people. It's like, get a life. It's like, yeah, get a life, you know, and it's, it's, and we see how Hollywood is also backfiring in so many ways with, with a lot of, you know, how they're going about things, how they're delivering messages. And, you know, they need to rebrand their strategy. Cause I'll, I'll tell you that, that whole satanic, uh, you know, uh, belief system, um, people are waking up to, but, you know, I kind of, I kind of said two things right there, two different topics, but you, you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, you, you said something that was, is kind of the, the crux of this whole thing. You said right. previously, if you didn't like something, you would move on. Right. The, it's, it's, it's all about choice. Right. right. And we've kind of developed this culture where we're anti-choice on just about everything. Either you believe the way I do or you hate America. Uh, you believe the way I do or you're a communist or whatever the case may be. And none of it's true. If we just, you know, if we realized what's the litmus test, it's consent. Do we actually, do we actually give consent for any of the topics that we're talking about? If yes, then there's really no issue. If no, then there is an issue. We need to figure out how we deal with that one thing. Uh, so if somebody is being forced to do something that they did not consent to, then that right there is a violation of, of your rights. It doesn't matter your political ideology. Um, and, you know, both both mainstream sides are guilty of this, where they want to force uh, their way of thinking down the throats of the other. Uh, but really, if we just ask the question, does does the person does do people have consent whenever it comes to this and use that as a litmus test, man, that would go, that would go incredibly far as far as promoting Liberty. You know, I want to bring up something uh, to you, Derek, before I, before I let you go. And, and, you know, this is a big thing going on right now, international, you know, uh, law, uh, Ilhan Omar wants to put forth, you know, allowing an international court system, uh, to prosecute American citizens based off of, did you hear this story? This is absolutely, I, I did not. This is absolutely insane. She wants to pass law that allows other countries to prosecute Americans and then, them face the punishment of whatever these third world countries decide it will be. I mean, this is the kind of radicalization that is being brought to Washington, DC. So again, applying the same litmus test, is it consensual? Well, no, because we're not, I'm not consenting to it. You're not consenting to it. And so because there is no consent there, uh, this is absolutely something that is being mandated up, up against us and is therefore something that violates our own rights. Right. So, you know, it, it fails the, it fails the consent litmus test. And, you know, if you apply that to anything from taxation to, um, you know, to wearing a mask at, in a, in a, you know, at a, at a public venue, uh, then you can really kind of weed through the things that are real issues that need to be addressed versus those that are kind of fabricated, to say, to say the least. No, I agree. I agree. And, and and what's your whole take on a possible another lockdown? What do you think? Do you think, it, do you think they're going to use that as a power grab? Do you think they're going to continue that in the future? I mean, midterms are right around the corner. Mail in uh, ballots. So I've uh, I've kind of distanced excuse, myself from the excuse to stay at home. That's what they're going to say. You can't come out. <laughs> you can't come outside. You're going to die. It's everybody's going to get sick. What do you think? 
Uh, you know, it's been a while since I've been involved in political strategy, but it does seem like something that uh, could be spun, you know, one way or the other. Uh, who was it? Rahm Emanuel, who said, never let, let a good crisis go to waste. Uh, sure. The whole COVID thing has been a crisis they have taken full advantage of in multiple ways. Um, and, you know, if they can keep milking that crisis uh, for everything that it's worth, then they probably will. I don't trust the government to do anything. I don't trust them to ever have any fiduciary duty to me in any way, shape or form. So uh, if you're asking me whether I think that they will do something to further usurp my rights, I'm going to say absolutely. I wouldn't put it past them. They've done some really shady shit throughout history uh, to not only people that they s claim to represent and, you know, their own citizenry, but also, you know, we've meddled in foreign countries for the past, you know, 60, 70 years uh, for some political gain. So, you know, is the state going to do anything that actually makes us more free? Absolutely not. We're, it's never going to happen. Are they going to do anything to make us realize just how much like a free range peasant we actually are? Absolutely, because that's what they do. That's what they thrive on. That's their entire structure and their entire purpose of life. No, you're absolutely right. I, I could talk to you all day, Derek. I want to get you back on here very soon. Tell everybody where they can find you, where they can connect with you, where they can get involved, all that good stuff. Absolutely. So uh, the Liberty Solution is available on Amazon. Just uh, search for the Liberty Solution and uh, it should pop right up again. And just in case, this is what the cover looks like. Um, also, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Gentlemen for Liberty. You can find us on Twitter at Gents, the number four Liberty. Um, and uh, and you can find our show on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, all that fun stuff. Uh, it's the Gentlemen for Liberty podcast. Excellent, my friend. Well, really a pleasure having you on, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much, Professor. I appreciate it. Thank you. We'll be right back, everybody, with Michael Caputo, former Trump uh, administration official. Stay with us.
And we are back. The Rory Sauter Show coming to you live from Palm Springs, California, broadcasting coast to coast worldwide. I do want to welcome to the show. We have a very popular guy, very famous. He has an incredible resume. He's lived a hell of a life. He's worked for President Trump. He has done so many things, a jack of all trades. He's doing a lot of things right now for Trump's reelection, for different things for the midterms for 2024 coming around. Um, Michael Caputo, what a pleasure. What an honor, sir. I am a huge fan. I love everything you've done for this country. You are a true patriot and your first time on, man. How are you? I'm um, great. Thanks. It's a, a very kind way to introduce me. I appreciate it. Am I really out of focus here? I, I can see you. I can see you pretty well. It, it's a little, it's a little blur. I can, I can see you. Hey, you don't mind if I put my thumb on my camera for a second? Maybe it's that, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's much better. better. Much better. Now it's perfect, my friend. So, Michael, when people come on the show for the first time, I always kind of like to get a resume, get a background, how it all started for you, how you got to where you are now, and all that fun stuff. Sure. I, I first got interested in politics in a foxhole on the DMZ in South Korea. Um, I was uh, a young man. I guess I was 17 when I got went in the Army. Um, in the 25th Infantry Division. And uh, uh, the guy I was in the foxhole with said that uh, Ronald Reagan had just given us a raise. And I said, Ronald, I mean, the president gave me a raise? And I became very interested at that moment and started reading more about politics. Up until then, I was pretty much on the road with the Grateful Dead uh, most of my youth and uh, really didn't pay much attention uh, to, to politics. But... Being on the DMZ, the first time I ever saw a Russian was through a pair of binoculars uh, across the DMZ. A Russian general was visiting the North Korean uh, post that we were staring at, uh, probably on some ceremonial visit. First time I ever saw a Russian. Uh, and I came back when I got out of the army. I went to university. I joined Young Americans for Freedom. Uh, and in the summertime, uh, during summer break, I went to... Uh, the, the Contra camps and uh, when they were fighting the, the Sandinistas in Nicaragua and were, was helping with the Reagan doctrine of, uh, you, know, you know, fighting communism. Uh, graduated from college, uh, went to Washington to work for, first off, I went to work for uh, Human Events, a great newspaper, still a great newspaper, which is where Jack Posobiec is now. Love uh, him. Yeah, he's great. He's a good friend. Yeah, I, I follow him on Twitter every day. He he is a great, uh, you know, um, source for information. Just tremendous insight. I, I can't even understand where he gets all his information, but the man's brilliant. He's a good friend of mine. He's actually had dinner here at our house. And oh, very nice. Good guy. Um, and, and he's making human events great again. It's a great, it was a great publication during the Reagan yeah. years. It's going to, it's great again now with Jack there. But then I went on, uh, uh, as a writer for Congressman Jack Kemp, as he ran for president in the 88 race, he was my congressman back in Buffalo, a great man, also my quarterback in the Buffalo Bills. After Jack uh, was defeated by George H.W. Bush, uh, I, I went back down to Central America, worked in the Contra War again, uh, uh, spent some time in El Salvador, worked with the great Michael Waller. I don't know if you know who Michael Waller is, one of the great anti-communist uh, uh, foreign policy experts out of the Reagan era, still great, uh, an incredible follow on Twitter as well, Michael Waller. 
And uh, uh, then I went to work as uh, with George H.W. Bush on his campaign as director of media services. Uh, when we, I was 92, uh, Bill Clinton beat us when we lost. I went deeper into politics, you know, uh, did some corporate work. I eventually uh, uh, went to work on uh, the Trump campaign. I'm actually, uh, I'm skipping over an important part. At least it was important to the Mueller investigation. From 1994 until 2000, I worked in the, in the Kremlin. Uh, I was an advisor to uh, Boris Yeltsin. I was sent there by the Clinton administration to meddle in the Russian elections. The irony is not lost on me. Um, wow. And uh, I ran the uh, a USAID program teaching Russians how to run elections. Uh, I was responsible for the first draft of the Russian election law. And after I left U.S. government employee, I went to consult with the Kremlin and with a bunch of Russian candidates. Lived there for a long time. Actually uh, had a couple of opportunities to meet Vladimir Putin. Uh, was not my friend. Uh, not a very nice guy. And when he was uh, became president in 2000 with the resignation of Boris Yeltsin, yeah. I came home to the United States. It became decidedly unsafe for American advisors of the Kremlin at yeah. that time. And uh, went on to work in more politics, uh, uh, worked in the private sector for a while. Um, and uh, all that time, uh, starting in 1988, I first met Donald Trump at the 1988 Republican Convention in New Orleans. Yeah. Um, drove him around uh, as a driver in Washington when I was working with Roger Stone and Paul Manafort. Yeah, uh, worked with him off and on over the years. And in, in the late, you know, 2013, I tried to convince him to run for governor in New York. He declined, but that was a lot of fun. Uh, we traveled around the state together. He it was his first taste of politics. Yeah, and, uh, and then 2014, he tried to buy the Buffalo Bills. I helped coordinate that. Lucky for the United States of America, uh, the Buffalo Bills were bought at a very, very high price, way too expensive, uh, way overpriced. And Donald Trump decided not to buy them and became president of the United States instead. I was the director of his New York State primary. Uh, when we won in New York, uh, he brought me into the, the national campaign. I worked at the convention. And then after uh, the inauguration, unfortunately, I got dragged into the Russia investigations. Uh, cost us a lot of money. Uh, cost my children their their uh, their college fund. Uh, a lot of harassment, a lot of Antifa harassment. But after the Russia investigations failed, of course, because there was no collusion with Russia, it was all created by Hillary Clinton. We're finding that out now. Yep. We're going to find out a lot more of that from the Durham investigation. I provided yep. evidence to, to, to the Durham investigation as well. Yep. Um, I became Assistant Secretary of Health during... Uh, COVID, the president called me up when COVID hit and said, Michael, we need you um, because he needed people he trusted, people he knew for a lot of years. I became in charge of public affairs as assistant secretary at the Department of Health and Human Services. I was the number one communicator on COVID. Unfortunately, in uh, September of 2020, I got cancer. The stress of all that stuff, the Russian yeah. investigations and then the COVID response kicked in throat cancer. Um, really bad case of it. But I'm uh, now well, um, uh, uh, living instead of New York or in Washington, I'm down in Florida, where Ron DeSantis knows how to deal with COVID, how to deal with Disney. And my family and I are very happy, safe, living well, and enjoying being in Ron DeSantis's Florida. Wow, that was, that was one hell of an introduction. That was quite impressive. 
Um, I want to shift back just a little bit. There's a lot I want to ask you and touch on just off of what you just, you know, shared with us. But first, first off, let, let's talk about your time in the, in the uh, Kremlin, uh, in Russia, meddling in an election. I mean, that has to be some sort of crazy experience. Kind of, how, how does that work? Kind of, kind of tell, tell the audience about that. Well, it was rather open. Uh, the United yeah. States put nearly, a, I think it was almost a billion dollars into yeah. election-oriented consulting, as they called it, right. um, and uh, was run out of the embassy. Uh, we had the International Republican Institute was there. The National Democrat Institute was there. Uh, yeah. The International Foundation for Election Systems, I was the director of that uh, because of my electoral system expertise. And we were advising candidates, advising the electoral system. It was very open, but we were also doing things behind the scenes uh, for think, for example, excluding the communist party from anything we did. We only yeah. worked with parties that we, we supported, that we, we agreed with only the democracy oriented parties. Yeah. I wouldn't have been happy working with the communists anyway, but you know, we did things behind the scenes as well. And all of us in one way, shape or form uh, reported to the embassy and and the CIA saw it, sat in on most of those meetings. Um, and, uh, you know, you know, fast forward to the 2016 election, they were accusing Vladimir Putin of, uh, you know, meddling in the U.S. elections. I think they, they spent like $180,000 on Facebook ads or something like that. We spent damn near a billion dollars to manipulate the Russian elections during the 90s and probably more. What we spend now, now that Vladimir Putin doesn't allow that kind of chicanery, I don't know, but the United States meddled in Russia's elections far more than Russia meddled in ours in those days. And I think most world powers mess around in each other's elections, but it was a wild time. It was like, you know, Russia in the 90s was like Paris in the 20s with Kalashnikovs and, and, and vodka instead of red wine. It was a crazy time. Uh, I was single, uh, all my buddies were single. I work with some of the greatest guys. Uh, I work with a lot of people from around the world, uh, French diplomats who I got to be really close with. And now, uh, so many years later, still some of my friends, I worked a lot in Ukraine as well, did elections in Ukraine. I met my wife in Ukraine. Uh, we're happily married now. We're very concerned about the Ukrainian invasion uh, by Russia and the slaughter by Vladimir Putin. Uh, while my time in Russia, I, I met Vladimir Putin first when he was deputy mayor of St. Petersburg. Uh, we were both at a forum that uh, he, he attended a forum that I that my organization sponsored on election uh, administration in St. Petersburg. And then I saw him again in Moscow um, several times. But one time uh, he was actually in my house. I didn't know at the time he was in my house. Uh, I had a party uh, to celebrate the ascension of, a, of the new chairman of the Russian Senate, the Russian Federation Council, who was a client of mine, yeah. a guy named Plomov. And uh, the photographer was running around taking photos in my fancy apartment. And I looked at the photos a couple days later, and the black and white photos, and, and one of them, Vladimir Putin, was leaning against the wall, drinking a glass of clear liquid, looking decidedly uncomfortable in an American's apartment. I didn't know he was there, and at the time he was head of the uh, the new KGB, the FSB, and I didn't know it. None of us knew. So yeah, I I I got around a lot in Russia. I spent a lot of time in Ukraine in those days, and um, you know, it's a very different world there now. And your experience with you know with with meeting Putin, with being around him, I mean, what is that like? 
Which, you know, tell. Well, he didn't like, really talk much around uh, foreigners. He certainly didn't talk much around Americans. I think I heard him say 10 or 12 words all those times I was around him. He was also in junior positions. Yeah. Um, uh, in fact, after I saw him at my apartment, uh, it was before he became uh, prime minister. So after he ascended to the number two position in the country, um, I never saw him again. Uh, he, you know, if you know Vladimir Putin's history, and I do, um, he was a KGB officer in, in stationed in Dresden, East Germany, responsible for giving money to radical uh, German terrorists uh, who killed people. Uh, he was funding the murder and mayhem in, in Germany's, uh, you know, nightclubs and train stations. I think it was the Red Brigade he was working with. So if you know his history, uh, his present isn't all that surprising. The men around him now, many of them are KGB officers and people involved in the intelligence services in St. Petersburg when he was a young man in the 90s when I first met him. Those people are all billionaires now. He created billionaires out of uh, intelligence agents. And what what could possibly go wrong there, right? Oh, I, oh yeah, absolutely. And what do you what do you make of what's going on with Ukraine and Russia right now? I have a lot to say about that because I have family who were stuck there. Uh, we worry about them very much. Uh, yeah. When I think about the Ukraine situation, Russia's Michael, hold, hold that thought real quick. We're going to be right back in one minute. Stay with us. Stay with us, everybody. And we are back with Michael Caputo, uh, Trump ad ad administrator. Uh, and we have a lot to discuss. Uh, Michael, as you were saying about um, Ukraine and Russia, tell us about you know your side of this and how you view all this. Well, we, we have family uh, there. Uh, my mother and father-in-law are there. My, my wife, uh, we met when I was working on a campaign there. Yeah. Um, uh, she has, of course, all of her childhood friends and, and a lot of our colleagues, 
uh, from the years I was working there, the years she was working there, there are, it's a terrible situation. She's, she knows people, uh, you know, a lot of death and mayhem. You know, I think about the Russia invasion, Ukraine, I, I, and when I think about it, I, I, I see it in blue. When I say I see it in blue, it's because certainly in the earliest weeks of the, of the invasion, uh, at about two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, I'd wake up and there my, my wife would be looking at her phone, seeing if her parents were still alive. And our, room, our bedroom was lit up in the blue light of her phone. I think of the Ukrainian invasion I see everything in blue. There's a lot of terrible things going on over there. People need to understand who Vladimir Putin is. I know we have on the right, uh, there we have a wedge that's been driven between us. There are a lot of people, friends of mine, people I know who think that you know Vladimir Putin is defending his nation, that Ukraine doesn't deserve defense because they're corrupt. You know, there's a lot, you know, the, the most effective kinds of, uh, you know, Propaganda are always wrapped in just a little kernel of truth. Is Ukraine corrupt? Well, yeah, but every nation in the east in Eastern Europe is corrupt. If you know who uh, Hillary Clinton is, if you know who Hunter Biden is, you know the United States is corrupt. So certainly, uh, I believe Ukraine is worth defending, not just because I know a lot of people there, but also people need to understand who Vladimir Putin is. He's not crazy. He's disordered. He's doing things that no normal person would do, slaughtering women and children, you know, bombing cities all the way into the ground. He's turning Mariupol into a, it's just going to be a gas station in the future. You may not even be able to rebuild that city. People need to understand that Vladimir Putin believes fundamentally that the Russian Orthodox Church is going to sanctify him as a saint. I'm not saying that as a joke. This is what is in Putin's head. He wants to be Saint Vladimir of the Russian Orthodox Church. It's something that he holds very deeply in his heart. He believes by reuniting Russia and Ukraine, Kiev and Rus, right? The Russian world, as they call it, Ruski Mir, that the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church will sanctify him after his death. He will be a saint. He will be remembered in history as Saint Vladimir in the Russian Orthodox Church. We will remember Vladimir Putin but as a murderer, as an absolute, abject, terrifying murderer of women and children, not just soldiers, but old men and old ladies, grandfathers and grandmothers. He's been a murderer. He's not going to be a saint. But, you know, he's, he's showered billions of dollars on the Russian Orthodox Church. And the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church, he's been fluffing that guy for, for 20 years. He really thinks he's going to be a saint. And that's why he's doing this. And how, how long do you see this lasting for? Well, if we give uh, Ukraine the weapons they deserve, not just America, mind you, but also any other Western nation that's involved in, in European defense, if we give them what they deserve, I think that uh, 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 Volodymyr Zelensky will be able to defend his nation and drive Russia away. The problem is, you know, we don't know if Vladimir Putin is, is going to push a button. We, you know, people need to understand that you know, Vladimir Putin may want to send nuclear weapons our way, but it takes six or seven people pushing buttons to make that happen. It's not just one guy. But are all seven of them crazy enough to do that? We don't know. And Vladimir Putin has been so embarrassed by his abject failure uh, 
I mean, a friend of mine said this the other day, a guy who's in the defense uh, intelligence industry. He says, you know, the longer you watch Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine, the more it reminds you of the last half hour of, uh, of that crazy movie with Macaulay Culkin, uh, Home Alone. You know, every time Vladimir Putin turns around, he gets hit in the head with another paint can. He's embarrassing himself. He's soiling his own bed. And the problem we have with that is at some point, Vladimir Putin's going to understand that he looks like a clown. And when he understands that, we don't know what that clown's going to do. Do you see a World War III coming? I don't. I don't. Uh, the American people must not send troops to Ukraine. Uh, yeah, I mean, we can't, Michael, we can't be the world police. We no. can't be. I, I mean, it's, you know, it's it's for them to figure out. I mean, it, you know, as sad and devastating as it is, it's we don't want to send our men and women to, you know, it, it's. I don't, like want to see and women, I don't want to see our men and women fighting in France. You yeah, know, this like, is yeah. this is Europe's problem. I understand that. I think uh, right, right. Donald Trump was right. Uh, NATO is a paper tiger. We were paying all their bills. Right. Yeah. The fact of the matter is, we no men and women of American uh, military forces should die in Ukraine. But we can do a lot more without risking uh, uh, American blood and too much American treasure. Um, I agree with you. I, I don't think that the, this is our war. It is, in fact, the world's war already. Are we going to have World War III? We are already there. Yeah. Are there going to be nuclear weapons involved? I certainly hope not. But I, if we don't send American troops to Ukraine, I don't think that there will be. And notice how Trump got us out of wars and never got us into any new wars. I mean, he he totally went against the military industrial complex and Biden's playing Biden's playing right into their game right now. Well, I mean, weakness is provocative. Uh, you can't be a doddering old fool in the president of the United States and think that Vladimir Putin is going to sit like a, you know, and behave like he did with Donald Trump. He never did any of this under Donald Trump. He and remember, this is not the first couple of months of Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine. It's right. the eighth year of it. He first invaded Ukraine in 2014 when 2014. Barack Obama was president. Yeah. So weakness is provocative, and as long as uh, we have this, uh, uh, you know, kind of doddering old fool in the White House, Vladimir Putin's going to run wild. I call Joe Biden the basement dummy. I mean, I you know I. I mean, look, it, it, it's a mess. I mean, you, you, you've you really got a guy that is in strong mental decline, can't count to four, can't form a complete sentence. And he's and controlled I, by the Easter Bunny. I mean. And he's, yeah, the Easter Bunny is work. His, the, one of his staffers was in the Easter Bunny outfit. That was confirmed. That's not even fake news. Like, sort you know, outlets had to report that. And I, that's how, that's how, you know, how, um, far we've i mean come and that's how low we've gone as a nation i mean it's it's really crazy when vladimir putin saw the footage of joe biden scared by the easter bunny being controlled by the easter bunny being walked away like some old fool by the easter bunny do you think he was in fear of the united states i'm here to tell you he wasn't it it, it is it's crazy it really is crazy and you know what there's a rumor that he'll be primaried in 2024 by there's a few other Democrats that will probably run against him. It's crazy if they don't, you know, they'll yeah. lose everything. They're already on the verge of losing everything. We know they're going to lose the House. They may not lose the Senate because they're on the, you know, they're on the cusp of stealing it again. Uh, the way that they stole the 2020 elections 
It's not that it's not the kind of theft that can be effective in House races, but it can be very effective in Senate races. I, I predict now that the, the Democrats are going to try to steal the Pennsylvania Senate race. I believe they'll try to steal others, but the one I'm watching is Pennsylvania. And, and talk, talk about that, because I know you're working on a project in regards to the upcoming elections and making sure that we have voter security and making sure that no fraud occurs. And, you know, you're, you're really shining a light on that. On that well, I'm, I'm paying attention to Pennsylvania. It's the it's the state I know the most about. I mean, we clearly had fraud in many other states. There are people that are focused on that on behalf of the Republican Party and on behalf of President Trump. Um, knowing as much as I do about Pennsylvania, I've done many campaigns there. Um, I, I told the president that I would go to work on, on Pennsylvania uh, to try and correct it. You know, in Pennsylvania in 2019, the Republican legislators, they controlled the House and the, and the Senate of, of, of Pennsylvania, were concerned that they would lose their seats because Donald Trump was so unpopular because of a quirk in their election system where you could vote Democrat or Republican and everyone on that line would get your vote. If you didn't like the Republican president, you'd press Democrat and all the Republican legislators would lose. So they went to the governor and said, look, we want to get rid of this straight party voting. And the governor, a Democrat, said, why would I ever do that, right? But in fact, they made a deal where he wanted what they call no excuse mail-in balloting, meaning you could vote by mail for any reason under the sun, which was completely against the Pennsylvania Constitution, the first draft of which was written by old Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin knows a bit about democracy, right? So they decided, the Republicans, that they would give them no excuse mail-in balloting, which basically gave them unlimited mail-in ballots. And so the Democrats began working on their steal immediately. And then came COVID. Mind you, this Act 77, no excuse mail-in balloting, was passed even before uh, 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 COVID became an excuse for, no, for mail-in ballots. And we see, for example, that you know the, the, the electoral system, the, the database of Pennsylvania showed that X amount of voters had voted but they had 200,000 more ballots than voters who had voted according to the system. 200,000 more ballots on uh, all mail-in ballots. Well, yeah. we convinced a friend of mine who is a, uh, a, a, a county uh, commissioner in Pennsylvania named Doug McClinko to sue the state, to sue the Commonwealth and those involved in that ballot fraud, claiming that Act 77 was unconstitutional and Doug won as the lead plaintiff. He won. So now, right now, no excuse mail-in balloting is illegal against the Constitution in Pennsylvania, but they're still moving forward. What people don't understand is that Zuckerberg and all that money he was floating around, wait till this rigged movie is, it comes out. Oh my God, it's gonna blow the lid off of things. David Bossie did a great job on that film. It's coming out now, coming out any day, I think. Um, Zuckerberg spent $13 million in Pennsylvania alone, the more than he spent anywhere else. Why? Because without Pennsylvania, no Republican can ever be president again. So if it, we know that the, the, the Supreme Court uh, is now looking at the case where, they, where the Commonwealth Court overturned no excuse mail-in balloting, the Supreme Court in Pennsylvania is deep, deep blue. We think they'll overrule the Constitution. Zuckerberg has people there in charge of elections. He's not just funding them this time. The new acting secretary of state is one of his operatives from Washington. Lee Chapman is now the sec acting secretary of state. 
And her deputy is from the Zuckerberg machine as well. Zuckerberg's machine is now in charge of Pennsylvania elections. My friend, let me tell you, Rory, they are aiming to steal the U.S. Senate seat in Pennsylvania because we're this close to taking over the Senate. We're, we're going to take that, the House. It's not even really much of a question. But the Democrats, if they pull some of the same stuff they pulled in 2020, they can win. They can hold the Senate maybe by a vote. Or I'm sorry, maybe by a seat, right? And I think the one they'll try to steal is Pennsylvania. And it's really something going on terribly wrong. I mean, I'm working right now with Dave Bossy trying to get a big screening of his movie up in uh, up in Pennsylvania uh, in the next couple of weeks. I think Bossy's movie is going to move the needle for this nation and, and try to eliminate some of this ballot chicanery. Yeah, and ballot harvesting is going on all over the place. I'm seeing videos and... How do we justify and, and how, how aren't people in jail for the stopping of counting of votes on election night? All these random ballots come out of the back of vans. I mean, you have people that were overseeing s saying stop the count. I mean, it, it just goes on and on with election fraud. And a lot of these systems were, um, were twisting the vote. Somebody would select who they wanted to vote for and then it would go to somebody else. I mean, there's a lot of different variables that factor into this. You understand it's really, uh, there's a baseline. People need to understand that we live in Russia. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Do you think that uh, what they did to my family and a dozen plus other families, what they did to Paul Manafort and Roger Stone, Carter Page, what they did to uh, even um, uh, Papadopoulos, all these other, what they did to destroy us is yeah. legal? It's not legal. Did, no. Will Hillary Clinton go to jail for designing this? Because mind you, Hillary Clinton was managing it. She will not yeah. do it to because it, we don't it, have a justice system in this country, right? Hunter Biden, his laptop completely ignored by the media because they knew it was real, but a bunch of 50 different fraudulent in, in, intelligence community experts said it was Russian disinformation. We now know it wasn't. We knew then it wasn't. But why isn't Hunter Biden going on trial? Because we don't have a justice system in this country. You understand each and every one of these terrible things that are going on is because our justice system is broken. It's shattered into a million pieces, a million pieces. Why are, 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 are none of these uh, crimes that were committed during the elections of 2020 being prosecuted? We don't have a justice system. And the media is out there calling it the big lie. I mean, it's it's just, a, you know, a script. I know the script. You know the script. It was the same script that said Hunter Biden's laptop was a Russian disinformation program. It's the same script that talked about Russian collusion. We don't have a, a justice system in this country. That's why they're getting away with it. That's why the rigged film is so important. That's why uh, Doug McClinko's work in Pennsylvania with BallotSecurityNow.org is so important. If you don't shine a light on the cockroaches, they will never crawl away. Because we live in Russia, my friend. We talk about Russia as a terrible place where elections are stolen and, and it's, a, it's a, a, a cult of the personality with Vladimir Putin. I beg you to tell me how we're different. Because we're not. And Michael, it's a tragedy, and it, and it's it's absolutely disgraceful what they put you, your family, and all your friends through with this fake Russia investigation. And for years, they led the public on and on, saying it's real. 
it, it's real. Facts are coming out. And then in the end, it turns out to be completely fabricated, originated by Hillary Clinton and her and her campaign and her people. And there's nobody in jail. There's no accountability. Biggest double standard on earth. If that was a Republican that did that, they would be crucified and they would be in jail for the rest of their life. And, it, you know, I mean, look at what they did to Nixon for doing something so minor compared to what a, a lot of these elected officials do today and nothing happened. I mean, it's, it's, it's you're crazy. absolutely right. Roy, you know, what happened to my family, my and wife. look at what they did to General Petraeus. I mean, I could go on and on about little tiny examples of people that just had their lives ruined. And you have other people like Hillary and Comey and Rosenstein and McCabe that are just out there walking free, getting media gigs and getting paid. Crazy. Those three names you just read yeah. should all be in jail. Yes. In a real uh, justice-driven democracy, they would be in jail. Yes. You know they would be. What they did to my family, they did to a dozen plus other families. My yeah. wife begs me not to do media now. You know, I was a commentator on CNN during the 2016, 2017, 2018 timeframe. And every time I was on the TV, I got death threats. I've had four people arrested for it. We had thirty-five-year-old man who was who was harassing my seven-year-old daughter for three weeks, and they let him go. They let him go. The judge just let him go. I had a guy arrested for harassing my family four four weeks ago. No, three weeks ago. He doesn't even know where we live. I, I, I you know, I didn't tell you where I live. Nobody can find me. We, I, I'm in self-imposed. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, witness protection. I live in Florida, but you know, you're not going to find me in Florida, right? And if you do, they, I, you know, I don't go on the media anymore. Rory, yours is one of the first podcasts I've done. I'm doing it because I'm, I'm concerned about things in this country. My wife has begged me not to go back on CNN, Fox. Uh, but she says now when we see what's going on with Ukraine that she wants me to speak out. And, and I'm willing to do it. I'm glad to be on your show to do it. I, I enjoy your show. My, my friend Kirk Bell, who's been a guest on your show, is a big Love fan. Him really advised me to do it. I appreciate you letting me be heard. Yeah, absolutely. I want to shift topics just a little bit. You were part of Operation Warp Speed. You know, you got the vaccines out there. You know, you you and Trump really, you know, helped um, speed up the process. You know, you know, pharmaceuticals and other companies were saying it would take years. But the way you guys did it, it was the real deal. Explain that it to was, the audience. I know that's a big accomplishment for you guys. It was. You know, I was along for the ride. I, I was a senior staffer as an assistant secretary. I was, you know, I think probably like badge number four at Operation Warp Speed, but it was all Donald Trump. You know, it was what we called an urgency process. We knew if we just let the vaccines and the treatments, by the way, it was a big part of Operation Warp Speed, the treatments. Yes. Uh, and Donald Trump wanted us to focus as much on treatments as we did vaccines. Um right. It, it, they wanted to just put, put them through the regular bureaucratic process and that they we would still not have a vaccine in this country. We certainly wouldn't have any treatments if we were just waiting on the regular process. Donald Trump took it outside of uh, the, the bureaucratic process and put it in Operation Warp Speed, a brilliant move on his part. And then he staffed it with military, not bureaucrats, with military. And then he put a brilliant scientist from outside the government in charge, not a bureaucrat, uh, you know, and, and time and time again, I, I, I was fortunate to be there at the founding. Um, I actually chose the name Operation Warp Speed. And uh, it, it was a it was a really I'm proud of all of that. I mean, and and, and as as you know, uh, unfortunately, I got taken out by throat cancer. 
uh, in late September of 2020, before the election, I was in my, guys, practically my deathbed by the time the election came around. And I was damn near dying uh, by the time uh, the, the, the turn of, uh, of the presidency came. But, you know, I was first in line to get a vaccine because I, uh, I, I was immune compromised. I, I you know, I, I didn't know I was immune compromised at that time, but I had cancer. So they wanted me to get the vaccine. I was one of the first ones. I got the first shot, the second shot, then waited six months for the booster. I was one of the first ones in Florida to get a booster. And I transferred after getting better, no more cancer. I transferred my care down from New York uh, to uh, a great cancer hospital in, in Florida. And I went to get my first um, my first appointment there. They had me go through blood panels, you know, scans in the MRI machine. That was awful. And uh, and I sat there with my doctor. She said, "Well, your iron is this, and your thyroid is that, and your your vitamin D is this." And she said, "But and you have zero COVID antibodies." I looked at her. I said, "She said, well, you clearly haven't been vaccinated." I said, "I've been vaccinated three times." I'm a founder of Operation Warp Speed. What do you mean I have no COVID antibodies? She said, well, clearly uh, the, the treatments, chemotherapy and radiation, I had 35 radiation treatments on my throat. I'm lucky I even have a voice. And she said that it destroyed my immune system. I don't, I'm, uh, un, I'm unable to build immunities through a vaccine, vaccination process. She said, well, you're clearly going to get COVID. And when you do, you're going to get very sick because you're immune compromised now. We know that. So you got to go to the hospital immediately. Look, I came down to Florida because Ron DeSantis is the governor. I sat in on a lot of those governor calls, probably two thirds of them with, with the president on, with the secretary on, with the vice president on, listen to all the governors. The only governor out of 50 of them that I heard who knew half of what he was doing was Ron DeSantis. So one of the reasons we came down here besides to be safe from Antifa and out of the way, out of harm's way from all the crazy leftist violence, yeah. uh, is because Ron DeSantis knows how to deal with COVID. He knows how to deal with a pandemic. Yeah. And when I told uh, DeSantis's people that I had zero COVID antibodies and that I was going to get very sick, DeSantis is uh, one of his staff members from uh, the Surgeon General's office, a great Surgeon General down here named Ladapo, an incredible man. They said the the the. The FDA just gave an emergency use authorization to a monoclonal antibody called Evusheld. They're only giving it to immune compromised people because it is a prophylactic for immune compromised people. A monoclonal antibody is a treatment, but this one is, it actually keeps you from getting COVID, right? So I went and got in line and I got it. And two weeks later, my entire family got COVID. I didn't. I'm fine. I'm living with COVID uh, as a, uh, it's not a pandemic. I guess it's more of an endemic now. We're going to have spikes over the summer. But we all have to learn how to live with this. Like we live with influenza. It's not going to go away. In our family, we live by some rules here. You know, my kids don't mask at school, but I wear a mask in mass because there are a thousand people in our cathedral for, ma for mass. I'm immune compromised. I don't care if anybody else around me wears a mask. I wear a mask on a plane. I go to a restaurant, I go to class because I'm in a theology program now. I don't wear a mask. I don't, you know, I don't wear a mask to the to the shopping, you know, for grocery shopping. But we live carefully. And the one thing we do, Roy, that most people don't do, and it's a shame, is I spend a lot of time in the sun. I'm from Buffalo, 
So we, we you know, had two seasons in Buffalo, winter and, and July 12th. Very, right? very true. But, you know, uh, people who live up in that area don't have the advantage we do in Florida. When you get sun, your body makes vitamin D. You can take vitamin D supplements, and I supplement very heavily, but vitamin D supplements aren't anywhere near, you know, 15, 20 minutes on your on your bare chest or your, your bare back. I go out in the sun every single day because, you know, what is it? Genesis 1-3, uh, God created this, the light and it was good. Dude, it's good and it's good for you. We know this from Operation Warp Speed and from the, from the uh, COVID task force. Yeah. Those people who have low levels of D, in, insufficient D in their system, are more likely to get COVID. And if you get COVID, you're more likely to get really sick. If you have high levels of D, sufficient levels of D, you're less likely to get COVID. And you're, you're very likely to have a good outcome if you do get COVID. And I knew that was true, Rory. I knew there was a key to this. When I saw some of the scientists uh, at, you know, out of the bureaucracy, who, whenever somebody talked about, um, about vitamin D, they would roll their eyes like, oh, another vitamin D guy, right? Vitamin D is important. It's from my perspective, if we're gonna live with this endemic virus, and by the way, there are gonna be more, and they're probably gonna come from labs, most likely in China. There are going to be more. This is only the first one. There's yeah, going to yeah. be more. There will probably be bioweapons out of, out of Russia. Who knows? There are going to be more. We need to learn how to live with virus, live in what we call an endemic, not a pandemic. Remember, with, with COVID, not a lot of people die. It's a very small percent. And children barely even get sick. My kids had it for a couple of days, right? Yeah. I was careful to stay away from them. I was careful to, 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 to get in the sun every single day. Vitamin D is so important to living with this virus. And if, if, you, if you get out in the sun this summer, we're going to have a spike. Right now, we're headed toward a spike. And most of the scientists I trust, yeah. like, uh, Dr. Bob Redfield, who, who Donald Trump appointed to head up the CDC, he's a brilliant man. He expects a spike right now. I talk to these scientists still today. During this summer spike, Get out in the sun. Eat right. Lose weight. Let me tell you something, Roy. My cancer, you probably don't recognize me from my photos. I lost over 100 pounds. Wow. I'm not gaining it back, my friend. I don't have to be fat. One way to stay away from COVID is don't be fat, right? Yeah. That's yeah. it. I mean, live yeah. better. Eat better. Get out in the sun. And we'll all be fine. Yeah, so, believe it. Also, by the way, if you want to get a vaccine, I wanted a vaccine. I got a vaccine. If you and your doctor agree you need to get a vaccine, go get one. I'm not saying don't get a vaccine, that vitamin D is some kind of a vaccine. But a, a part of your own personal care regimen needs to be getting out in the sun. Because if it's you don't, you're more likely absolutely. to get it. It's absolutely true. And I, I live in Palm Springs, California. So it's very sunny here. You know, I work out every day. I stay on a healthy schedule a good diet plan. But, you know, a few years ago, I used to be almost 100 pounds overweight. So, you know, really? it, you know, I definitely changed my whole way of life. And, you know, I, um, the way? I quit drinking and uh, I stopped eating all the fast food junk and all that nonsense that I was yeah. putting into my body that didn't didn't belong there. So I, I don't just, recommend my diet. I, I, I was on a liquid diet for five months. I lost 100 pounds in five months. 
Uh, and by the end, at the, at the end, I don't think you probably went through this. You probably did it in a very smart way. I don't recommend the cancer diet, but I went through what they call radical muscular atrophy. Muscular atrophy can cause you to, to hallucinate. And I was, let me tell you something, 400 plus Grateful Dead shows, I know from hallucinations, right? Yeah. These were not the fun kind. These were like, I mean, really more than anything else, I saw birds everywhere out of the corner of my eye in the bathroom, you know, while I'm doing my business, there's a bird, you know, but sometimes they were dragons. It was the most horrific experience of my life. For about three weeks, I was hallucinating. Yeah. Um, so I don't recommend the diet, but I don't have to be fat. I'm going to stay skinny. I went through that kind of a uh, weight loss. It was horrible. Uh, I'm going to, I earned it. I'm key, I'm staying skinny. Right. Yeah. And, my, and Michael, and I'll, and I'll tell you, I know exactly what you're talking about because I would fast a lot and I would also eat like one meal a day. So there would be times where I'd start hallucinating, you know, I'd get weak in the body because, you know, I was running a lot and I was eating one meal a day and I, I was just very, very dedicated to fitness and getting back into shape. And I'm, you know, nowadays it's impossible to gain weight for me. And people always tell me, oh, you poor thing. You have it so hard. You can't gain weight because obviously a lot of people are trying to lose weight and it's hard for a lot of people. But, you know, I, uh, I like I like to stay disciplined, though. So it's nice. It is. You know, my my thing is I was on a liquid diet for five months. Yeah. Um, which was awful because I couldn't swallow. When you get radiation as much as I did, I mean, across 50 days every weekday, a, a session of radiation, I, 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 you know, it's the it's the intersection of your your breath, your swallow, your 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 ingestion of food. It's the intersection of your entire life. It's right here, right? And then they shut it down. You know, right. I mean, I had about this much. I had like the width of a pencil uh, open in my throat. And and for about three weeks, I was getting uh, I would fall asleep and I couldn't lay down because the mucus would come into that little hole in my throat. I would fall asleep bare, you know, for a minute. I eventually fall asleep. I, I would be asleep for nine minutes and then I'd wake up drowning in my own spit. And I had a machine that they gave me to suck it out of my throat. And then I would calm down because when you when you wake up like that, your heart goes a million miles a minute. And then eventually you cool off, you slow down, you fall asleep. And then nine minutes later, you're drowning in your own spit. That went on for three weeks. So you can imagine how, at one point I just wanted to die. But and for, you told, and for, you told me doctors said you weren't gonna make it and you overcame the odds. You know, you overcame. Well, you know, I, I think, at one point, I just decided to die. Um, I, it was a bad move, but I was, you know, in the midst of terrible uh, treatment. Sometimes the treatments are worse than the disease, right? But I'm cancer-free now, so it was all worth it. But I stopped eating, I stopped drinking, and it was right before Thanksgiving of 2020. And my wife put me in the cancer center in the hospital. Uh, basically, they forced, you know, they fed me through my, you know, through tubes. And they saved my life. I mean, honestly, I, I I had a I had a little meeting with God in that hospital room. Um, I had a I was asleep for like twenty hours because I hadn't slept right uh, for weeks, you know, uh, because of that drowning, wake up, sleeping, drowning, wake up, sleeping cycle that I went through. It'll drive it nuts, right? And I just wanted to die. And I had this dream, dude. It was crazy. I uh, I fell asleep. I was asleep for most of a day. On Thanksgiving Day, I had this dream 
where me and all my daughters, I have three daughters and my wife were sitting on a picnic uh, blanket in like the sound of music meadow, you know, it was beautiful green. And I heard music in the background and uh, we're sitting there laughing, not talking. There was an unopened picnic basket on the blanket and um, we're just laughing. And then the sun came down onto the blanket, right? And just sat there. And my littlest daughter, Leah, she's, uh, she's our troublemaker. She reached out and she poked the sun and the sun went woo like that and expanded and everybody disappeared but me and the sun. And uh, I looked at it. I remember not being afraid, but worried. I remember being worried that, that maybe Leah had burned her finger, but that was the only thing I was afraid of. And, and then the sun, it spoke to me and it said, get up, get dressed. Right. And I just looked. You know, like, what do you mean? And the sound, the music got louder. Yeah. And it, and it, and it said, get up. Get, it wasn't like, get up. Get, it was just like, get up, get dressed. It's about four or five times that happened. And the music is playing. Um, and then I woke up and I was standing next to my bed. I had been in bed for 20 hours. I was standing next to my bed. I walked over with the machine, you know, wheeled it with me over to the chair. It was five in the morning. It was too early to call my wife. And I sat in the chair and I watched the sun come up. And I knew uh, dying was not the answer. Somehow it just happened, you know. And now, I'm, you know, I've got a lot of questions like, why didn't they put me in prison? I had a good lawyer, cost a lot of money, but why didn't they succeed, right? I mean, I was the only person in the Trump knew who knew Trump and Putin. Why didn't they get me? I have no idea. Yeah. Why, why didn't I die? Uh, from uh, cancer. I, I have a lot of questions. I mean, that's why I'm in this master's program for theology now, because, you know, you get your answers from your faith, I guess. You know, I'm not really preachy about it, but, right. you know, when I go to class, I get answers. And, you know, in the end, you know, I think what we all need answers to really simple questions. You know, my question was, you know, what's next? And I, I, I honestly don't know. I don't know what's next for me. Right. I don't know what's next for this country. I know one thing for sure, my friend. Yeah. It ain't cancer. Well, I'm I'm glad you beat it. I I love your spirit. You know, you have determination like no other, and and you're just you know you're a warrior, man. You're 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 as tough as nails. I wanna I wanna shift topics a little bit. You mentioned that they came after your family. You had death threats. You had antifa you had you know different radical uh, leftist groups uh, you know um all that stuff but explain that to, to the audience because mm -hmm. a lot of people have gone through that and it's, mm -hmm. it's really terrifying the doxing is really becoming a new trend in our society and it, it's the most intrusive sort of invading boundaries that you could ever even think of well, I come from the public relations world, and, and I spent a lot of time promoting candidates, companies, products, you know, litigation, yeah. things like that. And, uh, and so my, my addresses and phone numbers are out there. I published probably over a thousand press releases on behalf of you know, clients, and on there was my cell phone. And in PR, you don't change your phone because the reporters won't call you, right? And so when all this went down with Russia, the Russia Gate stuff, um, uh, everybody had my number. So they started threatening me. Everybody knew my address. So they started threatening me. I remember my friend, I'll tell you something, but most yeah. people don't know. Um, uh, January 20th, 
my wife and I were dancing at the inaugural ball 2017, just a few feet away from Donald Trump and the first lady, you know, a Ukrainian citizen still at the time, we would have been together for many years. Um, it must've felt surreal for her to be dancing next to the president of the United States. And one month later on February 20th, 2017, my wife got her citizenship. It was probably the happiest day of my life to actually, that, that's, that ceremony, the citizenship ceremony is really inspiring and to see your own wife go through it. And she had a little flag and she was so happy. I remember that day, it was a great day. And then March 20th, I'm overseas uh, on business and uh, Jackie Spear, a Democrat Congresswoman from California, um, yeah. Was, was speaking live on television at a House intelligence hearing with James Comey, the FBI director. And she started talking about me like I was a spy. And she started talking about my wife like she was a spy. This is the first time we ever heard all this crap about Russian collusion. She alleged basically that I was somehow Putin's image maker, she called me. Ridiculous. If she knew anything about Russia at all, she would know I worked for the previous president and they didn't get along all that well. In fact, Putin basically kicked Boris Yeltsin out of the presidential seat, right? But somehow my, my name came up and she asked Comey, what do you think of Michael Caputo? And I think she said, and his wife. And James Comey, instead of saying, of course, there's nothing to this, he said, I can't answer anything about American person. And our life went like into the toilet that day. The, the harassment started that day. I, I was overseas and I got a telephone call from a guy, three calls. And the third one, he said, I know you're, oh, you're away on business and your children are home alone with your wife. We're going to burn your house down with them inside. That was the first day of harassment and it never, ever changed. It hasn't changed today. I mean, although they don't know where I am and they, they don't know my phone number, um, I had a guy arrested just a couple of weeks ago. He was emailing me every day for nine months talking about my death. And then when it turned to my father's death and I found out that he lived just about three miles from my father, I had to have him arrested. You know, there, you know, people on Twitter, Twitter's a cesspool, as you know, um, but there's, there are people on Twitter, uh, there's a woman on Twitter, crazy as a loon, uh, who said that my daughters should be raped by Jeffrey Epstein. She said it three times. By the way, Twitter won't delete those tweets. My daughters, who at the time were six and eight, I guess. What? And then that's what I'm, that, that's the double standard too. I mean, it's like mm. the, the far um, left can say certain things and they won't get punished on social media. They don't get through. The, the judges won't do anything. Yeah, the judges in my hometown won't do anything. My former hometown, I left because I'll tell you what, you do that stuff in Florida, in Ron DeSantis's Florida, you go to jail. You go to jail in this in this state. You know, I was afraid somebody was going to break in my house at night. I carried a gun everywhere I went in New York. I had a concealed carry permit. But you shoot somebody who's coming after you in your own home, you go to jail. Somebody comes after me in my house here in Florida, now I'm not the one that's going to go to jail, and they ain't going to make it home, right? Because in Florida, they understand the, the right, you know, with the castle doctrine, you know, yeah. in, in, in New York, the guy, the homeowner goes to jail. So I, I, I got to tell you, this is something that Carter Page goes through, that uh, J.D. Gordon goes through, Paul Manafort, God bless him, goes through. Roger Stone gets so much of it because he refuses to 
to quiet down. I understand that Roger Stone is, uh, you know, unintimidatable. He goes through it. He gets braced on the street constantly. You know, all of us go through it. It's never going to stop until, listen, I don't know why our country is this way. They try to blame Donald Trump. Donald Trump's not the reason this is happening. The, the problem is that the, the most disordered people in our country are now front and center, especially on the left. You see it all the time. And there's really nothing we can do about it. You know, if we try to fight it off, um, we're violent, right? Uh, let me tell you something. Mark my words, my friend. When we take over the House, and if we're able uh, to keep them from cheating on the Senate, because like I said, cheating on House races is more difficult than cheating on the Senate races. Because if you understand, for example, Pennsylvania, they, 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 they manipulated the state results of Pennsylvania by stealing it in, 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 uh, in Philadelphia, where they've been stuffing ballot boxes for generations, right? Stealing it in Pennsylvania offsets all the vote in the entire state. Right. So then the state goes blue, just like it did unusually with 200,000 mysterious votes uh, in the 2020 election. They can do that for a senator as well because it's a statewide election. So, you know, when that happens, if we if we're able to take the House and we're able to protect ourselves and take the Senate, the violence is you, it's going to happen again. You think the summer of 2020 was bloody? Wait till the, the late fall early winter of 2022. It's gonna get much worse because these same people, the, dis the most disordered people in the country who were able to go out and burn down police uh, uh, precincts and light courtrooms on fire and take over entire you know, neighborhoods you know, in, in, in major cities, uh, these same people, they, they haven't been allowed to do anything lately. They're going to be let loose again. It's going to be much worse. They had so much pent up anger because they're they're disordered people. What happens in November is going to make November 22 is going to make the summer of 2020 look like a walk in the park, my friend. Yeah, no, I hear you. And I um, I want to mention, you know, kind of shift topics a little bit. You know, working with Trump on a daily basis and, and knowing him as long as you have, you know, going back to the 80s and working with him, what, what's it like? I mean, you know, he seems like just a, an amazing person to be around, just a blast and just a, just a fun all-around guy and just a, a real just, you know, comedian. I mean, just – and just very straight to the point, very direct, very, very you know, from the heart, as genuine, authentic as they come. I, I, can, I can tell. I mean, you know, they're – the, the unfiltered uh, things, you know, I, I, I enjoy, but I can see how some people get rubbed the wrong way sometimes. But I but, you know, it's better to be real than be fake, in my opinion. So I, I appreciate that. Here's the thing. And I think you, you captured him pretty well. Your, your interpretation of him is is spot on. Um, Donald Trump is not the cartoon that the left is painted of him. Right. You know, they, they call him a failure. The guy's an immense success in business. Oh, he's been, he's, uh, you know, been bankrupt. While everybody else is playing checkers. I mean, in, in a it's business not, sense, in a, in a strategy no, no, sense. It's not, is he playing 3D chess? Probably not. Is he playing 2D chess? Most definitely. And, buddy, you, you want to play checkers with him? He will bowl you right over. The, Donald Trump is a force of nature. He's also kind. Um, uh, the, you know, he's so nice to my daughters. 
Um, he, he's a real blessing to be around. I can't buy a meal at Mar-a-Lago. Every time he sees me, he buys me dinner. And it's not like he's, you know, he, he counts his pennies. Let me tell you something. That's why he was so uh, great as president of the United States in many ways. You know, he's, he, he husbands his resources and he guards the American taxpayers' money like it's his own. But you don't mess with Donald Trump either. You don't steal from Donald Trump, by the way. I've watched him deal with uh, construction outfits, vendors uh, that were involved in, you know, some of his buildings or some of his hotels, putting in tile, ripping them off. And he, he never forgets it. He's got the memory of an elephant. And, you know, the last person, you know, Donald Trump's, decision making uh people say uh you know that he's not you know his personnel decisions were wrong etc cetera, etc cetera. donald trump is a trusting person uh people find that a fault you know a flaw i don't i mean donald trump wants to believe in the good things about america the good things about people and the last you know he takes his own counsel on decisions and it might not be conservative it might not be republican it might not be what mitch mcconnell wants him to do but Donald Trump does what he thinks is right. I, I, I really like the man a lot. I always have. I mean, I remember meeting him. I think I was 26. I picked him up at the airport in, a, in one of black Manafort and Stone's cars. I think it was then. Anyway, uh, uh, he was just so nice to me, like I was one of his friends. You get on an elevator with him in, in Trump Tower. He knew the name of the Latino uh, uh, elevator operator. You get on that same elevator with that guy when the president wasn't on, or the that time, you know, Donald Trump, the CEO, wasn't on. That guy couldn't do anything but talk about how great of a person he was. People who know Donald Trump outside of this horrible environment, they love him unless they lose to him. When they lose to him, they make up stories like his niece, like his biographer, all these people who he decided weren't worth his time. They, they tell false stories about him. He's not the cartoon that people make him out to be. He's a kind soul. He's good to people. And in the end, he loves America. Um, is he gonna run for re-election? He tells me, like he tells everybody else, Michael, you're gonna be happy. I worry about him because they've tried everything to stop him, except one thing, you know, what the, the terrible, most disordered, most ridiculous deep state people will do to stop a president of the United States, the violence they'll take on, on him alone. I don't want that for him. I, I know the Secret Service who are around him. By the way, the Secret Service who are around him, they love him. They protect him like their own brother, right? But I worry for his safety in, 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 in 2024. Um, if he runs, I'm absolutely behind him 100%. But I think he, I wish he would stay he would take time to be happy. People have been so bad to him. He deserves to be happy. And if running for, for election again makes him happy, God bless him. And isn't it fascinating how all these celebrities and all these athletes and all these people used to admire him, you know, worship him, put, put you know, him in movies and their songs. And then the election comes around in 2016 and everybody turns on him. It just goes to show how much power and influence the media truly has with brainwashing and really, you know, uh, being good at a certain narrative. I mean, if they want to turn somebody into a villain, they'll do it. And uh, I got a great story. I was in uh, I was in his office in, I guess, 2013 in Trump Tower. 
And uh, and I, I you know, I, I he and I, we just talk. I, I'm not intimidated by people in power. You know, Donald Trump's a little bit more intimidating than your average guy, but. You know, we are very frank with We're each other. Intimi intimidating in the sense that he's this straight to the point, no bullshit. Like in a good. He's also way. larger than life, man. I mean, you're right. in front of a guy right. who's larger than life. It makes you feel small. It just does, right? But we are right. pretty frank with each other. I think he liked the fact that I was frank with him, and I'm sitting in his office talking to him, and then he looks up from his desk like this, and he says, "Hey, Neil," and I turn around, and it's Neil Young, Neil freaking Young. You know, who I, I love his music. And I turned around and, and the president, Mr. Trump, then said, Neil, Mike, Mike, Neil. And I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I couldn't even speak to Neil Young, right? And Neil was there and he's like, hi, ah, he's laughing. And Donald Trump said, he sits here and tells me all the crap he wants to tell me. He can't even say a word to you. What's that about, right? So I'm sitting there and Neil Young sat there and asked him, I think it was for $3 million. He asked Donald Trump, the businessman, for a $3 million investment on this terrible streaming service he had called Pono or something like that. And, and Trump, ah, oh, maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't. He doesn't say no to you, He'll, you know, his, his accountants will say no to you, right? So right. Young comes in, asks the guy for a couple million bucks. They're pals, Donald Trump went to his concert that night, I guess, and was backstage, right? And then when he runs for president, what does Neil Young do? calls him out, calls him all kinds of names. I'm here to tell you Donald Trump is fine to ask him for millions of dollars. Right. Neil Young, is, listen, you, if you look at polling, Rory, you'll find that about 1.7% of Americans will say that a, a celebrity or a sports figure helped them make up their minds on public policy issues. They have zero influence. They do, but they can't help themselves, right? right. But, you know, it's, what's also funny is that Donald Trump, he's not mean to Neil Young now. I mean, uh, my, I'm, I'm a, a founder of this new Spanish language conservative TV and radio network called Americano Media. And um, uh, we had a, a, one of our hosts interviewed the president last week, right? And, uh, and he, she asked him about, I think the guy's name is David Ortiz, who is just uh, uh, drummed into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Of course, right? Boston Red Sox. Yeah, Big Poppy, yeah. Big Poppy. And uh, she said, hey, you know, and, you know, he's a Puerto Rican guy. We're a Hispanic network. She said, what do you think about Big Poppy being brought into the Baseball Hall of Fame? And Donald Trump said, ah, he's he's a great player. He deserves it. It's great for the people of Puerto Rico. Another great legacy being honored. Uh, he's a great player. God bless him. Congratulations. Do you remember what Big Poppy did, my friend, when he was invited to the White House? He turned it down. He, he said he would never be around Donald Trump, ever, right? right? He, he tweeted out a picture of him with Obama on the day he was supposed to be with Trump and the rest of his team, right? Donald Trump doesn't care about that. He wished him well. He wishes Neil Young well. But these little pricks can't get over themselves. And that's, an, and that's another thing I really respect and adore and admire about Trump is that even if you you know, have had a confrontation with him in the past or anybody has, he's willing to resolve it. He's willing to say water under the bridge. You know, I'm not going to hold a grudge against you. You know, let, like he, he lives, he lives his life, you know, by the motto life short. You know, I, I strongly believe that he is that easygoing and you know, it's, these stories are lovely to hear and it really sounds like he does have a heart of gold. And if you are his friend, he will do whatever, he can to help. I mean, I, I believe he is the type that is is, is the loyal 
uh, loyalty to the max. You know, we'll give the shirt off of his back um, to somebody that he cares about. When he heard I had cancer, he called me up and uh, he, he's like, are you going to be all right? I said, I don't know. They think it might have gone to my brain. I'm not sure. And, uh, I, you know, maybe I shouldn't talk about this, but he got really upset on the phone. And he yeah. said, Michael, look what they did to you. Look what they did to you. He said, look what they did to you. The Russian investigations, all of this. They've, they've driven you to cancer. Look what they've done to you. You need to live through this. He was upset. I've never heard him like that. I've never seen him like that. And and uh, I think people don't understand that the man is as human as the rest of us. Yeah. And uh, when I when I got past my cancer, I got my no evidence of disease diagnosis. Um, he was he was really kind and, and very pleased. And I just saw him a couple of weeks ago. I had my birthday party at uh, at Mar-a-Lago, and he was very. Oh, yeah. nice. <laughs> it was fun. It was fun. You know, Mar-a-Lago is a great place, man. I, I it's way above my pay grade, but. You know, I'm, when we when I went there, another great story. Um, I was getting ready to go to uh, Mar-a-Lago to celebrate my my diagnosis in April of 2021, and uh, somebody from Mar-a-Lago called me and said, uh, "Are you able to eat regular things?" I said, "Well, I have problems, you know, swallowing. I still do, but back then I was still drinking those awful boost shakes for five months. I've drank, but I I can eat some things." And they said, what do you eat? I said, well, I really can't taste anything. They blasted my mouth with this radiation. What can you eat and what can you taste? I said, well, funny, but I can taste oysters. You know, I never lost that. I could always taste oysters and they slide right down my throat so I can actually eat them, taste them and eat them. But, you know, the, and the woman on the phone, okay, well, Mr. Caputo, we look forward to seeing you. We show up for dinner and there were seven oyster stations. Seven different oyster stations. I'm, I didn't ask him. I'm pretty sure he made sure I had as many oysters as I could eat. <laughs> That's just the kind of guy he is. He wants he to is. Sure. It just, I, anybody who knows him well or, or, or knows him, uh, you know, just a little bit, uh, as long as they're kind to him, he's, he's more than kind to you. And when you saw him, did you say you saw him a couple weeks ago as well at Mar-a-Lago? Or how, how was he that? looks good. He looks good. He's lost some weight. Got a lot of energy. Um, and uh, I tell you, when he did his interview with our TV network, Americano Media, yeah. um, any of your Spanish language viewers want to hear some good conservative radio and television, it's on Sirius XM on channel 153, I think it is. Yeah. Um, he sounded like he might be running. He's, he told our, our host, he said, I like he tells, he says, I think you're going to be happy. I think you're going to be happy. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. So, so let me let me ask you this. <clears throat> you know, there there is that you know debate going around whether it will be DeSantis or Trump. But you know, I my theory on this is DeSantis will finish his term as governor, and Trump will you know close out the the, the four years and you know have that you know full you know eight years of of presidency to finish what he started. I believe he needs to get the job done. And I believe that his legacy is still uh, lots of unfinished business. I agree. You know, um, I'm a big supporter of DeSantis as well. I don't want him to leave as governor. He's got a lot to right. do in Florida. I think he likes his job. He's so good at it. I mean, what he's done with Disney has been amazing. And yeah. what he's done with COVID, he's, you know, people call him death Santis. It's, it's outrageous. He saved so many lives. Let me tell you something. The reason I'm okay 
is Ron DeSantis, right? I know that my family and I know that the way that we're living with this pandemic, we could never do in another state. I, you know, it just, it couldn't happen. Our kids are happy in school without masks. You know, uh, we're living a normal life here, and it's because of Ron DeSantis. I don't think, I never asked him, but I can't believe from what I know of Ron DeSantis and his staff that he would run against Donald Trump. I would never believe it. But if Donald Trump doesn't run, you look at the tea leaves on this, you know, he's a young man, DeSantis, he could wait. But if somebody else runs and wins, and you know, this whole Biden administration makes it almost a, a fait accompli that a Republican will win the presidency, right. um, some of the comedians who are talking about running on the Democrat side, holy gosh, I, I don't know that De DeSantis would be able to uh, avoid, you know. Yeah, if the, the only other person that I, you know, the person I would trust and the person that I think is the most accurate and consistent at this point in D.C., would be like a Josh Hawley. I mean, he's yeah. always he's always stood up for us, for America first, for big tech. You know, he's always been on the president's side. You know, I, I believe he would be um, one of the guys. But I, I think I really think Trump will finish what he started. I really do. I, I think you're probably right. I, I think, but I'll tell you this. Um, I tried to run him for governor, and uh, and boy, he liked playing that along. Uh, he people would be like, "Oh, you're gonna run?" He's like, "Yeah, you know, maybe, maybe not. I don't know." You know, he he loves making people wait. He loves the kind of anticipation game, and uh, uh, so I, I don't think we're gonna know until well after the the uh, the midterms. Um, but I think he wants to. Here's the thing that I know about Donald Trump uh, from his days in the private sector. You don't steal from Donald Trump. Right. You just don't. And, and I think that, you know, I don't want to make that sound like a small thing. Uh, uh, befouling uh, the U.S. election system is, is uh, I think, a venal sin. The people who did it are going to hell. They're going to burn hell. I don't even think they have the option of... of 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 confession i think he's been going to hell for the, for eternity but, but in donald trump's case you just don't steal from him he will take it back from you that is the way he is that is the way he's been all of his life you steal from donald trump it's a temporary thing so looking at donald trump you know from the last 30 years to donald trump today i'd have to say he's running because you just don't steal from the man yeah, and we, we look at all the people that have stolen from him and people that have done him dirty, and uh, he's not one of those people that uh, just uh, goes off and pretend nothing ever happened. I mean, he, he he's out for payback. He, he, he definitely wants to win this thing. He wants to fix the system. He, he wants to expose all these rats, and, and, I, and I believe he'll succeed. I really do. And, and, I, and I, you know, I'm curious, what about his running mate? Who do you imagine that would be? I don't know. I and don't I, know. And I hope to God that he doesn't pick another Mike Pence establishment oh. clown because we need outsider, outsider, outsider. Nobody that's been involved with the D.C. swamp because we all know where that leads to. It leads to bad, um, you know, um, expert advice from his, you know, advisors. It, it leads to mixed communication errors. It leads to you know, just things that we don't want happening. We all, we, we all, I do, like, I do like Tim Scott, you know? Yeah. I don't think that he's been polluted by, uh, uh, you know, I don't think he's drank any swamp water, as they say. 
I like Tim Scott. I know the president likes Tim Scott. Uh, he he has lots of good things to say about him. Um, I think Tim Scott is is of the caliber as well. Um, I think it, if you look at, I've worked on many different presidential campaigns. You have to look at the calculus of states. Tim Scott's, you know, from a, a solid Southern state. It's something he brings to the table. You know, Donald Trump, um, you know, he could run with anybody from any Southern governor. I think an African-American conservative man is good. I think it's a strong uh, uh, showing. Uh, I would put my money on Tim Scott. Um, and I think Tim's got to do it, you know. What? Um, but I think a governor—I I don't know what governor. I, I don't. There's only one governor I like, uh, but uh, and I don't want him to take him from me. <laughs> well, let me ask you this: I, I've been floating this idea around, and I've been talking about it on my show, and I think it really carries a lot of merit, and I think it really uh, could do a lot of good. What about Elon Musk? I mean, look at all of the amazing things that he's doing for humanity. Look at how he's standing up for the most important, um, you know, thing facing our society right now, which is free speech. I mean, him and Donald Trump are, are on the same page in a lot of ways. Uh, they have become, you know, more of friends as of lately. Uh, I believe they are in contact, most likely. I, I don't know if they're in contact about him being his running mate, but, you know, just just about ideas in general. I you know, that's what I've heard. They have talked just, you know, on a business level and other things. But what do you think? I mean, just with where technology's headed, with how evolved we are as a society. And I, I just think he had Elon Musk has a fan base that is both sides of the political spectrum as well. So we could I believe that would bring many kinds of different voters to the table and they would see, wow, Elon Musk pairing with Donald Trump, the, the people that hate Donald Trump, they're going to be like, maybe Donald Trump isn't so bad after all. Well, I'll tell you this. I mean, people said the same thing about Tulsi Gabbard, right? Like Tulsi would bring, yeah. really shake things up. She'd bring people from both sides of the aisle. Uh, right. I don't know if the Republican Party would go for that. But um, Elon Musk, I, I like the guy. Um, I met him. I first met him backstage at a, at a, at a rat dog show, a Grateful Dead show. Um, oh, wow. And uh, Elon Musk is a deadhead. Uh, so I like that guy. Um, yeah. He's got good taste in music. He's also an authentic person very yeah. kind um yes. uh, i you know i when i saw him at the great at the, at the rat dog is a spin-off of the grateful dead it's a kind of jazzy combo put together by bob weir the, the lead singer of the grateful dead and he was backstage and i saw this fan come backstage and basically accost elon musk um he wasn't a, a, you know uh you know a recognizable figure then but this woman came up and just started jabbering his ear off she was clearly high as a kite right and Musk was just sitting there nice as could be. And it wasn't like he was trying to scoop her up or anything. You know, he was just nice. He seems like a really, really nice person. And from my perspective, more authentic uh, people in Washington, you can't go wrong with that. You know, at the same time, frankly, um, if you're talking, you know, your, your recipe, you know, somebody outside the swamp, outside the, uh, the pollution of Washington, uh, Musk certainly meets that. Uh, uh, kind of recipe. And, and, and if you're wondering if Donald Trump is talking to somebody who's interesting, my answer to you is if they're interesting, Donald Trump is talking to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. People. No Absolutely. Doubt. And I, yeah, think, I know I've heard him say very positive things about him. Um, I think it's very possible. I mean, look, would Donald Trump do something outside the box for his vice presidency after Mike Pence? You're damn right he would. 
Yeah, and and you know, he, here's here's the interesting thing um, in regards to Donald Trump. You know, I I strongly believe that you know he he will get um, these people back that did him wrong. You know, they they you know the first time around he learned you know, what, what he needed to learn. And now he knows the game better than ever, you know? And I I think there's a lot that's going to occur. That's going to maybe surprise some people. Well, look, let me tell you something. Uh, You look at Joe Biden and his age. uh, uh, He is incapable of the presidency. Uh, Donald Trump has, he's got, I don't know. It's, it's strange. It's like, he's gotten younger since he left the presidency. He's got more energy. Let me tell you something. You try and walk across an airport tarmac with that guy, you can't keep up with him. And uh, he looks good. He's lost some weight. He's he's the same guy. hasn't hasn't lost a step. In fact, I I think he's because he's able to rest and relax a little bit, and he has been for you know for for a year. You know, I think he's even more tanned, rested, and ready, as they say. Um, uh, You can't compare him to Joe Biden. Uh, or people of his age. Donald Trump, look, I, I don't want to say anything weird, but there's just some, like, I don't want to say superhuman, but there's something about Donald Trump that makes him singularly unique. He comes with more energy, more power, more uh, more focus than, than your average human being. Um, yeah. and, and they just can't take him down. Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely true. And, you know, uh, last thing before I let you go, I know you got to go here shortly, uh, but I love this interview. I could talk to you all day. You're a fascinating guy. You lived one hell of a life. And, you know, knowing President Trump as long as you have and, you know, l- being by his side on a daily basis with, you know, just business operations and campaign operations, it's just fascinating. But I, I really love how he opened the door for all these outsider candidates, you know, before the norm was go to Harvard, go to Yale, go, and then become a career-long politician. Now, on both sides of the aisle, Donald Trump really opened that door for people mm-hmm. to run. You know, and I think that's a, a a blessing in disguise that I don't think the left has really acknowledged enough. Well, I think it's true internationally too. I can tell you, without yeah. Donald Trump, there would be no Volodymyr Zelensky in, in Ukraine, and without yes. Volodymyr Zelensky, there would be no Ukraine today. Um, right. Uh, they they elected him a lot. I mean, tell you, I was there uh, at the time, um, and of course, I'm hearing about it from my wife during the whole time frame. Right, my uh, uh, people were talking about Zelensky as a possible uh, candidate and someone who could run the country because they said, "Well, look at Donald Trump in America. He brought all kinds of great people to the fore in the states and far, far away. Uh, he changed not just American politics but global politics." And uh, uh, if he chooses to run, he'll do more of it. I think yeah. that's why they're so damn afraid of him, because they know uh, they haven't seen the half of it. Right. Um, but if he doesn't choose to run, he still has made such fundamental changes in the world uh, that he will go down in history. Absolutely. Uh, Michael Caputo, I love having you with us. Tell everybody where they can find you, where they can connect with you, and the projects that you have coming up. Sure, I'm uh, on Twitter. Uh, I'm unfortunately a Twitter addict. Um, it sure beats heroin, but it's harder to get off than heroin. Um, nice. Michael R. Caputo, at Michael R. Caputo on Twitter. Um, I'm working now with Americano Media, americanomedia.com uh, for Spanish language conservative uh, radio and television networks. Uh, it's the only one. 
and we expect to have a pretty uh, profound impact on the, on the 22 and 24 elections. That's at americanomedia.com, and also there's an app uh, on the on your smartphone uh, for anyone Spanish language. It's it's really strong. 18 hours a day of original programming that's scaring the living daylights out of the left. Also, yeah. I'm I'm working on uh, ballot security now in Pennsylvania. Uh, keep your eye on Pennsylvania. You better watch the Senate races because what they did in 2020, they're going to try in 2022 because they have to maintain the control of the Senate. They already know they're going to lose the House, but they have not given up on the Senate. And in order to do it, they're going to steal it. So uh, those are my projects. I'm, I'm working hard on them. And uh, I'm, I'm listen, I'll tell you, after everything that we've all been through, Carter and uh, me and uh, Paul Manafort, Roger Stone, um, I'm living a pretty good life now. You know, I'm, I'm with my daughters and my and my wife, safe and sound in Ron DeSantis's Florida. And uh, I'll tell you what, life is pretty good. Will you guys all get the justice you deserve? You, Carter Page, Papadopoulos, you know, I mean, will that day ever come, do you think? You know, all, all you guys? No, no. Uh, we don't Even, have, have you, I mean, I'm sure you've attempted several lawsuits and they did, they don't really go anywhere. No, I mean, I'm watching Carter more than anything else and Carter who really deserves, uh, remuneration, what they did to him, what they did to me, they, 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 they just, you know, stayed just a little far enough back from, uh, uh, you know, liability and what they did to Paul, you know, Paul, I mean, I just saw him last week. I introduced him at a speech in Naples, Florida. Um, he's, he's so Zen. Uh, it's an amazing, yeah. it's amazing. Three years in prison, one year in solitary, and he's okay. And he got there, by the way, when he was in solitary, he told me uh, uh, they wouldn't give him anything to read. They gave him one book. Uh, that was the Bible. And I told him, I said, my class this semester is the New Testament. And Paul said, oh, wait till you get to the book of James. And I, th I thought, I just heard that from Paul May. I would never have expected him to talk to me about the Bible when I knew him. He was a master of the universe in Washington. The most, uh, uh, he was the, the, the biggest, the best political consultant in the world, you know, and now he's just Zen, you know. Roger Stone still being abused by the justice system. They're, they got him in a civil tax, you know, IRS suit just so they can harass him. Still dragging him through the crap on the January 6th stuff. Are we going to get justice? No, I don't think so. I don't think there is any justice left in this country. Um, the only way any of us will see justice in this country is if we elect a Republican president who's got the balls to clean out the Department of Justice, to clean out the FBI, to clean out the CIA, to clean out the DIA. And there's only one president I know that would do that. And, 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 and no, you're... You're, you're, you're right. You're right. And Michael, why do I have a feeling that it's about to get way more vicious and there, this is going to be a repeat and they're going to come after you guys again. When Trump announces he's running for reelection, I, I believe it, it, this is just going to, it's going to be a continuance. They're, they're not going to stop. They're going to continue to harass. And I believe they're going to get even more hostile and radical than they were before. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, that's why my wife is telling me that she wants me to stay out. My daughters want me to stay out. You know, I almost died, and uh, and they almost threw me in jail um, before I nearly died. Um, 
during the time I had cancer, I was uh, quarantined against my family. I had to live in the part of the house where they couldn't come. And my daughters would come to the door of my quarantine room and talk to me through the door. And they would put the pictures they drew for me at school, tape them on the door on the outside. And after they went to bed, I would open the door and I would look at the pictures they taped there of me. I can tell you this, I will never go through that again, ever. So this fight, the campaign fight that's coming, I'll probably play on the margins a little bit, but I'm gonna be with my daughters. I'm gonna be with my wife. I'm gonna study theology. I'm gonna walk the earth like Cain and Kung Fu, my friend. And God bless everyone because we need a legitimately elected Republican president. I hope it's Donald Trump, but they damn near killed me and I'm not giving him another chance. Well, God bless you, sir. And, and Michael, I, I really appreciate your courage and your strength and your passion and your, your dedication to, to this country. You are a true patriot, my friend. Again, tell everybody where they can connect with you on social media. At Michael R. Caputo on Twitter. Uh, uh, if they don't shut me down. So far, I haven't been canceled there. But, you know, hey, it's early in the day. I'll probably, I'll probably tweet something outrageous before I go to bed. Yeah, no, I, no, I hear you, man. And and, and last thing, what do you think about? Um, are, do you have hope for Elon's deal going through? Do you think we'll restore free speech? I do. And one of two things is going to happen. You know, they put this poison pill in there. Yeah. Um, basically, this disordered board of of uh, of uh, uh, board of directors at Twitter has assured that either Elon Musk is going to win this fight, or they're going to blow up that company. So either Elon Musk wins, or there will be no Twitter. Thankfully, we have Trump Social coming up. We've got Getter uh, for people who are, you know, really want to interact online like that. But Twitter will either be owned by Elon Musk or it will explode. Agreed. Very well said. Everybody, Michael Caputo, um, what an honor, sir. I'll, I'll continue to pray for you. And uh, let's definitely chat soon, my friend. Thank you. Thank you very thank much. You for, I enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you for telling your story. God bless you. Bless we'll be you. right We'll be right back, everybody. Stay with us.
And we are back. The Rory Sauter Show coming to you live from Palm Springs, California, broadcasting coast to coast worldwide. I do want to introduce to the show right now. I believe he's with us. We have U.S. congressional candidate from Arizona, Josh Barnett. Josh, how are you, my friend? Hey, I'm doing good, Rory. Good to see you. Good I, I see ran you. upstairs and I changed into a suit real quick. <laughs> no, I, lo I love it, man. How are you? Good to see you again, man. What's new? What's the 411? What's the dealio? Oh, man, there's so much going on. I'm actually, I have an event tonight with Carrie Lake, a buffalo chip up at Cape Creek. So if anybody's in that area, definitely stop by and say hello. Uh, but I've been all over the place speaking wherever we can. And uh, I was just in Mar-a-Lago, you know, with Carrie just, uh, what, about a few weeks ago? Yeah. So, you know, it was an interesting time. How was that? How was that experience at Mar-a-Lago? It, it was great. Outside of uh, American losing my luggage with my suit in it, Oh, jeez. I get in the midnight before and they lose my luggage. So I found a lady in Palm Beach and I thought I was going to spend ridiculous amount of money for a suit last minute. Right. And I go in there and she's like, so where are you going? I said, Mar-a-Lago. She's like, with President Trump? I said, well, yeah, he's going to be there. She's oh, we got to get you set up. So she had it tailored on the spot for me. And it was amazing. It gave me like a great, you know, a very fair deal on it, you know, price wise. And um, oh, but it was a godsend. So. But we, you know, when I went to uh, Mar-a-Lago, you know, Carrie, Paul Gozar, Wendy Rogers, um, Mike Lindell, I'm forgetting people, <laughs> but there was a lot of people there. And, you know, it's fun. I, you know, I, I'm not a big, um, uh, you know, those events, I'm, I'm, I think I take, I think, I take things too serious sometimes, you know? Yeah. Like, hey, me too. Me too. <laughs> yeah, we're all here. Let's go talk and figure something out, <laughs> you know? Let's, I want to teach you how we can nullify 2020. Get over here, you know? But everybody just wants to have a good time, and I get it. But I, you know, it's uh, I guess some some of that stuff's just not for me. How, how many how many people would you say were there? A thousand? Oh no, it was it was a smaller it was a smaller uh, a venue. You know, I mean, as far as um, uh, it was just a fundraiser for Carrie. Okay, so a couple hundred, maybe three hundred people. You know, something like that. Yeah, and and tell tell us, you know, the, the battle for Arizona right now, man. We really got to fix it. I mean, we you got two Democrat senators. You got a rhino governor. I mean, it's it, it's it's no different, in my opinion, than the California politics. It's pretty much the same thing at this point. Yeah, but I'm very, very confident in what's going to happen in this election. Yeah. As far as winning that Senate seat, Carrie Lake being the governor, you know, uh, we're going to have a, a very strong attorney general who I, I'm getting behind, Abe Hamada. Uh, I, I really feel that we're going to do some damage in a good way, at least from a conservative standpoint as far as implementing conservative policies that work and that have been proven to work. And, you know, me being in DC, you know, implementing those America first policies that work, you know, and we can show a stark contrast between what the Democrats are doing now and what president Trump was doing with his America first policies, whether it be remain in Mexico, whether it be constantly deregulating, trying to keep, you know, bringing manufacturing and businesses back to America, and you know all that stuff that we could do, even from a foreign policy standpoint. Look, look at the bind we're in now, and it all always due to the energy policies. Yeah, you know I believe in in you know all that kind of stuff as far as us being energy independent again, being a net exporter, right? All of that expanding nuclear energy, all that common sense stuff that we can do, like literally right now, is yeah. why that I'm confident that we're going to flip a switch very quickly come January 2023, and start implementing those changes and doing what we can. And then getting probably Donald Trump back in office 
Yeah. And, and, uh, and then really, really, just like Mr. Caputo said, going after these people and correcting the wrongs and cleaning up the swamp and cleaning up these three-letter agencies. No, I agree. I agree. And, I, and I'm reading right now. The CBP reports the Biden era record of 210,000 migrants apprehensions in just March. And ICE is set to release 600,000 illegal aliens into the U.S. by the end of sep September 3rd. Jesus Christ. Yeah, we need you know what needs to happen. And this is going to happen. And I, and I I never really took this stance until the last couple of years. I was always kind of like, you know, hey, if you made it here, welcome to Disneyland. You know, hey, you made it. Yeah. <laughs> but we're going to shut it off right now. Right. Now, I'm like, we're going to shut it off right now. We're right. We're going to get more Border Patrol. We're going to we're going to shut it down. Even a 10 year moratorium like Paul Gozer talks about. We're going to shut it down. And then we're going to round up everybody who's illegal and kick them out. Yeah. Because you cannot come here like that. This is a sovereign nation. We have rules. We have laws. You're breaking all of them. And honestly, the very few that are asylum claims, we're talking less than 1% are actual asylum claims. And, you know, and another issue we need to address is the cartels. And that's a big problem. Record number of fentanyl deaths under the Biden administration. And it's quadruple what it was under Trump in terms of where it's gone record wise. It's, it's ridiculous right now. And we know where fentanyl comes from. And it's just devastating to see these young kids and all these communities get their hands on these crazy substances. You know, they're go a lot of times they're going out, they're buying cocaine or whatever, or they're buying some drug, and yet, yet do they know that it's laced with fentanyl? And we all know a little bit of fentanyl can kill you. Well, China, China's attacked us not only with the Wuhan virus, but also with fentanyl. They yeah. killed more Americans in, in a year than uh, you know, all the World War One and Two combined almost, <laughs> you know, right. and, and, you know, it, it's, it's insane that we allow it to happen. We yeah. know darn well where it comes from, where it comes through. We know the cartels are engaged in it. We know they're making billions of dollars off transporting it into yeah. America. We know there's probably a lot of Americans complicit in it. Otherwise it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be holding up the way it is, but yeah. I, I'm, I'm a big believer and I know Carrie Lake put it out too. And I've been saying it for a couple of years. We need to declare the, these cartels, terrorists, international terrorist organizations. Uh, we need to change asylum laws prior to that so people just can't claim asylum because we're at war. Yeah. We need to go after these people like we did ISIS and clean it up because we cannot allow to happen what's happening to happen any longer. Yeah. And it all stems back to the root of the problem, right? China and the cartels. Yeah. Yeah. You know what the argument always is, though? Well, they're, you know, the people in America are buying it. Right. Well, that doesn't mean we can't help cut off the supply, right? Yeah. That, we, we can't allow this to happen. We can't allow women, one in three, to be raped coming across the border right. that I've been talking about for years that continues to happen. Children right. being trafficked back and forth. Yeah. This is just, it's unfathomable to me to think that that people know this stuff and still don't do anything about it. Right. I mean, there there are reports on a daily basis of young little children. We're talking six or seven years old that are getting repeatedly raped mm -hmm. by numerous men as they, you know, go towards the American border because it's a long journey. It's a long, you know, hike to, to the, you know, to the U S so, you know, along that route though, along the trip, they are getting abused and abused and nobody wants to ever talk about that. All they want to ever talk about is saying people come here for a better life. I understand that. I get that. 
but there, but if people really vetted and went to look at who's coming in, a lot of it is grown men and are using kids in a lot of ways as, you know, a way to advance, you know, um, their agenda of entering the U.S., you know, because if they have a kid with them, usually it's easier to get in rather than if if not. Well, they try to pull at our heartstrings like the liberals always do. Yeah. And I'm just over it. It's not going to work with me anymore. I know too much about it. Right. It, it needs to be shut off. It needs to be shut down. Yeah. And we can do it. We, I mean, if look what we did halfway around the world. We can clean it up here, and it needs to be cleaned up. We're at a point now it, we can no longer look past the source of the problem, which is China and the cartels. They need right. to be held accountable. And that's what we need to do. Yeah. And, and we're so worried. People are still so worried about COVID, but the, the, the borders are open. And, and, and we're not just talking about people coming in from Mexico. We're talking about people coming in from all different countries all over the world. They just use the Southern border as, as one of their entries. You know, it, it's, it's, it's not rocket science, but there are people that have a jaded mindset that it's just people from Mexico that are coming in. No, it's all over. It's terrorists from the Middle East that are using the southern border. Like people yeah. don't, you know, people need to really uh, fathom the reality because it's scary. Yeah, we've caught uh, um, terrorists from Yemen. We've caught many people, and, and most people coming aren't Mexican. I mean, they're yeah. they're already here. <laughs> the ones that want to be here, you know. Right. It, 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 you're right. It's about 150 different countries that are coming here. Yeah. And, and, and it from, I mean, from Africa, I mean, you name it, they're coming here. Uzbekistan, the most obscure country you could think of, it's coming here. And yeah. we're allowing it to happen. And, and you know what they want to do is grant amnesty. Yeah. They want you know, millions of new voters for them. And it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's financially uns, unsustainable. You know, we, yeah. they, we cannot do this. We cannot continue to do this. And, it ha and it's going to stop. I'm telling you right now, we're going to put a stop to it and we're going to correct the problem. Yeah. And that's what's going to happen when you get America first outsiders in there, then we'll correct the problem. We're not going to let the swamp dictate anything. And, and Josh, it's interesting right now with Arizona. You know, everybody wants to move there because of, you know, I mean, it's it's affordable, you know, pr good policies. And, you know, obviously there there is some leftist ideology that's, you know, I, I think I think getting past there, that's not good in certain ways. But getting getting to the my point inflation in Arizona uh, what i read it's the number one place that it is being affected the most by inflation which god damn i couldn't when i read that headline i was like wow out of all states arizona is being affected the most explain that i mean that's that's scary in itself because arizona has always been known as the place where you can get a lot for your money you can you know you can live a decent lifestyle but we all know when when a lot a large group of people move to a place, costs will go up. Well, it's 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 a combination of many things. It, yeah. and, you know, it's obviously the Californians moving here, ten to fifteen thousand a month are coming here. But you're right, we are ten point nine percent, probably higher than that now, uh, highest in the country. Yeah. And and you know we have from from the gas issues, obviously the price of gas, yep. the price of food and everything coming here. But the housing markets. You know, we we had, and, and this is a this is also a Republican issue, uh, and, or at least it falls on their shoulders a little bit because they they um inhibited the building of housing here. You know, so by inhibiting that building of housing and this influx of people, now you got just a, it's, it's just a market share issue where you have supply versus demand. You know, and now 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 the housing market there's not enough houses available, there's not enough commercial buildings available, 
So what happens? Prices go up. It's you know it's common sense. But yeah. that 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 stemmed from liberal policies and and weak Republicans not reacting like they should have, and yeah. allowed to continue building uh, and looking forward into the future of where Arizona is going to be. Now they're talking about water issues and different stuff that that could potentially be happening here because of the influx of people. We're in a desert, and you know so. But to me, that's solvable as well. It's just we got to sit down and do it. And that's what, you know that's that's what I don't see. And I and I said today earlier. Um, about people, people, you know, running for Speaker of the House or who we want to be Speaker of the House, and why I said I want an outsider. I want somebody who's not Kevin McCarthy to be the Speaker of the House. And it's not a, it's nothing against him. It's not what, like I don't like him. What if we, what if you, what if we pull the Trump scenario? What if you, you know? I mean, have you heard that strategy? What do you, what do you make uh, of that? I mean, I, I know it's I, a I long really shot, support, but I really support it. And I was on it from day one when I figured it out. And then Matt Gates has been putting it out. I mean, I think it would be hilarious you know, right. to watch the left Twitter, you know, blue checkmark Twitter people go crazy. But right. uh, that would be up to President Trump, obviously, if he'd want right. to do that. But, um, you know, regardless, you know, if we had a Andy Biggs or a Paul Gozar here from Arizona or a Jim Jordan, things are going to be much different. And the reason why I say this, because I don't want an establishment person in there, even right. a remote establishment. I want to. I want more of an outsider. I want somebody who stands with the people, and I want somebody who's going to get results and not be a Paul Ryan. Oh yeah, and that that's that's what I that's what I feel that we would get is Paul Ryan 2.0. If if McCarthy was the speaker, like I said, I I don't I don't need to know him on a personal level. I can see it from the outside. I'm very good at reading people. Yeah, that's what we're going to get if if he's chosen. If he is, if he is chosen, then you know we do what we got to do. You know to yeah. work to get things done. But I really want a fighter. And I think that's what we'd get in Biggs, Goza, or Jim Jordan. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I want to shift topics and ask you about this because this is a big thing. Uh, the mask mandate for airlines lifted, uh, but the White House saying, you know, trying to appeal it and try and even admitting, Jen Psaki has said that they want the CDC to have the power over over that stance, which that's not the CDC's job. It, it, it is the job of a judge to make that determination. And the judge in Florida did the right decision. If somebody wants to wear their mask, that's their choice. But if, so, if you know, it's optional, but mm -hmm. and it, you know, that's just what it is. But your yeah. thought. It's, I've always said it should be optional from the beginning, you know, no yeah. matter what it is or where it is. Yeah. You know, if masks work and you wearing one, why do you care what anybody else does? I mean, they work, exactly. right? So exactly. what, I don't understand, I don't understand the logic from the other side, which is just absurd right. to me. You know, if you're scared and you think you wear a mask, then that's fine. I don't care. I think you look ridiculous because I know they don't work, but that's your choice, you know, and, and the same thing with the jab or anything, you know, and we, we need to get back to common sense in this country. My God, you know, we got, we got the left who, who thinks masks work, even it's been shown a million times over they're, they're ineffective against a virus. Um, you know, they, they think that, that men should be playing in women's sports. You know, they, they, they think there's 45 different, you know, genders. I mean, if we've got to a level of just, it's so absurd. It's like, is this real? Like we're living in Babylon B every day. Right. And, 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 and yeah, it, it, it's a, it's a crazy delusional utopia. I mean, it, it's absolutely out of control. I mean, we've got drag queen story hour. We've got the grooming of children trying mm -hmm. to teach children about sexual ideology when they're young kids. Unbelievable. You, I mean, you know, it just, it, it goes on and on and, and, you know, Disney, you know, and, and all these different things. I mean, I, the indoctrination, it, it's, it needs to be fixed and the education system needs to be reformed. We need it to fix. 
we need to fix the the i mean it's crazy yeah we need to abolish the federal education system it needs to go back to the states that's what needs to happen and no, I, agree. I, and I and i got i know there's many others that are are on the same page as me i know uh thomas massey and certain people in, in the house have already put bills forward to do that to do exactly that i know other senators have called for it as well i know um for example jim layman that's running here for u.s senate has called for it to be abolished um i'm not sure about blake masters but um it wouldn't surprise me blake would say the same thing and you know it's something that really needs to happen because we're, we're sending federal we're sending our money to the federal and then the federal sending it back you know just keep it here and, and then and then the federal can't bribe us or bribe everything to get their you know their crazy non crazy just no common sense stuff that's happening crt and 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 and, and teaching like you said teaching sexual related things creating like satan satan club after school satan clubs worshiping satan you know ron DeSantis did it right ron DeSantis did it right with that bill they passed about sexualizing children should not happen the way he's handling disney is the blueprint of what we should do and, and how we should fight back. And, and we need to quit taking a high road and fight. That's what we need to do. We need to quit being scared and fight. And we need more people that are gonna have that mindset. And in Utah now, they're having classes where they're all watching pornographic films with each other. I mean, this is this is college, this is a college university, but still, why are why are universities, why are parents paying for kids to go to school to watch a bunch of pornographic films? Oh, hold on. We got a connection issue. Oh, hold sorry. On. We're back. Yeah, we had a connection. You there? But, yeah, I'm here. I can hear you now. But, you know, we're just at a point where, you know, we, we just got to say enough's enough. You know, we're not, I, I don't even entertain the conversation with people that bring up just ridiculous things. I literally just don't even, I don't even entertain it. I'm like, I literally just act like they don't exist. Because, you know, the more we entertain it with these people, the more we, we, we bring it to light. The more they're running with it, you know. I, I just literally block people on on Twitter now. I just mute them or block them. I, I they're not bringing anything to the table that has substance to it. So why am I going to sit here and argue with somebody or debate with somebody that has no substance or value to what they're bringing to the table and it, with within this debate, you know? Because what they're saying is so absurd. You're never going to change my mind, because men are never going to be women and women are never going to be men. Now in your head you might think that, but in reality. Physically, it's not going to happen, and, and and to argue with somebody that thinks that that's that that's correct, it's just you're never going to win. It's it's a it's their lost cause at this point. And what do you th what do you think about Biden telling Obama he's going to run again in uh, in 2024? <laughs> and you know he won't say it publicly, but he's telling yeah. he, he, he he Biden's telling Obama behind the scenes, and also you know in I, regards. I hope, I hope so. I mean, Biden is a. He doesn't even know where he is. He literally has no idea where he is. 25th Amendment is the most applicable thing I've ever seen to any president that we've ever had. He 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 gets lost in the middle of a sentence talking about this and that. They're all title 42. You're like, what are you right. talking about? Like that has nothing to do with anything that was asked. And he right. just he he literally has no idea. He's like your old grandpa. My grandpa had dementia. Yeah. He went blind from it. You know, he had, you know. And, and I saw him and he asked just like my grandfather used to as that set in. And, you know, he he's um, the fact that he said he's running just makes me laugh. I'm like, please do. You know, I mean, you stole this election. You didn't win this one to begin with. But yeah. please do, because you're going to get smoked 
like like a president we're talking all 50 states type of thing potentially happening at that point like ronald reagan style and, and and there's no transparency with this administration you know no press conferences you know trump at one point would give a press conference every day and and with with biden you know there's another scenario where he he's getting all these visits to Delaware by unknown people and Secret Service won't disclose the details, which I find very disturbing. I mean, if that was Trump, that would be headline news. They'd be screaming bloody murder, you know. For sure. It's crazy. You know, they, it, it's it's one of those things, again, it's it's the corruption, the corruption that we're seeing everywhere. The yeah. state level, you know, we need to get people in office that are going to uphold the law, no matter who it is. Right. For both sides. And and I can't think of anything more important after 2024 when Trump's back in office of doing exactly that. You know, and, and, and you know, we have the ability to impeach as well. Yeah. So when we're back in control, probably a super majority in the House potentially. Yeah. And a significant plus in the Senate. Yeah. We need to impeach people. We need to impeach people. If they're not going to do the job and hold people accountable. When it's blatantly being done, they need a peach. And that's just what needs to happen. We're at that point that um, that we can no longer ignore what's happening. And we need to fight. That's what I, I say it all the time. But, I, you know, we have too many people that want to take the high road. Right. That want to PC and take the high road. There's a time and a place for that. But right now is not that time. And, and let me let me ask you this. Um, Julian Assange, you know, mm -hmm. uh, talking about free speech they're going to extradite him how bad do you think that's going to get for him josh i mean we all see what they've done to epstein we all see what happened to um oh i forget the guy that uh he founded uh founded some big computer software program and he found he was he he ended up uh edward snowden no no not snow no. no snowden this guy was found dead in his cell and he said he wasn't suicidal oh the I, guy from france that was in france uh, jail in france the guy that created malware i think he created yeah. he yeah i forget his name but he ran as a uh, for president at one point years ago libertarian he was on our side but i fear that a julian assange scenario is going to end up really bad meaning he knows too much he'll be found in his cell and we just will be expected to uh take you know take what the media says i mean and and nothing will come of it no prosecutions um I, yeah it's sad I, but I, I see that happening what about you i i always say free assange you know yeah that guy you know you know they're mad at it because he exposed them yeah and and that's one thing i wish president trump would have done before he left this pardon the sudden and, and that's I, I what that I want to. That's powerful. what I want to know, Josh. Why didn't he? Was he pressured? Do you think? Do you think he was pressured not to? I I I believe so because there's so much dirt that Assange has on these people that I believe they pressured the president to to do exactly that. You know what I mean? I I I don't know any other. I can't think of a logical reason why he why he why he wouldn't do it. No, I hear you. I hear you. Now, let, you me, know, ask you, let me ask it's, you. It's very important because it's cutting out a little bit. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you, you were saying something. It was cutting out. It was cutting out. Josh, you there? Josh, you still with us?
We'll take a quick break. We'll come right back with Josh. We'll take a quick break. We'll come right back with Josh. back with josh barnett josh as you were saying about the assange thing it, it cut out for a little bit josh you with us there you go i can i can hear you now i apologize for that guys i when i switched my car i think it cut off somehow no you're fine but as, as you were saying with the assange thing yeah i just i think that was that was a um, really 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 wanted to see that's it pull the trigger on is parted in the sun, yeah. David Snowden. Yeah. Uh, I, I just really, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll see what happens and he gets extradited here, but I, I'm really afraid for his life, to be honest with you. And, um, yeah. you know, I think we're going to see another, another, um, another uh, uh, Clinton side or something in the, <laughs> that's going to happen within the jail cell, you know, much like some other child groomers that we know around the, around the, around the world, you know. No, no, I, I know I understand totally. And, and let, let me ask you something before you go, because I know you, I know you got stuff going on. But what do you see with the future of Twitter? Do you think you think Elon will succeed? I think Elon. I think it's going to work out. I think it's going to work out. I hope it works out. And I think Elon's going to take it over and, and make it what it should be, what it should have been the whole time: free speech for everybody. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is unbelievable to me that, that we again that we even have this conversation you know it's 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 just remarkable that people have gotten to the point where they think that we shouldn't be allowed to say anything we want you know it's it's crazy but when it's reversed oh they go crazy right yeah but um yeah. you know it's it's because they fear the truth they fear the truth i mean i'm kicked off youtube now completely booted deleted because i was talking the truth about covid and if they don't want the truth out there. They don't want people to know certain things that um, that I believe are crimes against humanity. And, and they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to discuss. Even though there's a grand jury right now in Germany discussing it that nobody talks about. But they, they don't want people, they don't, you know, without free speech, we don't have freedom. There's nothing I believe I mean, if you could take one thing away that would make us feel like we live in Russia or China, would be free speech. Right. And Josh, when you get to D.C., you need to open investigations into Big Pharma, into Fauci, into all this. Because we need answers. We have been misled. We've been lied to. We've been manipulated for over two years. And, um, you know, obviously this was a real thing. 
but it was taken way out of context. It was weaponized politically, and it's become a sick game. I, I couldn't agree more, and I, I, I really believe that, you know, we'll, we'll see where the investigative committees are at. I know the Freedom Caucus is meeting outside of Congress on their own yeah. and doing their own type of investigations. But uh, whatever whatever investigations they don't have, if they're not set up, I'll be more yeah. than happy to set that up. Right. And I'll be more than happy to jump on board and help out with any investigative committee they have in regards, whether it's, it's Fauci, the NIH, the origin of the virus, or, or uh, you know, I mean, pick, pick something. Really, you know, there's so many things. It's, it's you can just you can flip a coin and pick what you want to work on today. Josh, no sound. Sound went out. Sound. Josh, we all have sound. Can't. We lost. No sound. We'll take a quick thirty second. I can't hear you. And we're back. Josh, the sound went out for a sec. Sorry about that. I can't hear. I can't. I think you. There's some, I can't. I can't. Can't hear. Wait, hold on a second. You need to fix the sound. I don't know what's going on with the sound, everybody. There we go. We have you back now. Okay, gotcha. No, like I said, I, I really want to be a part of, of, of correcting the wrongs that have been done to, to the American people and, and to our country. And, um, you know, I, I really, these people need punished. They need punished. And, and, and until that accountability comes, until those punishments are set um, on the people that have done wrong, that's never going to stop. And that's, that's what I keep explaining to people. I was going back and forth with a guy on Twitter, um, some blue check mark um, here lives in Phoenix. I didn't know he lived in Phoenix, but um, he, he basically said, we should move on for 2020. There's nothing to see. Uh, we spent all this money on an audit. And I'm like, what, what are you reading? Where are you getting your news from? So I started posting all the stuff that was found in the forensic audit and stuff that came up. And I'm like, you know, how much more do you want? You know, what, what is, but that's, these people think they're clueless, absolutely clueless. And I finally got to the point with him that if he talks one more time, what I like to do is I say, let's go live on you. Let's go live on Zoom. And we'll, we'll put it out for the, the whole world to see publicly. And I can, and I'll, and I'll embarrass you publicly and, and with facts, you know, and, and, but nobody, you know what, you know how many times people want to come on and actually debate live? None of them. Right. They all disappear. Right. And it's, but, Again, you can't defend ideas or solutions or anything when you don't have any. Right. right. So this guy, this guy's saying that nothing was found in the present audit. I'm like, well, what about the 740,000 ballots that have no chain of custody? What about the right. 25,000 counterfeit ballots? The 27,000 duplicate ballots? 
You know, I mean, I could go on and on. And on top of the maladministration, just blatant maladministration in, uh, in laws, state laws and federal laws that were broken. So don't tell me that nothing happened. Just because they haven't been held accountable yet by Brenovich doesn't mean it didn't happen. Right. And, you know, that's like saying, um, you know, oh, this girl, this girl got raped. You know, since we didn't find the, the rapist, she wasn't raped. It never happened. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it just, it's just, it's just the, the thinking of these people just blows my mind. It, it's incredible. It's incredible that so many people just want to move forward and not, and not do anything about it. I hear you. You know, it's mind blowing. It really is. And Josh, I want to get you back soon. Uh, tell everybody where they can connect with you, where they can get involved, all that good stuff. Sure. You can reach me uh, Barnett for AZ.com at Barnett for AZ on Twitter. Josh Barnett for Congress on Facebook, at Barnett for AZ on Getter, uh, Instagram, and Truth Now. I'm on there. So, you know, reach out to me anywhere if you have any questions. Uh, I'm going to be putting some more stuff uh, policy related on my website about what I want to do with the direction of the country. I'd like, or, you know, the direction I'd like to see this country going, uh, whether it's, you know, uh, foreign policy, energy, um, border. You know, medical freedom, you know, you name it, I'm going to have something on it. And I'll, I'm an open book. Rory knows I'm an open book and I'll answer any question. I'll, I'll address anything, anytime. I'm not scared to to say what I think or say what I believe in. And I know a lot of a lot of people will tippy toe around the Speaker of the House question. You know, and I get it because he controls the NRCC, has a lot of power. Right. And it's like I said, my my, my choice and my my viewpoint on that is not a it's not a knock on him. It's just I want something new. You know, I want something new, and and that's just where I'm at right now politically. And I've seen when we get something new in there that's an outsider, we get a lot of positive results. What I've seen is people who've been there for a long time or been in the mix for too long, we don't get any results. And that's just a fact. <laughs> you know, that's a fact. And I can show that all day long as far as results versus no results. And I don't want Paul Ryan 2.0. I don't want to ever go through that again. But we have control of the House in the Senate, in the presidency again, I want to fight fire with hellfire. Yeah. And I want to yeah. correct every single thing that's been wrong and done wrong in this country, and I want to correct it. And we can do it. We can do it. We do it together, and American people rise up with, with us, behind us, and allow me, as an elected servant to the people, to the will of the people, to, to you know, be their voice, be their actual voice, because for too long, the people haven't had a voice. Very rarely have they had a voice in D.C. and Congress. There's a handful of congressmen out there that I really like that I believe that are the voice for the people, but there's not there's not there's not enough of us. Amen. And, uh, I, Amen. I believe that I can be that voice for District One here in Arizona. Amen. Amen. And I'm rooting for you every step of the way, and uh, it's going to be an exciting midterms. And uh, Josh, let's talk to you soon, my friend. God bless. Hey, thank you, Roy. Good seeing you, man. I'll talk to you soon. Always a pleasure, my friend. We'll we'll talk soon. We'll be right back, everybody. Stay with us.
And we are back, the Rory Sauter Show, coast to coast, worldwide, coming to you live from Palm Springs, California. I do want to introduce to the show, I believe we have with us right now, Arizona State Senate candidate and uh, activist. He's done a lot in his career. He also used to be on the radio for a long time. Claire Van Stenwick. Claire, great to have you here, my friend. Um, First time on the show. Uh, Tell everybody a little bit about yourself, kind of a resume, how it all started for you, all that good stuff. Well, first of all, my name is Claire Van Steenwijk. Okay, I pronounced it wrong. My bad. Everybody does it. Sorry, it's buddy. Part of having that kind of name. Okay. Uh, I got politically active at nine years old. I worked on Dwight Eisenhower's reelection campaign in the primary season. I've been basically active ever since. I've always enjoyed history, government, yeah. and things coordinated with it. I've watched talk shows late at night when my parents were asleep just so I could do what I do. Right. Uh, years ago, I ran businesses. I developed that over a period of time. Started yeah. out doing one thing and ended up with another. But in addition to that, what I enjoyed the most was the success in business gave me the opportunity to do what I really like to do. I had a halfway house we opened myself and my wife, and we worked on Skid Row, Hollywood Boulevard, and two weekends every month down in Mexico helping a small village there. That was really the joy I had. Uh, yeah. I was asked to go on the radio back in 03 after I had retired. I told the young man at a study I was teaching, uh, you get me an appointment on with a station, I'll go, I'll go into the interview. Next morning, he was at my front door knocking, ringing the bell, and he got me an interview. <laughs> so and that's, that's the way it went. I went on the air about a week later and stayed on the air from 2003 until 2016. Wow. We did fairly well. We were one of the first people to have video streaming on air, on AM radio. Very fact, nice. At the time, I think I was the only person who was doing it because a lot of broadcasters didn't think it was necessary. They just thought, what do you want to do that for? This is radio. Uh, I embarrassed a number of people that came on the show because they, even though I warned them about the camera in the corner and told them, you know, if you give me funny looks, it's, that, that's going on everywhere. So, you know, if you get upset about something I ask you or I say to you, my advice is just keep smiling, you know, right. because otherwise your constituents out there are going to see that you're not the nice guy that you told them you are. Right. Well, they all forgot that. They thought they were on radio. <laughs> so right. that, that was fun. Um, living in Arizona has been quite an experience. I've lived in California, Iowa, and Idaho, and then here. Yeah. And Arizona is about the most corrupt political state I've ever lived in. Not, I'm not surprised by that. I'm not, I, and I live. I lived in Arizona. I, I've actually met you at a few events. Uh, yeah. Sheriff Joe's a good friend of mine, and I know he's a good friend of yours. He's, yeah. he's been on my show several times, Arpaio. And um, I lived in Arizona for about eight years, and I'll tell you, the, the the political corruption there is unbelievable, and it it goes for miles and miles, and oh, it is oh, a oh, massive, yeah. massive swamp. It is dirty. Well, I call it more of a septic tank. Since and you know, who I, you know who I blame a lot of it on? You know who I blame a lot of it on? I think John McCain started a lot of it. And well, I believe, well, it was corrupt before him. Right. But he turned it into a science. Right. I mean, it was corrupt on different levels with yes. governors and mayors and all the rest of the, you know, the little corruption. But right. he figured out a way to organize it. Yes. And he had the money to do it. Yes. And once he got that done and did some things in Washington and got some big money behind him from lobbyists and PACs. Yes. Then the whole party listened to him. Yep. And Katie barred the door because, you know, we're on our way to hell now. 
and he took him there. Yeah. And people don't understand how bad Mr. McCain really was. He was, a, he, wanted, you know, I, I talk to people in California all the time that move here and they think John McCain was a great guy. And I said, what nope. program were you watching? No, every, everybody that I've ever talked to that yeah. has had an interaction with him, you know, he's, they say he's vicious. He, he's he very arrogant, very into himself and doesn't like to give, you know, the average Joe the time of day. Yeah, I'll give you that. In, in 2010, we had all the U.S. Senate candidates on my radio show. Yeah. And I asked them questions. They didn't know what I was going to ask them. Right. Well, I believe that it was only fair that if I had J.D. Hayworth on my show and a couple of others, that they all got asked the same questions. Right. So the audience would see how they answered the questions. And I'd always tell them before the show, you are going to answer the question. If you don't answer it, I'll ask it again until you do. So don't do the DC shuffle or, or the Phoenix dip. You're going to answer the question one way or the other. And they basically did. But when we asked Mr. McCain on, he wanted to know firsthand, his secretary, what are the questions going to be? Wow. And I said, well, that's, they are what they are. She says, yeah, but we need to know what they are first to see if we approve of them. I said, young lady, I, I don't care if you approve of them or not. If you really want to know what they are, we are we are video streamed and you can find our show on the air. All you have to do is tune into what I watched when I did J.D. Hayworth or this other, I forget, a couple of the other people. I said, yeah. just listen and they'll, you'll know what the questions are because you all get asked the same thing. And I won't change the questions for anybody. Mm -hmm. Because see, here, here's what the viewing public doesn't know. When these ding-dongs go on radio shows or TV shows or whatever by their swimming pool, they already know what they're going to be asked two or three weeks ahead of time. They're not bright. They just have all the answers already looked up by staff members so they can sound smart. Yeah. And it's kind of, kind of like, you know, you, you know what the questions are in the test of school because you got the copy and you write them all down in the palm of your hand and you sit there. Teacher thinks you're a great, smart kid, but you can't even spell yet. Right. You know, that's because you've cheated so much you don't know how. Right. That's most politicians, quite honestly. Not yeah. all, just most. Yeah. And the, the thing that disappoints me, I guess, the most is the way I was raised was exactly opposite of that. My father used to teach me, you always tell the truth to people yes. because the truth is something you never have to remember. Right. Never. You don't have to remember two and two is four. Yeah, because if, if you go to a store and you give them a five dollar bill and you spend four bucks, you get a dollar back. Right. So you automatically know math yeah. is exact. It doesn't mess with you. Try an engine. Try building a, a, a building without an architect and engineer. See if it stands up very long. As yeah. you learn around the world, they don't. You know, you let your son-in-law build a building and three days later it's fallen down and killed a thousand people. And they go, what happened? I don't know. I hired my son-in-law. Well, what does he do for a living? Well, he's a janitor. Oh, you're, you're, you know, that's kind of what politics is in America. With, with the, the party part of it, I like what George Washington said about parties. You know, people don't, they don't I, like I said, I like history. And when you read what Washington said and then you look at other things he wrote, the real factor is this. George Washington said um, when he was leaving office, political parties are the enemy of the government, meaning the people. And the, when you looked at other things he said, what he, what he really meant there was because eventually they're going to do what's only good for them. We hit that plateau about, oh, 60 to 70 years ago mm -hmm. with all the new cream dongs from the Second World War that all knew everything and the Kennedys and 
and Biden and the others that have been there since I was a kid. Yeah. You know, I mean, I look at this and I think I retired at 55. I worked for companies, rebuilding companies. They had gotten in trouble and they called me and I'd go in and redo it and get it to run and build yeah. it back up again. Or sometimes take it to a plateau it had never experienced. So that, so that, so your your career was going in and you know rebranding, restructuring. I was a fixer in the food industry in California, which if you live there, you know is a high most the highly competitive food industry in the whole world. Oh yeah, if you're, too, yeah. if you're in Palm Springs, you know what a Ralph's Market is. Of course. Okay, well that was one of my clients. Okay. All right, along with Costco's and Sam's Clubs and that smaller chain, Walmart those right. people. But I go in and fix smaller companies that, that supplied them. I went to one company, I think it was 1990, in January, I was asked to go to work for them. Yeah. And I told them, well, I'm, I'm getting ready to go on vacation. And the, the owner looked at me, he says, what? I said, I'm going on vacation now. I'll, I'll, you know, when I get back, he said, I know I, I, I got to get this, I got to get this fixed now, because I got an opportunity to get a get, get Ralph's account. Uh, but if it's not fixed, I can't do it. I said, okay, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll go in because I already knew all the people at Ralph's. I'll go in and I'll fix your problems and I'll open the stores for you with Ralph's. But when I'm done, when I'm done, and I knew I could get it done in about two months, I take a three-week paid vacation. And he wow. looked at me. Three weeks, I said, well, you can either keep me now and give me three weeks or wait four weeks to get me. Yeah. Your choice. He yeah. did. We went forward. At the time, that company was doing about $3 million a year, which, you know, for a small family business isn't bad. But in California, if you're not growing, you'll go broke because your competitors will eat you alive, like Mission Foods or Guerrero, those people, oh, yeah. Mexican Foods. So within three years, we took him from $3 million to $27 million. Wow. Yeah, that was, it, it, was, it was fun. You know, it's, it, for me, it was fun. I enjoy that. It's like a puzzle. Yeah. But a lot of people don't. That's what politics really is. It's a puzzle. It's yeah. a poorly built puzzle. It doesn't run very well, mostly because the people in there are dishonest. Right. Because often, you know, I, I, I've been viewing, I view other people's shows and I watch things. And I always listen to these candidates or office holders talk, I'm going to do that and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I think, you know, you idiot, if you ever read the Constitution, you're not allowed to do that. Right, right. You know, it's a little book. I mean, it's really small. Yeah. Compared to it, the Bible, it's terribly small. Yeah, and I, I know you haven't read it because if you did, you wouldn't say that. Yeah. But I know it pleases the people that listen to you at the rallies you go to. Right. But anybody that knows what the Constitution says knows you're either a blit or an idiot or you're going to be as crooked as the people that are already there. And these are the same morons that go in front of the mirror and practice everything they're going to say. I mean, these oh, yeah. are, are they are they shoot off the cuff with not knowing a damn thing? They say <laughs> things that they have no not because it sounds good. Right. And, and, and Clara, I've always said that I think more radio hosts like you, you and me, need to run for office because we have the Ooh. best outlook, the best perspective, the best. Well, you know what I mean? It's important. We're more smarter than these politicians. These I, well, that, politicians. I've known that for a long time. But yeah. when when I worked in LA in the food industry over years, and I, like I said, I started doing campaign stuff when I was like nine years old. Yeah, and I've always been somewhat active. I was asked, I don't know, a handful of times or more to run. And I tell them, look, I'm running this company. I'm building, I was building five of my own at the same time at times. Right. And I'm working outreach on Skid Row and helping people. 
that's far more important to me than becoming a city councilman or a county supervisor or state senator or something. I don't have the time for this. Yeah. Well, back then, you know, that was 70s, 80s, 90s. It wasn't this bad. I mean, it wasn't very good, but it wasn't this bad. Right. But after I retired and then I went on the air, I got asked some more on the air. And they said, well, you know, you seem to know quite a bit about this and that. And I said, yeah, I know, but, you know, I'm kind of busy and I retired. I went a little time off. I used to work 15 to 18 hours a day. So I'm <laughs> I'm looking forward to retire. That's why I retired at 55. I figured I worked all those hours, all those years. I'm going to enjoy this. Well, then we moved from California to Idaho, and then I thought I, I was on the radio, but a local radio station there found out I was up there. I don't know how they do that. And they asked me if I'd go on there, so I did. And then some people got a hold of me and asked me if I'd run for Idaho. I think it was for Congress there. And I said, no, I'm, I'm really not interested. I'm doing what I'm doing. And, uh, and then we left there to go back to California because we were helping a little church get started. And once we got everything rolling, there was nothing for me to do. I don't fish. I don't hunt. I don't do that stuff. It was boring. That's a boring place to live if you have nothing to do. Right. So I left and came through Arizona to visit someone we'd helped move here. Yeah. On our way back to California. Never got there. Right. And then I ended up on the air here. And when I started interviewing political candidates and doing what I do, just I'd ask them a question and they'd lie. Now, they can call me a mistake. They were the ones that voted on the bills. So if you don't know how you vote, then you're, you're incompetent or yeah. something. So and that's I, another thing they don't even read all the legislation that they're voting on. I mean, that's another thing. Or, or they know what's in there and then they act oblivious and dumbfounded like they don't. Now, as bad as this is going to sound to some people who may live in Arizona, but they know it's true. Arizona's at the bottom of the rung when it comes to education. We're oh, graduating yeah, it is, to, it is, yeah. They're like 49th or something. Yeah, yeah it's bad. 50th now. We just slipped again. We can't go any farther down unless you hit the territories. But uh, you graduate children that can't read, can barely write, can't spell, don't do math, and you graduate them. Yeah. And you think they're going to go out in the real world and do well, and they're not. And that's unfortunate. I hate that because that's not how I was educated when I was a kid. You learn. Right. You went to school and you learn. I mean, I got I, one year I got all A's and a B. I couldn't believe I did because I actually stopped screwing around and chasing girls and stuff and got on the books. I amazed myself. My dad looked at my grace. He goes, I always knew you could do this. And I said, yeah, dad, but you know what? I had to give up to do this. I don't think this is going to happen again. Because right. I went back out to cruising in my 55 Chevy and my grades went back to normal. Right. But when you do that, when you have an educational system like that, does it surprise you that we have the kind of people in the office that we have? They went through these schools. Yeah. I mean, you understand? So it doesn't surprise me when you say they don't read the bills. Like some of them can't read. Right. And even if they read them, they don't understand them because right. they don't write them. Right. The bills here are not written by people in the House or the Senate. They're written by lobbyists, PACs, and special interest groups or some clown in the governor's office. And politics has been bought. It's bought and paid for. I mean, these are entities that are cashing in and it's well, very yeah, that's kind of what they do because that's and it's both sides it's both sides are guilty of it 90 99% of the politicians are guilty of it it's insane yeah. well i got you elected you know i i gave to your campaign and i got these people to help you and now i want this bill passed right and you know you're running again in 18 months exactly yeah right well they, they, they know what that means Oh, and yeah. now they've tasted for the first time in their life. They've actually got what I think they think is success. They're making 24, 25 grand a year. They've never made that kind of money in their life. 
and they're successful. That's that's success to them. So I don't want to lose this great job. And people recognize me. They say, oh, Mr. Senator or, or Mr. Representative or whoever, Mrs. Whatever. And and so they're they're finally there. Yeah. Their whole life they wanted to be. They finally are. And that's the power part of it. Influence. And if we had term limits, I, I don't think there would be as much of a political hunger yeah, to run and desire. Uh, that's for, that's for, what for, a lot, for, a lot, for a lot of these people. Getting get the, get the pe- people in office to pass a law for term limits, all right, is like it's political the, suicide is what it is. It's it's like it would be like, what's the point? Look, here's the point. If you want term limits, then and once again, I may upset some people. Voters need to get smart. Right. Einstein said, you know, 100 years ago, definition of insanity. Doing the same, thing, same thing over and over, over and over again, a different result. Well, yes. there's a political definition of insanity. Vote for the same people over and over again and expect a different result. The voters are insane. <laughs> they keep in voting for these people like they're voting for the prom queen. Yeah. They like somebody, so they vote for them. And what? Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, back, what was it, 10 years ago, I, I people were asking me to run for office when I was on the air here. Yeah. And they said, you know, it's really not fair. You sit in the radio and you do all this interviewing and you do, you know, I did a Second Amendment rally. I raised money for vets and traveled over the state doing forums and other things. But they said, you know, why don't you come, you, you talk about all this stuff and we know you know it. Why don't you come out from behind that mic and run for office? And see if you know what what is that's like, and maybe you could win, and then we could get somebody that we believe we could actually trust. And they asked us a few times, and then finally, my wife and myself talked about it, and said, "Okay, we'll give it a shot." So it's, now, me, I you know did the work I did. So I thought, well, let's see, what do I run for? And I'm looking down the slate, and I think, well, I, you know, no, no, I don't. Mm. Ah, I'll run for U.S. Senate against Jeff Flake, <laughs> the most well-financed Republican in the whole state. That takes balls. Harden, I like Will your Harden courage. That takes yeah. His, his, this is the funny part. Will Cardin's running against Jeff Flake, and Will Cardin used to raise money for Jeff Flake. He was his campaign fundraiser. In fact, when he announced to run, he was still his fundraiser. Oh, wow. It took him three months to, to finally resign, or whatever you want to call it. So we ran for a whole year. Or for about, about, it took about a year to do the whole thing from September to August. We spent $25,000, mostly our own, drove 56,000 miles, had a great time talking to people about issues, constitution, explained them to a number of people that when they asked me a question like, well, if you lose the primary, are you gonna vote for the, the winner in the primary, right? And I said, what did you say? And they repeat the question. I said, I just wanted to be sure that I understood this. If it's like mob, it's like it. mob mentality. Are you what you're asking me to do is vote for someone I just spent a whole year trying to beat. Exactly. I don't agree with totally the purpose, yeah. And you want me to support him now. Right. Now, if I would do that, then I have to go back to all the people I told all these things to, proved he did a lot of bad things, his votes and everything else. And then I'm gonna. What kind of, what kind of integrity do I have if I vote for that kind of person? And they just looked at me. I said, "I'll yeah. tell you what my father would tell me. If you do that, you don't have any, none." Well, very, none. very well said. said. So I'm gonna settle this right now. I will not vote for the people I'm running against because I don't trust them. And, and okay. Claire, you know what I respect. You know what I respect about you, and what I love about you is that you don't want to belong to any certain party because. 
and, 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 and neither do I. I mean, I, I lean more conservative. I'm very pro-Trump. You know, I voted for him. But there's a lot of things that the Republicans are doing right now that I do not agree with. And, you know, it, it's a mess. So I, and it's, it's hard because, you know. That's why, I tell, that's why I tell people I'm a Christian, constitutional, America first, it, Republican candidate. But it feels, it really feels the way these two party systems were built. It feels like a cult mentality. It feels like it, it really does. It's either you're with us or you're not with us. It's like there needs to be an alternative. I know you talked about a third party, and I've I've always been interested in a possible third party. I just don't know how it gains enough momentum to actually you know that's, get that's the traction the it would that's, need that's in a national problem. election. Well, think think about Arizona. You got what they they register as independents or whatever you want to call them, right? But the way the game is rigged. Say I need 5,000 votes or 5,000 signatures to get on the ballot, right? Just, yeah. for, just for a round number. So the Democrats need five and I need five. If you're an independent with no party, right? No party apparatus, nothing. You just signed up as an independent and I want to run. I need 30,000 signatures. You get it? Yeah. And you know who made the rules? The other two parties. Interesting how that works. That's, that's how that works. But no, I am a Republican. Basically, almost a lifelong Republican. I mean, like I said, I did work for Dwight Eisenhower. But when I listen to these yo-yos talk about how they're going to fix things, have you ever, have you seen the the border? I'm going to give you some mentality here of stupid people. I was at a rally for Jim Lehman over in the East Valley. Yeah. And the former the guy that was in charge of all the border people and all that nonsense was there. And I've been down to the border a number of times, and I've been watching the news lately and I'm, I see, you know, like 20 miles of wall or fence, whatever you want to call it. And then there's like a 20 foot gap. And then the wall starts again. And I, I've said in my living room and asked my wife, I said, what, what do you think what happened the there? They run out of steel? What? Yeah. She goes, I don't know. So when I was at that event, he was there. And of course, all the little people were kissing up to him and oh God, they got to shake his hand and they just, you know, oh yeah. God. Anyway, so I asked him, I said, I got a question for you. I'm curious about this. And he goes, what's that? I said, down at the border, you know, you'll have miles of your wall. Okay. Yeah. And then all of a sudden there's a 10, 20, 30 foot opening. And then the mile, then it starts again. What happened? Did you run out of something or someone measured wrong or what? Oh no, those are for gates. Right. I said, those are the gates so that the people can get in to work on the farms or the, or the rancher can get on the other side to do what he's got to do. Yeah. I said, where in the hell are they? Well, we decided to put them in when the whole thing was finished. And I looked at him and I said, what genius came up with that, that one? And he looked at me. I says, you know, when you build a house, because I built a few, when you build a house, you get the walls up and all of that. But then you put the windows in and the doors before you finish the inside or you'll end up with a bunch of varmints or crooks inside. Right. True. And he looked at me. I said, so some idiot figured that out. Well, we believe we could do it when we won. I said, well, oh, you, you figured you definitely would win a second term and you were gambling our safety on that. Yeah. I no, said, that is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. <laughs> he just looked at me like, people don't talk to me like that. Claire, I could talk to you all day. I want to get you. I want to get you back on the next episode. But before I let you go. I want to ask you, what are the three top priorities for for running for Senate in Arizona right now that you want to fix? What are the three main I want to fix the election system because it's not fixed. 
These yo-yos spent two years of doing absolutely nothing, really nothing. They did. They cut. This is what they accomplished. You're now going to have to have voter ID when you go to the polls. I already have to have voter ID when I go to the polls. Right. They didn't fix the early ballot mail out at all. Didn't touch it. It's going to be the same way it's always been. So plus you have the federal only voters who don't have to even prove they're who they say they are to get ballot. That's one of the problems we had the last time. We had 35,000 federal only voters registered to vote. And they were transferred from not filling out forms right, state forms, onto federal forms because you don't need to fill out anything there. That was a deal made by Ducey, Bronovich, and Reagan and some left-wing LaRosa group. That's got to be fixed. But what also has to be fixed is our educational system in this state. I want to see kids at all levels get a better education. But from 7th to 12th grade, I want trades in the school. Not where you've got to go to some trade school when you get out. That's what they had when I was in school. I majored in business in high school. Those classes you now have to go to college to take. Maybe that's why I did so well. They taught us well in high school. That needs to go back into the high schools, as does shop or electrical work or air conditioning or plumbing. I mean, I, can, I know a plumber makes a quarter million dollars a year. Yeah. And I know lawyers that don't even make 80000 So come True. on. Because not everybody that goes to school is wired to go to college. I know I wasn't. Not that I was stupid. I just didn't want to go. I wanted to go to work. I wanted to get something done. And that's the way I think that needs to be fixed. We need to get our lands back from the federal government. Yes. All of them. Yes. They illegally are operating our lands. There's a PILT, a PILT program that's set up mostly in the Western states where they pay every state so much an acre. Like we get $1.36 an acre for the lands that they take care of for us. And we have more fires because of it. We need to get our own land back. We need to get the federal government. Yeah, the federal government by law, by law, isn't allowed in our educational system. All yeah. the states have to do is refuse them. Right. That's all. It doesn't have to be done in Washington. You can do it right state. We don't want your $250 million check this year. We don't want it because without the money, they have no influence in the state. But these states have gotten so used to being bribed. And then they always blame it on the federal government because that's that's the way you do it. The feds right. do this. Like, there's not much I can do about that. And, and the border control in the Constitution, there's a clause, an article clause, section clause, right? There's an article with a section with a clause that gives the state the right to repel an invasion. Yeah. I want to remind people, J. Edgar Hoover deported illegals. Truman deported illegals. Republican Democrat. And Eisenhower deported the illegals. And he said very clearly, when you have people within your borders, you don't know who they are. That is called an invasion. Yes. They don't call it that now. And they don't call them illegals. They call them immigrants again. They're back to that nonsense. And I got news for people. If they think there's 700,000 or 600,000 or 500,000 coming into this country illegally, triple it or quadruple it, because that's what it is. We have over 30 million illegals inside our borders now. And then once you make them legal, so-called, or they have a child, they're born here, that child has the right, because of chain migration, to bring in their grandparents, aunts and uncles and cousins. We have got a screwed up system that was built in Washington so that companies could hire cheap labor. It's not right. just for votes. The Republicans get the cheap labor. <laughs> right. And the Democrats think they get the votes. And they don't because a lot of them don't ever vote. But those things have to be fixed, along with... Property taxes. I don't like property taxes. To me, they're illegal and they're they're restrictive and they don't help anybody grow. There are senior citizens living in this state who are on like maybe $900 a month income because of Social Security when they retire. 
they can barely afford what they're doing. And when right. this new housing boom and the prices go up, so do their so does their taxes. Then right. they got to make a decision between their medicine or their property tax. Yeah. And it's immoral to, to, to actually be able to charge someone a property tax and then kick them out of a home they've lived in for 40 years if they can't pay it. Amen. Those are just, I got a, I, but see with me, it's all constitutionally compliant. Oh, that's absolutely. it. Absolutely. Do it. absolutely. That's, why, that's why the Republican party, quite honestly, when I came from behind the mic and ran for office and have done it a few times since, I got one of them to tell me one time, I said, why is it I always have such a hard time with you guys? Because you used to come on my shows. I did rallies for you, raise money, all of that. What happened? Well, you know, to be honest with you, and I said, yeah, try it once. He says, uh, we know if we ever get you in office, we'll never be able to control you. Right. I, I looked at him and I said, you know, that, that is the first bright thing you've ever said to me. I love that. I actually that. know that now. You I know, love that. It's true. I don't care. Right. I I have sat down. The, the man's name is Ron Burkle in California. Yeah. He's a multi-billionaire. Okay. Yeah. And I've, I've sat down at dinners with these people. Do you think sitting up there with some little ding-dong lobbyist is going to influence me? you got to. I've walked in the halls of Walmart and made me with them. I, right. you don't do, here, here's your choice. You either do this or we do this because if you don't want to do either one, I just vote no. I, 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 I like your style. I like your style, Claire. Claire, tell everybody. Let's get you back here very soon. Tell everybody where they can contact you, get involved, all that good stuff. Okay, I've got a Facebook page called Claire Van Steen or Claire Van Steen White for Arizona Senate. I've got a website, voteforclaire.com. Uh, you can you can actually Google. <laughs> you still can Van the Radio Man, which JD Hayworth nicknamed me, and you'll find me. Perfect. I'm not hard to find in this state, apparently, from what I've been told by different people. They said, I just look your name up and you're you're all over the place. I, I live it. in Sun City, West California, Arizona. I take walks every day on the streets, talk to neighbors about all kinds of political issues. I enjoy opening the eyes of people to what's really going on. And it's not to harm anybody. As Reagan said, speak no evil about another Republican, right? Yeah, right. That doesn't mean don't tell the truth about them. Very true. So Very well said. Very we're, we're in a war here. Good versus evil. Or as, as President Eisenhower said, right versus wrong. It's but true. in today's world, it is good versus evil. So you're either on God's side or on the devil's side. It's really very simple for me. It's, it's true. the right thing to do or it's wrong. So if it's wrong, it's evil. If it's right, it's good. Yeah. It's, it's That's how it, it works. It's and true. Me, as Americans, not Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, whatever you want to call yourself, you're an American. You were born one. Yeah. Stand up and understand something. Absolutely. You may have one or two elections left to keep this country free. For sure. And then it's over. No, I get No, absolutely. People, people your age, anybody from the age of 12 up, if you don't understand this, when your freedom's gone, you're going to understand it then. If you don't believe me, go to talk to someone in jail. Because I used oh, to go yeah. to jails and speak to people. Tell them how they feel about their freedom being gone. Someone tells them when to go to the toilet. Tells them when they can eat. That's what our government's all about. That's what this new green energy deal is all about. It's got nothing to do with the air because the battery, one battery, one electric battery takes 500,000 tons of material to make it. You know how much carbon gets into the air for making that one battery? The battery will never get back the carbon that was spent making it. 
It's not about electricity. It is about control. Because whoever controls the electrical grid will control your ability to even drive. No, I, Claire, let's get you back. Let's get you back here very soon. I want to talk to you a lot more. Thank, but thank you for coming on, and we'll definitely talk. You're welcome. God bless you. Hey, God bless America when it starts to do something right. God bless like it my says friend. in the Bible. If God my people you. will repent and turn from their wicked ways, I'll bless their land. Thank, this, thank you. Man. This land is wicked now. Anyway, God bless. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. We'll talk soon. Okay. God bless. Bye. The Rory Sauter Show coming to you live from Palm Springs, California. I want to welcome, I believe he's with us right now. We have talk show host, we have activists, we have writer, uh, Michael Vasquez. Michael, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. What's uh, what's the latest? What's the 411? What's, what's on your mind? Uh, it's crazy times. It is. You've had a very good show today. You had some great people on. Yeah, I'm sorry, man. Scheduling's been all over the place. I'm trying to do the best I can here, but I, you know, it's uh, it's crazy. I get how it happens. And, you know, Mike Caputo, he was a great conversation. I liked listening to Josh. Uh, He had some great things to say as well. Uh, But there's uh, so much going on right now. People are amazed. I mean, we've got 100,000 Ukrainians have now been authorized to come into the United States as refugees, which is really interesting because this is the spin on this coming from the Biden-Harris administration is, oh, we're trying to protect our southern border. We have 5,000 Ukrainians in the last month that are at our border, so we've got to do something to help them to reduce the number of people coming to our border. That's stupid. We have, at this moment, about 14,000 children children by themselves sent on a thousand mile trek with a bunch of sex slavers and a bunch of drug dealers that entered our border just in the month of March. We've had 79,000 kids that have come into America by themselves. It's called child abuse. We're talking about numbers that are about five times as high as in 2019. Yeah. And we had numbers similar to that in 2021 matter of fact we're actually higher right now than where we were in 2021 at the same time this is child abuse and it's going on but the spin is well we're helping ukrainians no we've got a wide open door we sent our border patrol over to poland and which is unnecessary they didn't ask for that and people are just running across our nation You've heard a couple of people today who are on the show talking about that in Arizona, how that's affecting everyone. It's really a big deal. And that's just one of the things that are happening. We just heard from uh, Puerto Rico. They're talking about the fact that uh, there's a, Democrats are promising the people of Puerto Rico that they're going to get Social Security payments. Now, here's a surprise. Puerto Ricans are United States citizens. Puerto Rico itself is a territory. Territory, It has a very unique 
a relationship with the United States. And it doesn't want to be a state. It doesn't want to be independent. It wants to stay exactly as it is. That has been the vote going back to the 1970s. They want to stay a territory, but they're citizens. Now, here's the thing. Democrats are saying, we're going to give you Social Security insurance. If you live on the island of Puerto Rico, you don't pay income tax. So here's the problem. That's why so many that's why so many business moguls and investors and people are moving there because it's um, it's a tax shelter. Yeah, it is a tax shelter. It's a legal inside the United States tax shelter to an extent. And if you're living on Puerto Rico, Puerto Rican, you don't pay income tax. Okay. well, here's the thing. How do we pay for Social Security? Out of yeah. our taxes. Exactly. So the answer should be, and I am Puerto Rican, okay? I got family over in Puerto Rico right now. And I'll tell you what I've told them. You're not paying income tax, so you shouldn't get the Social Security. That doesn't mean that we're not helping the elderly who have retired, people who are disabled or who have who are blind. We do. There are programs for that. But if you're not paying into the taxes, why are you going to be paid out of the taxes? But Democrats are trying to buy votes and they're promising, oh, we're going to give you more money. We don't have money. We're almost thirty one trillion dollars in debt. But, you know, they want to spin this like this is supposed to be a great thing. No, it's called buying votes it, because isn't that what they're doing? They're promising people money if they get elected as an, and that's the consequence. And so we have to say, well, wait a minute, but it's not fair. It's like when uh, early in the show today, people were talking about the college debt being waived. Wait a minute. Why is that something that I should do? It's not my responsibility. Are you going to buy me? Is someone going to pay off my mortgage for my house? You're going to buy me a car? You're going to go out and go and pay for my bills or buy my groceries? You, everyone's going to say, no, of course not. That's your responsibility. You're an adult. Go and pay for your own stuff. Well, you're right. So why am I paying for someone else's college? It's not my responsibility. And I actually did a study on this uh, just a couple of days ago. And it's funny because if you look at the top 11 jobs in America, actually the top uh, 20 jobs in America by the number of people in America that work those jobs, there's only two of them that actually deserve, require a bachelor's degree. That's it. In the top 10, number 10 is a nurse. That's the first job that actually needs a bachelor's degree. And right. you don't need anything more than that. These kids are going into $30,000, dollars $50,000 worth of debt, and they're saying, well, you should pay it off. Why? The number one job in America is a sales representative. Number one job. 3.4 million people do that. Doesn't require a single degree. You know what? Go and be a plumber. Be an electrician. You can go and be a, um, a welder because we need those jobs for infrastructure. In fact, you could get a job getting paid $60,000 a year to take care of wind turbines. You don't need more than a high school diploma to do that. If you believe in green energy and you want to have green energy jobs, you don't have to go to college, not for a day. You go and work on one of the wind turbines and there you're going to make the money. So why should I pay off that debt? It doesn't make any sense. But then all of this is going on and no one's being talked about with Puerto Rico. No one's talking about the fact that, did you know, there are 79 children and between the United Kingdom, 
Scotland, and the United States, with nine of them in Alabama, and they all have a liver disease. It's similar to hepatitis. Do you know that that's happening? And it's been fun. They've been finding it over the last couple of months, about two months now. It's so unique and it's happening so often that the CDC and in England, the NHS now have a advisory out and they're trying to track this down because kids are getting this. They have no idea where it's coming from. But one thing they, the one suggestion they made is, well, it might be related to the pandemic, but not the way you think. It's because the kids aren't around other kids in school where they would normally get colds and build up their immunities. Now, people may have other suggestions on certain supplements that have been mandated by certain governments that could be affecting these kids as well because they're all about 10 years of age and older. Gee, who's what could what have we we seen mandated in like New York state and many other very blue states across this nation? What thing could we add to children? that may mess up their hormones, mess up their life. All these drugs and these items that they are adding to these kids. So I'm not surprised. But you know what? That story is buried. No one wants to talk about that. It's amazing to me. You know what else is going on this week? Of course, everyone's talking about CNN Plus is closing down after 30 days. You know why? Because no one trusts them. No one believes in them. And why should they? Look at what they have done. Look at what they have lied to us about. Rachel Maddow, earlier tonight, someone was mentioning, what were we told for three years in a row? Adam Schiff came on, Rachel Maddow, MSNBC, three uh, every day for three years telling us Russia collusion. You know what? We turn around, not true. We have the laptop, took some of them two years to tell us, not true. We've had case after case after case, story after story, it's not true. And not only that, but we're seeing people like in CNN where there are people who are abusing children and these are the people we're supposed to trust. These are the people we're supposed to believe in. Yeah. How couldn't CNN plus fall apart? I mean, now we got Pierce Morgan going out there and it's really funny. He goes out, he does this video, which is a teaser trailer for his show yeah. And he lies to the public just like they were doing with Adam Schiff and Rachel Maddow. He puts this false image out of context up there for the public so that the left can promote this everywhere they possibly can. It's completely fake. It's not real. It's a lie. President Trump comes out and says, hey, here's the actual audio. You're lying to the public. Meanwhile, every time Project Veritas comes out with a video, quoting these politicians, the news media, telling, uh, telling, speaking uh, privately and saying, oh yeah, they hate the American people. They are manipulating the American people, that they are trying to shift the election. They are saying this, this is unquote, this is video of them saying this directly to people because they thought they were safe. And that gets denounced as being, oh my God, it's being manipulated. You have a video that's been edited and they're promoting it but you show the truth and they're suddenly going, oh my God, how dare you tell people this? We've got to wake up here in America. We've got to see some of these things. And I mean, I'm just running through things and it's been a crazy week because I have, uh, did you know, in New York state this weekend, 23rd, 24th, 
Did you know there's a protest that's going on? No. It's called the People's Convoy. And you know what? It's been planned for about two months now. And the media doesn't talk about it. The media's not talking about it. I've been talking about it. I'm actually going there this weekend. I will be in Albany with a couple hundred people that I know of for sure um, that have already confirmed. There's hundreds of people who are going to Albany to let the lawmakers know that according to the Constitution, they are the power of New York State and our government, not the lawmakers, that we are not beholden to them. It's a peaceful protest. None of the news media want to cover this. No one wants to talk about it. They don't even want to be there. Larry Sharp's going to be at the event. Andrew Giuliani's going to be at the event. They have several other speakers. Larry Sharp's running for governor. Why in the world a candidate who's actually, uh, I think Larry's just about 10% in recent polling, running for governor of New York, and the news media doesn't want to cover this? When have we ever seen that before? It's manipulation, and it's really insulting. On May 3rd, I'm going to be having a protest at SUNY Broom in Binghamton, New York. Why? Because they're teaching CRT, critical race theory. It's a program that I have already shown is all about teaching our kids racism and division. And every single news media outlet I have reached in the local central New York region who all know me by name, know me by sight. I've been working beside them for a decade, These in many of these individuals, and not one of them are willing to actually do an interview or cover the event or to tell the public that this protest is going to happen because they're afraid of letting the left hear about CRT. Meanwhile, meanwhile, just three days ago, there were 30 members of PLOT, Progressive Leaders of Tomorrow, a far-left activist group. They're about a shade under Antifa, attacked police officers in Johnson City, New York. And let me guess why. Make a big guess why, Rory. Tell me. Because... A fire department, the fire department came to a building that was a fire hazard to try and check if the electric system was up to code because they had reports and they had checked it before and it was faulty and it was endangering the lives of the eight people in that building. One of the people that they were going to investigate was a member of Progressive Leaders of Tomorrow took offense, called up the rest of the Progressive Leaders of Tomorrow or PLOT They came in with a crew of 30 and attacked them because the the fire department said, the house is unsafe. You have to be out. You have to get out of here because it's a death trap. And they attacked. You know what the news media did? They waited four days, put it in a minor article and walked away from it and they won't talk about it. It's, it's just, it's everything going on right now is crazy. And, he talked about the border earlier and all these different mm-hmm. diseases that are ar- arising that people aren't even talking about. I mean, look at the timing. I mean, people got so sick off of COVID. I, I think they're purposely allowing these diseases to come in the country. And don't forget that illegals and refugees that come in here, the Democrats will use those as votes. I mean, well, it, they, they can't, you know, stop, this, they can't stop this, Rory. 
they can't stop it. The border is wide open. You yeah. can't stop. But uh, it's election season. I believe this is all happening on timing. I believe they are. This is all orchestrated. You know, they want to get people sick again. They want to lock down. They want to do mail-in voting. And they want illegals to be voting for them. They definitely want illegals to be voting for them. That's why New York City said 800,000 non-citizens can vote in our elections. And guess what? They use the same ballot that I, as a United States citizen, use. How are you going to know who's it, who's who? But And in terms of the, uh, the pandemic, we know that this is going to continue for another three years. You know how we know that? We paid Germany over $130 million to make pandemic tests. So unless the Democrats want to be called out for wasting money building a factory in Germany for Germany workers, helping their unemployment rate with our tax dollars so then we can then buy the products from Germany to test people here in America. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but that's what the Biden administration did. And that means that we're going to be going through this. Don't believe there is no going back to normal. We have three more years of this idiocy going on and off, on and off. So yeah, and then you add to that, the fact that people are walking across the border. A year and a half ago, did a study and was checking it out. Do you know that in Venezuela, there because this communist took over Venezuela and the health of the public went down so much that measles, mumps, uh, and, oh, what's the other one? It's the three. It, well, measles and mumps increased by 10,000 fold and has now swept through South America and is being carried by many of the illegal immigrants coming to the United States. That's a fact. You know where you get that number from? The CDC itself. This is terrifying when we see this. And what we're seeing is a decay that is both moral and physical and, and, and political all happening at the same time. And I have to agree uh, with your last, uh, the last interviewer and uh, I forget, uh, I'm sorry, I had his name in my mind. Claire, right. Claire that's it. And Claire, what he, he said, he's right. We're seeing politicians who don't have the balls to stand up and say, hey, this is a problem. We need to fix this. And if we don't fix this, if people don't elect in good people who are effective and efficient, we are going to see our country collapse because we are already in that process. Biden has set us up. I mean, look at the inflation. Remember, what was it? Uh, two months ago, I was on with you and I told you that I expected inflation to hit 15%. Yeah. Listen at now, 11? Yeah, roughly. And I told you this two months ago. And it's going to get worse. Everybody knows it's going to get worse. This is just the beginning. People think that we're going to have a rebound. No way. This is This is just... This is, pra this is, you know, just like batting practice. It's, it's about to get very devastating. Yeah, and, but Rory, here's the thing. You and I had that conversation. I showed you the data. I told you what I was thinking about it here on this program. And I said, I think it's going to hit 15%. I am not an economist. I'm a former stockbroker. I'm a, I'd say better than average intelligence. I pay attention to details. You and I could understand exactly why it was going to go to at least 15%. No one in news media wanted to say anything until last month, the last two weeks of last month. And finally, they're saying, well, maybe kind of, it, it'll be temporary. We've all seen this. It's on the writings on the wall. The only reason why they are doing these things, these are all things that we are saying 
that are predictable, obvious, and documented. And the only reason why they're hiding this from the public is because they're afraid people are going to say, I don't want to vote for someone who supports this kind of destruction because it's not good for my life. It's not good for my kids. And that's the exact reason why we have to do protests like we're going to do this weekend in Albany, why we have to do protests at the colleges and say, no, don't teach my kids to be racist. Why we have to go up and say, hey, I'm not going to reelect you for the 15th time in a row for the fourth or fifth decade in a row and get someone who's actually effective in there. Right. I mean, does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Michael, stay with us. We're going to come right back. Stay with us. Sure. We'll be right back, everybody. We are back with Michael Vasquez. Michael, so I, I'll tell you, what, what is it going to take? What is it going to take, you know, these midterms coming up? We have a lot. We have a lot on the line here. What do you anticipate, you know, the outcome being? Uh, you're going to see the House flip by about 23, maybe 26 seats in favor of the Republicans. So that's part of the landslide that's expected might be even a little bit more. We could get as many as 31, but the safe bet is about 23 to 26. Um, looking at the Senate, I think we're looking at a 52, uh, 52, 48, which is going to be 52 re Republicans versus 48 Democrats. It's actually 46 and two independents, but that's all the even split there. Uh, could be even though i mean the senate is where we're seeing democrats focus on the big thing that people need to do though 
is to remember, like in LA right now, um, there was an article today. There are three members of the city council of LA. They're under pressure from the far left because they want to defund the police. This is what the race is in LA for the city council to defund the police. This is after watching 22 cities try that experiment in 2020 and 2021. And we've seen that crime has skyrocketed, skyrocketed. And now they're saying, no, we have to still do even more. The, The experiment failed. Why are we doing this? Now we have Biden saying, oh, well, I'm going to protect everyone with ghost gun uh, executive orders. What about the 34, no, uh, 32 executive orders under Obama? That didn't work. What about the New York Safe Act? That didn't work. Magazines didn't work. What about red flag laws that are in 19 states and have been since 1999? It doesn't work. Ghost guns aren't, there are, over the last decade, there have been less than 1,300 ghost guns captured by the FBI. It's so obvious and true that if you go right now to the White House article from April 14th to read about Biden talking about ghost guns, and I think it's the third paragraph, there's a citation saying they suspect there were 20,000 ghost guns, which isn't true, and the FBI knows it. The actual link from the White House to their source to prove that there's a 20,000 ghost guns doesn't work. It's a non-functioning link. They remove the link because the data is wrong and it is factually wrong. And so this is part of that deception. We can't listen to these sound bites without stopping to say, hey, wait a minute. You made the same exact promise about gun control every year for the last four decades, and I'm not safer. That is a fact don't lie to me anymore. Uh, Defunding the police, we've seen it for 18 months now. It doesn't work. Let's not do that. Let's not use critical race theory. How many of these crimes that are going on are coming from groups like BLM, Antifa, progressive leaders of tomorrow? How many of them are individuals like the guy in Waukesha, uh, Wisconsin, who during Christmas drove into a Christmas parade specifically targeting white people. Remember that story, America? I know it's not being talked about anymore, but he did that because critical race theory. Yep. He was taught that white people are evil, so he decided to try and run them over. We need to stop this, and we have to vote to say, no, don't let this happen. That's why Florida is being demonized right now. DeSantis is being demonized right now because he said there's absolutely no reason why a five-year-old needs to be taught to hate people based on the color of their skin, which we used to call racism. And there's no reason that we should be having in-depth, intimate sexual conversations with these children at five years of age. Let's stop this. I mean, am I making sense? Absolutely. No, very well said. And I, and I always love your input and your insight and you always give the best interviews and um, you know, you're just a tremendous guest, but stay with us, but tell everybody where they can find you, where they can get involved, all that good stuff. Absolutely. Uh, they can go to no sound bites allowed. That's as you can see above me, it's with an I no sound bites allowed. I'm on 
pretty much all social media except Discord because they banned me without any reason, and I'm not going to use them again. But otherwise, everywhere else, I should be it. Sounds good, my friend. Well, st stay with us. Uh, I do want to go to, um, I believe he's with us right now, Dr. Pastor Rodney Evans. How are you, sir? I'm sure you have a lot on your mind. I'm doing good. Yeah, all the program tonight has just been great. Yeah, I'm winded. I'm winded, man. I can't believe I've been on almost six hours. I mean, the scheduling is all over the place. I need to do better with, you know, people waiting. But it, yeah, I mean, it's it's yeah. Well, you had the Trump guy on there, and he needed to go. He was sharing some very good information uh, that he came out with. And I guess we really need to have the Republican Party focus on the Senate seat, according to what he's saying, Pennsylvania especially, uh, so it cannot be stolen again from us. Uh, everybody in their right mind knows what happened the last election. The, the thing that we need to know as citizens, what can we do? I know vote. They want us to go vote, and people's going to do that. But what do we need to do? Right what can we do to stop them from stealing the election that they are planning and probably have been planning for, you know, they last one they planned for a while. And you know that they're working on this one because they don't want to lose the Senate. They lose that. Then they let, they lose nominee picks and et cetera for places that can hold this country hostage for years. So I thought that was a very good interview. I thought you did a really good job on that. I thought, uh, he done a good job. You know, we'll be praying for him because of the cancer issues and you pray protection for his family uh, with all that's going on, the, the death threats he's had. Uh, that's sad that you work for a president. And just because he was a conservative, the man got death threats. Yeah. And had to spend a fortune of his own money yep. on stuff that we knew that was false. And now we all know that the Democrats were doing it. Yep. I mean, we've said it before, everything they blame the Republicans and the, uh, by, uh, Trump on for a number of years since he started running, they have been doing it for years now. Yeah. And uh, they're more involved with Russia and Ukraine than any, any president. The one we have in our now is more involved, and the Democrats have been more involved with them for years. I mean, you can see that come out constantly. Your first guest touched on some things that I thought was pretty good. Uh, the one I'll just bring up, uh, hiring someone because they're not white. Right. And getting paid for it. Can you imagine if that, if it was the other way around? Oh, it would be awful. Where, where is it? Now, I spoke up against racism. I mean, I've done it. I had death threats on my life when I did it. The Ku Klux Klan threatened to, to kill me uh, when I come out against racism. But where is the people that I stood up and other people stood up against racism. Where are they now? How come they're not standing up against stuff like this? Yeah. Cause this is reverse racism. Exactly. At its finest. Yeah. But, and it's only supposed to be called out if, if a white person does it, but if a white person is the victim, nobody bats an eye, nobody gives a shit. No, not at all. Like know, it's, it's, it's it's almost like it's normalized, like it's accepted in society, which is sick in itself. Well, I mean, I saw racism both sides. Uh, and here's another thing, say, Pat. Here's another thing, Pastor. People can go around criticizing Christians all day long, yes, and nobody nobody says a thing about it or nothing happens to them.
But if you criticize any other religion, all hell breaks loose. Let me look at my position as a minister and where I supported Trump. Oh, my Lord. They tried to throw, they tried to twist the scriptures and throw them at me. And I had to go back with different scriptures. And finally, I just said, you know, I'm not arguing on Twitter. I know how to block. I block and I'll and go. It, isn't that ridiculous? Like these people, these preachers, they're supposed to be, you know, serving God and serving pro-life. Yeah. And they're trying to say Trump is a illegitimate president. They're trying to be pro-Biden. It, it totally defeats the purpose of what they're preaching. Like they are total hypocrites. Well, I had some people that, you know, after the election, come said, this is what happens when you get other people to vote. Uh, this is what you get. And I'm saying, okay, so we get someone that uh, don't know where he's at. You get someone that's for abortion. And I went down the line and I said, and you voted and you encourage your church to vote for someone like that. That's against everything that's biblical. I, I just, it's total chaos. It's crazy on that. Um, the border's an issue. We said this a couple of weeks ago. If Title 42 is done away with, uh, Newsmax reported that 6.5 million illegals would come in per year. You could probably double that, if not triple that we could see an influx of 15 to 20 million people come in. And then after they get here, they could try to bring their families in. Our country can, our country cannot absorb that kind of stuff. We just, we just can't do it. Um, I was hoping I put it on there. I was hoping you would ask the, the, the Trump guy about the South Dakota. Uh, about no, yeah, I, w I was thinking about you. Yeah, my, my bad on that. I think she would, I think she would make a, a tremendous VP. Now Trump, Trump has uh, endorsed her again yeah. for that. But I, I think it would bring a lot to the table. It would bring, you know, you'd have the female to the table. Yes. And she's very likable and Trump yes. really likes her. Yeah. And that's the one I, I, you know, I didn't, I was hoping you would see that say, Hey, bring that up. Cause you know, that's the one I've been asking you about possibly anyway. I, uh, I, li I like her as well. I wanted to bring up to you real quick. You know, I, this past Sunday was Easter, and, you know, Easter yes. is a very special day. Yes. And, you know, we don't thank God enough. We don't praise Jesus enough in our society. I mean, people have taken Easter and out of context, and they don't treat it like the proper meaning, and they don't celebrate the tradition of what it was initially meant to be and, and what it's for and it's all about now easter bunnies and easter eggs and i think that's sad how our society is so out of touch it is and, and you know at our church we talked we had some candy for the kids but yeah. we did talk about what easter was about i do that same thing at christmas you know i, I let them know y'all buy gifts but we need to talk about the greatest gift given to mankind and you know easter is, is special because that is a day that we chose to set aside to celebrate the birth I was, and the resurrection, excuse me, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So today we've set up to celebrate that. And I talked about that. I talked about uh, how he come to redeem us all from everything. And we don't need to allow the devil to put condemnation on us because Jesus come to die to save us. Right. And he did that. And so I brought that out. And the biggest thing the devil always fights everyone over is their past. Yes. Their past. 
And if the devil can keep you in your past, he can keep you from moving on with your future. Yes. And the point is, we want people moving on with their future. So I, I encourage anyone to, if you've asked Jesus into your heart, move on. Don't let the devil keep on bringing up your past. Your future is brighter than your past. And that's the reason he wants to keep you there. He wants to keep you in that place. So we we talked about that. We talked about, you know, the reason that uh, in, in the Old Testament, if you look under the Old Covenant, you'll see little things in there under the Old Covenant that was part of Jesus's death and burial and resurrection. I brought some of that up. Also, in the Bible says we're under a better covenant in the New Testament. We're, we're under a better covenant. Thank God we don't have to sacrifice birds no more. But and sheep and all those things. Jesus became our sacrifice. He came our sacrificial lamb for us. But also in that, if you study the covenants of God, you'll see through the covenants of God, and this is something that God has dealt with me about, and I've been sharing this for years. When I minister to you, I want you to know that God sent his son Jesus died on the cross, not just for your salvation, which is the most important thing. It's for your spirit. It's for your soul. And it's for your body. In other words, every dimension of you. He wants you, the Bible says, by his stripes you're healed. He wants you to walk in healing. Uh, that's the reason those stripes are on his back. The Bible says you couldn't even, he didn't even look like a man when they got done with him. And he done that for you and me. And I don't know about you, that's an exciting thing, knowing that someone came and died for me. For he looked through time for and sure. saw you and me here and for he sure. sent his son to die for us. To me, that's for just amazing. It's a be- it's a beautiful thing, and we have we have about another four minutes. I, I want to see if you want to touch up on some final subjects. Well, uh, yeah, there's a couple here we can talk about. The CNN, as people's talked about, will shut down on April the thirtieth. Yeah, according to their network. Yeah, I think that's awesome. That's just, I, do I do too. I think it's awesome. Okay, Elon Musk. You talked about that today. Yeah. Elon Musk has secured the finances to buy Twitter. Yep. Uh, that is from the New York Post, yep. also by, from CBS. Uh, he said he's raised the money, um, and I guess he's moving on with Plan B. So we're going to, have to see what Plan B is. I think it's bringing a couple more investors in and doing it. But my son was here before we went on the air. And, well, I, while we were on, he walked in here for a few moments. And... Then he went and sat down. He started looking up, seeing that Elon Musk owns PayPal, I guess. Yep. He SpaceX, owns, Tesla. He's a genius. Yeah. I, mean, I think one of them's worth a trillion dollars already. Oh, wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it's not like he don't have the money. And if you look at Jack, Jack came out and he was, it sounds like he was a little aggravated that the board did not sell to Elon Musk because he yeah. said it's always been for sale. Right. So those are, a couple of things that I've kind of taken away. There was just so much good stuff there. I don't know if you saw me. I don't know if you looked over. You saw me in the green room. I fixed me a sandwich. I sat here and ate while I was watching. I went back. My wife fixed dinner. I went back and got that and ate that while we were watching. And I'm doing the same thing. I've lost about 10 pounds. I need to lose about 30 to 40 more, so I'm working on that. Uh, but people need to grab their popcorn. They need to grab them something to eat. They need to sit down and listen to your show. Because I know what you're putting in it. I know your heart. You want to give them a, a product in a sense. 
of something that they can listen to and get valuable information because we're not getting it from Fox News. We're not getting it from CNN. We're not getting it from, you know, your local television. You need to listen to people that's that's been involved, like the guy from Trump. He talked about how great Trump was, right. how people came in and asked for money, but then when he didn't give it to them, they talked bad about him. Uh, how he knew the names of the elevator people that worked on the elevator. Uh, to me, that's very important. That's, that just shows you a strong leader when your leader knows you by name. It's true. It's true. And Rodney, yeah. I, I love having you with us. Uh, tell everybody where they can find you, where they can get involved. Uh, you sure? Yeah, real, real no. quick. I got, I got like 30 seconds and I got to wrap up because I, I got they won't let me go past the six hour mark. OK, we're, I'm going to do it real quick. You got Rodney Evans on Getter, on Parlor, on Twitter. You've got Go No Further, which I share about your program and other things. It's it's Go No Further, the redneck perspective on Twitter and on Truth. Mm-hmm. You have Facebook. We got We're On Our Way, spelt two, Rodney Evans Ministries. Also, we're on our way too on Twitter and on Truth. And you can also get us on YouTube. Let me say this one other thing that I did see today. I do got. Uh, I do got to run. Say say it real quick. On on truth, a guy put out that Twitter has sent him an email saying they have brought his Twitter account back. He got suspended when I got suspended. Oh wow, wow, uh, yes. Rodney. We'll get you back on the next episode. I do yes. got to close out. Um, I got like literally two minutes. Um, everybody. I want to thank you all for tuning in tonight. It's been a fantastic show. Uh, Remember, uh, visit my company, getyourappbuilt.com today for a free quote. Apps are the future of technology, and there are more and more new ideas being created every day by amazing entrepreneurs in this country and all over the world. So take a look at that. Uh, We will be releasing our new media network here in the next couple days and over the weekend. I know it's long overdue. I've been talking about it forever, but we are finally in the final stages. So be on the lookout for that. I can't wait to share it with all of you. Um, and don't don't forget also, follow me on social media, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, True Social, all that good stuff. I'm everywhere. Just Google my name online. Um, wow. Another episode, another day of the Rory Sauter Show. I am alive. I am well. I am not dead, and um, God, I can't wait to see you all next week. But until then, have a fantastic weekend. God bless. Jesus is king. God, God is great, and I love you all. Cheers, everybody.